everyone, and welcome to Garage Hammer, episode 49. On tonight's episode, the boys do a Dark Elf Army review with special guest host Ben Curry from the Bad Dice Podcast. So, without any further ado, here are your hosts, David Whitetech and Christopher Barnett. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 49 of Garage Hammer. 49, Okay, okay, okay. I was going to say it 49 times because I didn't have a song. Well, that's pretty great. Okay. Welcome to episode 49 of Garage Hammer. I'm Chris Barnett. And I'm Skip Stevenson. And with us tonight is a very special guest star all the way from the UK. From London, England. I don't think you're actually in London. I'm not, I'm just always say London, England. Everything in, is near London in England. Is that, is so, that, why not? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ben. Okay, thanks so, for coming on. Ben Curry, welcome it's, to the it's podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. So what's amazing is that you do that intro sort of live every time. I didn't realize that. I thought it was something you might have added in afterwards and done loads of retakes for. But no, it's great. I've started the show just killing me. So you, I'm disappointed. I was expecting a song for 49. Episode 49, we're doing just fine. Or something, you know. There you go. Now we have one. And it, the song, Ben Curry sang the episode number song for us that's <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to have you on for every episode from now on for the new song that's yeah we'll be a new sponsor <laughs> of bad days we'll sponsor we'll have gareth write the song for the number it'll be fantastic you know, it'll, be, it'll be a four-hour musical number <laughs> <laughs> well that'll make the show just a little bit longer at least percentage wise let's do it <laughs> let's do it let's do it all right. Well, before we get rolling, we, uh, as always, need to take a minute to thank our sponsors. Sounds like a plan. As always, we need to take a minute to thank our sponsors like Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Game Preserve Store is located throughout Indiana. Urza's Den, custom painting and sculpting. Battle Foam, protecting your... Army. Very good. And Weird World's Terrain. Wee. What's Wee. your world? like that more and more every time you do I know, it. Isn't it fantastic? You can find links and information for all of your sponsors, both in the show notes and also on our website, garagehammer.net. All right. <laughs> right, all right, all right. Um, I don't think we have a shout-out this episode. At least I didn't notice one come through. So okay. if, I, if, if somebody has a shout-out waiting and for some reason we didn't do it this episode, just send me an email and remind me how dumb I am. Don't forget, guys, that uh, shout-outs are a great way to sponsor the show. So give us a call. Send us an email at uh, net, uh, or send it one to David. Send us to Twitter. Anything, any way you want to get in touch with us, let us know. Any way you want it. That's the That's way you, the way you need, need it. it. Oh, RIP to Donna Summer, by the way. She worked hard for the money. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she loved to love us. Oh, dear Lord. Well, anyway, so why don't we get into the new releases? Oh, yeah, because we got no news or rumors. They're still waiting on what everything they're waiting on. Ben, so. unless you know of anything. No, I mean, I've, I've been trying to have a look for some this week, but there's not a lot out there. It's pretty true. We don't, we don't tend to cover them a lot on bad dice for the reason of, it's, I, I don't know, a bit, you never know whether it's true or not, do you? It's feast so. or famine, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's fun to do a little wish listing every once in a while, but... Well, the one thing that we've got here is that uh, the Colossal Squig is finally available from uh, Warhammer Forge. 
Now, Ben, you had something to say about this, is that right? Yeah, sure. So I went to the Forge World Open Day over in the UK um, sometime in April, I think. Yeah, sounds about right, Some mid-April. We'll, get, we'll run with that, mid-April. Um, and there was, they had one there, and the guy who paints for the, the Forge World Studio, because the, the Forge World Studio is um, separate to the, like, they don't, the heavy metal painters don't paint the Forge World stuff. It's different guys. Okay. So um, the chap who was painting it was actually one of the guys who was responsible for getting me into the hobby. He used to work in the Games Workshop Derby um, store when I first started, sort of eighteen years ago, and he's he works for Fordroad now. I was painting the figures, and he was painting the the colossal squig that you can see on the Fordroad website at the show. So he had all the obviously all the new paints out. He was using the Fordroad um, weathering kits, um, and it's a lovely figure. It's massive. It's um, yeah, pretty. Is pretty that a hundred by one fifty base on that thing? Yes, it is. Oh man! So you can imagine how big it is. Um, one of the things I'd use it for, because obviously the rules for it are pretty poor. I don't know if anyone's got the, the Arcanum, but I, I know you guys have picked it up and had a look. Well, oh, obviously yeah. the listeners at home, I don't know how many have got the book to see the rules, but it's not that great. It doesn't do a lot of attacks. Um, it thunderstomps, yeah, but it's not it's not amazing. Um, but I'd use it as Mangler Squig. I'd have two of them. Obviously, the cost of hmm. fortune. Um, is it £55? Um, I believe that's yeah. the price, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's what's that? Seventy, eighty dollars. Um, that's, that's it. Yeah, it's about. Well, yeah. I think it was, well, maybe one and two thirds at this point. A little more than one and a half. So yeah, for that yeah, cost, so, you, you want to break the thing open and hope there's a nugget of gold inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be right with that. But the, the orcs and goblins, what they've they've struggled with on the table is coming across. Obviously, the, the models are really nice. You can make them really animated with the, the animosity rules. You can have them fighting each other. Loads of stuff going on. But they struggle with heights. Until you get the wyvern and the arachnorok in there, there's, there's nothing really nothing really big you can use. So this just gives you an extra... If you don't want to use the arachnorok or the wyvern, you can go with the mangler squigs and use the colossal squig as the manglers. gives you a bit more height, and every army is going to have two manglers. Um, and my thoughts was you can... You can use the standard one, which is sort of looking down, and then you can tip it. I reckon rotate it 45 degrees so its its trailing leg is on the deck and its its standing leg is now clawing forward at the air, so it just gives them a bit of variety. But, yeah, it's a nice figure. i got to tell you, my favorite figure from Forge World is that little guy who's always running away from all the other figures. Oh, the the fleeing guy from the giant kit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just feel every I keep looking I'm like there's that poor guy every monster in the Warhammer world has to chase his ass around. <laughs> What's your job? Well, I get consumed by every giant creature that Forge World makes. What's your job? My job is to run. Run like hell. Run like hell and don't look back. Uh that's <laughs> it it might be the most used um, model out of the Empire range. <laughs> well, it's not Empire, is it? It's, it's more Orcs it's and the, Goblins. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's in the Giant. <laughs> I had a chance to chat with some of the, the uh, Forge World guys uh, when they were at Adepticon, and they're also mentioning, they, they assured me that they're actually directly working right now on the, the Kadai Destroyer. I don't have a release date, yeah. but they are, they're currently working on it. So I can't wait to see that once it's done. They were sculpting it there right in front of him. Sure, like, yeah, we're it right now. See? sure they were. <laughs> I guess so they were we all... didn't... Oh, go ahead. They wouldn't They wouldn't disclose about the Kadar Destroyer to me, but we did get a lot of information about the, the Bull Centaurs. Oh, um, no, see, you got more than I did. They told me they, they had to scrap it and start over. What did they tell you? Um, the guy who was sculpting them said they've, they've got um, a few different versions um, they're working on. 
Um, but it's definitely something they're planning. No, no ideas on timeline. No ideas on what what they're going to look like or anything like that. But um, so, so yeah, the discussion of base sizes. No. Oh. <laughs> Behave. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That'd be too easy. Come on. <laughs> just tell us flat out. That would be insane. It's not like I have 15 of them. I'm going to have to rebase every one of them. Oh, goodness. If it was me, I'd put them on 50 mils because it looks good. It and looks good, it but does... I'm, a, I'm afraid that it wouldn't do well on the table. You wouldn't really want to take them for 50 mil uh, per, per model. They're a bit expensive for that, don't you think? Yeah, you're getting mm. less of them in the combat. Right. You know? They only have yeah, two maybe, attacks apiece. Right. See, I'm not that gamey. You heard it here first. Said that as well. <laughs> Can we make no, that the a, episode? I think there's a good. Co- I'm not Sorry, that no, not gamey. 50 mil, 40 mil. I meant 40 mil, the middle one. Um, there's a conversion chart on the Chaos Dwarf online. Someone's like um, built them on different bases and took photos of them on different bases all together um, and compared them to other similar unit types and what bases they go on. And this is all on the the Chaos Dwarf forums. And I think it was the 40s, sorry, not the 50s. That looked the best. That would make sense to me. I can deal with the 40s. Mm. I can deal with a 40. Sure. Oh, boy. So, that, like, that's literally that's the only new release. Yeah, that's all I can uh, see. Um, and, uh, well, by the time this airs, we'll be, right, we'll be getting right up to uh, announcement for June weekend. Uh, this, this one week ahead of time announcement stuff is killing me. But uh, what are you going to do? So... All right. Well, that's it for new releases. Um, we did get a few voicemails. I'm going to try to drop them in here on the show if we get time. Otherwise, we'll put them up next week. But, folks, remember, uh, we do have voicemail set up, 1757-GH-SHOW-6. You can uh, send us a voicemail. We got like three or four last night, and I have a feeling they're all from the same phone number because it came in the middle of the night. Someone was drunk dialing our line, I have a feeling. Ben, I- was that you? <laughs> Listen, you guys over there at Carriage Hammer, you better, I don't know, I can't even think of what he would, what you would say. Oh, by the I, way. I used, I used to have a voicemail number for Bad Dice, and we the idea was we would give it out at tournaments to get drunken idiots ringing in <laughs> and, uh, on, on the Saturday night of the tournaments. But what actually happened was it was either totally unusable or people just didn't bother, so I, I got rid of it. Maybe I should bring it back, actually, because it is a, a useful thing to have. Yeah, and we, we've got it up here now because our tournament updates were becoming repetitive, but we left it open. We said, hey, if in fact, listeners, if you have a tournament you want to plug or a date or something you want to promote, there's there's the way to do it. Get in and drop on the voicemail. Maybe at the Blood in the Sun tournament, I'll drunk dial our own phone line. Oh, that's a good plan. Oh, I think, I think so. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? Let's take a break and come back with the garage manager section. See you in a bit. Chaos Rock Superstore. That's right, folks. Chaos Rock Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Rock Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. And we're back. And better than ever. So You say that every time. By this time, we should be supermen. 
We are Superman. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I'm no Superman. I'm Superman. It's there on we my go. Facebook oh, profile. Damn it. I know. You got the picture. <laughs> By the way, nice picture, Ben. <laughs> that night was a good night. We went bowling. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of photos taken that night. It was no, I got to go back. I got to find the picture of you with all your trophies. I'm not going to use that as the episode uh, picture, I think. Do you have that framed <laughs> in your house somewhere, <laughs> Ben? Should we talk about that now? Sure, go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was so funny because remember, we're six hours behind. So you're like, oh, I'm going to tweet this really late at night, going to sneak this by. And that's like, you know, it was like 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock my time. So I'm like, oh, what's he trying to sneak past? Click. and <laughs> Yeah, I had just started my work day. There's Ben lying on a bed covered in his trophies and awards for Warhammer. <laughs> Doing the <laughs> doing the American Beauty pose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Oh, yeah. yeah, so the story behind that one is that um we're going to we're going to an ETC for those that don't know, the, the European team championship. We're going to a warm up event in Denmark in about three weeks' time. Um so the team are flying out and because it's a warm up event, it's not as serious as the main one. They're trying to drum up a bit of support. Um, and just get a bit of banter and smack talk going. And they wanted people to just do a movie. Like when you get together for a meet, just on your smartphone, everyone's got one, just do a, a short video and um, just have a bit of fun. So the, there's a second team going from England, just a group of guys who aren't associated with the, the English ETC team. They're just going for a bit of fun. And they did a cracking one. And it was like a, um, a sped up video of playing Warhammer and it was like um, a disc sorcerer flying down the side of a dwarf army and the purple sun going across and then captions at the bottom saying actual spell may not be as good and the purple sun going 30 inches and killing eight war machines and um, <laughs> between every stop because it's England between every stop there was a cup of tea being put down on the table and there was a nice proper china tea set with cups of teas and little spoons and everyone stopping to drink the tea with the fingers a little finger out and really good and I thought I can't I can't match that. Um, I haven't got the video editing skills for one. And for two, I, I didn't think I'd have the time. And then we started talking about how about doing the whole kiss our trophies thing because we, we've all been playing tournaments for years. We've all got a number of trophies. Yeah, so, I know so, what that's like. Yeah, I got a whole... Some of us do. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, I sent the emails around everyone and said, right, I want your photos. And um, we've got Jack Armstrong, who's our marathon runner, He's got like he's got twenty marathon, um, well the ribbons around his neck with the trophies with the medals on. He's got arms full of trophies. He's got his shirt off with his massive arms flexed. We've got me on the bed doing the um, American Beauty pose, <laughs> and Dan Heelan's got all his on his desk with his face in the middle. And it's just a good video. And, uh, I really enjoyed putting it together, and it's just a bit of fun. But it is literally us just flexing, going, "Yeah, look at our trophies." <laughs> And it's had it's been up for about four or five days, and it's had something like nine hundred views on YouTube. So it's quite popular. It's going, it's getting, starting to get around. So hopefully people can. What's that one called on that. YouTube? Because I haven't watched it. Um, I think it's just ETC Team England 2012, um, and it's on YouTube. And it's um, if you look for my channel, Ben Curio Three, I think my username is on YouTube. Search my channel, and it's on there. Excellent. Well, I don't think I've seen the video either, so I'll have to check that out. I can't get YouTube at work, so I'll have to do it from home. But uh... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You have to turn your computer on at home. Oh. 
All right, so let's get on with the garage manager section, which, as you just heard in the commercial, is brought to you by Chaos Work Superstore. Gotta love that place. Still love that place. Mm-hmm. And people are already quoting on our forums how they're going to be sad once they run out of metal bits at that metal metal uh, models to sell at that place. We got a lot of people who don't like Finecast who are just buying, burning up the secondary market, picking up all the old metals. And Chaos Works doing pretty well from it, and mm-hmm. that's good for them because they're awesome. Uh, all right, so uh, modeling. Uh, ben, you've been doing some work. What you been doing? <laughs> um, at the moment, I'm sort of a magpie with this. I've I had, I was quite focused with the Chaos Dwarfs, and I'd I'd done ten Infernal Guard and uh, an Iron Demon. Then I'd done another ten, and I bought a Magna Cannon as well. And then I sort of hit a wall with them. Um, I, I had my spirit broke. I saw um, Sam Moore is the. ETC Australia captain. He's painting a Chaos Dwarf army at the moment, and it's absolutely fantastic. And it's in the same color scheme as mine, like the exact same. Uh, he's done the same oh. models, and it's ten times better than I can do. And it's sort of I hit a wall. So there on my painting table at the moment, um, I've got my Forge World Toad Dragon um, sort of on the go. I've been painting the scales on that sort of one at a time, a scale after scale after scale, and is that's that, that's killing me. Is that the Tamarcon? Is that yes? Yeah, the big boy. Um, how how big then, is it? It won't fit on the the one fifty by one hundred. Um, it probably won't fit on a two hundred. I bet a two hundred square might fit it. Um, so it yeah, hangs off the edges and everything. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really really big. Um, and then I'm, the ones I have been really enjoying at the moment have been the plague toads. I like the, those. the one. With the riders on the back as well, lovely figures. Um, I've been using the new paints. Um, I've talked. I feel like I've talked about this five times now because I've been on a few different shows. I spoke to on my own show, on the Daily Show, been on Point Hammered. Now I'm here. I'm talking about <laughs> these plague toads again and again. But they are really nice figures, um, and I bought them just to every month. I buy something, um, a new release or whatever, to talk about on the show. Do a bit of modelling and that. Um, not necessarily for my army, and. Uh, I'm tempted to do an army based around them now I've got them because they are really, really nice figures. But I don't really fancy demons, so I don't know. Maybe not. But I've enjoyed painting them. And it says you also did uh, yeah, more Cold One characters and two more knights. <laughs> yeah. So my, my list for Call to War, the tournament I recently attended, we can talk about later in gaming. But I needed. I've already got around 30 Cold One knights painted. So the fact that I needed more, which just I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I don't know how I convinced myself to paint some more. But I've got I've got twelve of the the first and second edition cold they're, ones. They're like twenty seven points a model. How many can you take? <laughs> I mean, there's a limit. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've got I've, I've I've painted Dark House for years and yeah. years, so I've got every edition. Um, and the current ones I'm using are the the earliest ones. And then I've got ten of the. No, I might have more than that. I think I've got about twelve of the, the sort of fat pot belly pig cold ones. The ones that are being um, converted for for uh, squigs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've got I've got about twelve of them, and I've got um, twelve of the the current plastics. The, the sort um, of so that's style. like that's thirty six. Um, but I wanted fourteen, so I had to paint two more of the original ones. So I got them done. And then I needed some Cold One characters, so I, I went around, went about attacking the bits box to see what I could find. And um, I put together one of the 5th edition Cold One General models, which is one of my favourite ever um, 
Colt, favorite ever in the whole range, Games Workshop range. Um, it was one of the first ones I picked up, and I, I bought some more of him. Uh, my intention was to do a whole unit using the Armored Cold one and the, the General's body, but I never got around to it. Um, so I built one of him. I got a couple of the current Metal Cold ones, which I suppose might be fancast now, but I don't know. Um, and I did a, a BSB, which I'd converted years ago, but never never painted, and I sort of hand-painted a Hydro Banner on the front of that, which was my first go at freehand. It didn't turn out as bad as I was expecting. What's the paint scheme that you're using for your dark elves? Um, silver and purple mainly. Okay. And sn- snow basin. Sounds cool. Uh, all right. Well, you guys are the snow based champs over there. See, every time I wouldn't I- do it again. <laughs> uh, no, the, it's great when you're doing the army the first time and you're dead motivated. But then when you have to go back and paint another unit for the army, to have to go not only to paint all the figure and then do the basin. And then cover it all in snow as well. It's just an extra layer, extra step. I don't think I'd I'd do again. And my Chaos Dwarfs are like um, as simple as I can while still being pretty good. I sprayed the bases separately, spread them grey and inked and black ink and then dry brushed and then built it up with stuff stuck on the base rather than the snow because it's just, no, I didn't enjoy it. You couldn't possibly put snow bases on Chaos Dwarfs. I couldn't imagine that working out very well. Yeah. No, <laughs> of course not. Now you mentioned you and he were doing the same paint scheme. What what colors are you choosing for your castors? Is it a black and red or something else? Yeah, yeah, but black and red and bronze. It's the the classic colors. Yeah, uh, I've gone for the the scale mail is is all red, and mm-hmm. um, sort of like the bronze armoring and gloss black on the helmets. Um, something of inspiration from the Tamarcon book. The same sort of scheme that they present in there. Yeah, that sort of thing. It just looks good. It's yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it makes sense I know too. It, it's it's easy to copy what's in the books, but they're in the books because they do look good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, any other color scheme for them would be a bit unusual, I think. <laughs> we yeah. wanted lavender. Yeah, yeah, metallic purple. Let's go. Oh, goodness. So, Ben, you've been also talking about um, using some some of the new Necron releases to do some, uh, we're talking off the air, doing some Tomb King conversions, possibly? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't got any hard and fast ideas of what I would do, but I saw the releases. Obviously, the Necrons came out six months ago, and then they've had this splash release now. Um, and straight away, certainly the um, the big standy-up guys, what are they called? The Canatep Wraiths. Yeah. I certainly think I see them as having a place in the Tomb King army. And I just, I, I was itching to talk about someone, talk about it to someone on a podcast. Um, <laughs> and obviously, Mark, Mark and, because uh, I thought it'd make a good topic for discussion, Mark and Gareth have not been around for a while because they're on holiday, so I thought we'll spring on you guys and get your thoughts. So what do you think? Now, you uh, reckon it could make it, or do you think it looks a bit too mechanical? Well, here's, I have to confess, I, I don't I don't really know 40K, so I don't know the model, so Dave, this is going to have to be all on you. I think you can use, I think you can use Tomb Kings to convert uh, from Necrons, and it'll look terrific, but the individual models you're talking about, Dave, what do they look like? Uh, they're pretty awesome, and I have the, uh, right here, I have the... Wait to work with all the new models. So, okay, uh, yeah, starting on page eight. So, I'm gonna just toss it over to Christopher. Uh, I think they could be really cool. They do. They're they're amazingly mechanical. I mean, you'd have to really paint them up so they looked like they were made out of, uh, you know, brass and that uh, you know all that that you know it, it would have to look really old Egyptian. And it does have a lot of mechanical parts. But I think if you found something you really liked, I think it could make a really cool conversion. What if you painted these Necrons to look like they're rusting, implying that they're ancient? That's possible, too. I'm not you sure. Could do. 
I mean, I'm looking at the um, the, the Tomb Blades, so they're like the flying bike things, and just looking at it, it gives me an image in my head of a scorpion, maybe cut everything metal off it, so take the man out, take the gun off, and then you've got like a sort of a an archway over the top, which could be a scorpion tail, um, just, you know, just using parts of it, maybe not using the whole model, but using bits of them, um, you, that could be like a scorpion tail, with it. you'd have to put a sting on the back, um, there's some bladed parts, which could be, I don't know. You could totally model. make that into a clockwork scorpion. You'd need, <laughs> yeah, you'd, it would you'd look need like some, an arcane device. Yeah, you need some bits. Yeah. Uh, like in the uh, Monstrous Arcanum, the giant uh, scarab. The giant scarab is all, a, a, you know, a clockwork scarab. You could yeah. take the Necron stuff and totally do that up. I mean, they're, so they're you, so similar. You could use the top half of the body of the wraith, which is like all its legs, um, and then have the, the tomb blades sort of arching top as a tail and maybe combine the two of them. I don't know. It's just some ideas. I'd, it'd be really interesting to see what a good modeler would be able to come up with. Um, I say that clearly not, not me. I don't fancy going into the realms of converting every model in my army. Oh yeah. No kidding. But, uh, there's some really cool stuff there. What were you going to say, Chris? I was going to say these, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Canoptic wraiths, the canoptic wraiths. Yeah. That's what Ben. Yeah. These yeah, things would sounds be, about right. Yeah, excellent for. Um, I suppose you could use them for a scorpion. You could use them for a necropolis knight. Yeah, the knights get some model, get some tomb kings models on the back of them. Um, also, they've on the next page. There's the the spiders. Um, again, maybe they could make a better scorpion. Oh, a lot of good choices here. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. These are fun models. Yeah, like I said, when they when they announced them on at on G on GW's site, I'm like, you know, I know I realize I don't play them at all but these are some really nice they came out with a really nice looking second wave of stuff but yeah you could totally convert up yeah the one you're looking at what is that called christopher uh triarch stalker or triarch, yeah, triarch stalker that could totally be another scorpion if you really work it out or even a, a variation on a war sphinx like make it a spider or a scarab instead of a, a sphinx and you've got this i suppose the stalker's massive though isn't it it's yeah is that not the similar sort of size to the um the soul grinder Oh yes, exactly. Yeah, it might be a bit too big for uh, a war. A war. Yeah, a war right. yeah, that's right. A sphinx. No, is no, a, it'd be all, I think it'd be all right as a sphinx. But well, the not sphinx so is a chariot, a though. It's not. It's not a. It's not an arachnorach size. It's a. It's a chariot size. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, it is way too big to be a scorpion, though. Like like Ben said, though. My 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 suggestion for a scorpion. I didn't think about the. I didn't think about the uh, size of the thing. I think you might be able to get it on a, a chariot base if you sort of the back legs are pitched in a little. And the front legs are sort of stood up as if they're stabbing forward, so they're not on the base. But I don't know; it might be might be just too big. Yeah, I mean the the war sphinx in my head because it says war sphinx. I'm picturing a sphinx, you know, the animal body with the human head, and obviously that doesn't have a human head on the front. But um, well, but instead of a sphinx, you could call it a war scarab or a war spider, or exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just it's just the name that's messing me up. The picturing it in my head, I think. But uh, a colossal doom spider or something like that. I think that would actually be really cool. And I think that uh, you know, there's pe- you know, I know there's people who don't like the war sphinx, and if you're one who doesn't like that particular model, this could be a cool alternative that you could craft up and have something special on your on your uh, on the table. So instead of doing converting a whole bunch of stuff for your army, you could just do one really fancy centerpiece conversion. Try to work it in. Now I realize this is a little off the off the topic, not exactly on the oh, topic. Oh dear because, lord! Well, in terms of converting tomb kings, 
there's there's a lot of talk in the United States that the Tomb Kings are considered a somewhat underplayed, underpowered army. What, what are your what's your take on that, Ben? Um, do you play with special characters? Well, it depends on the tournament. Uh, Kalida is very powerful, and I think anyone. I who... think I think Kalida and Ramotep or Ramotep or whatever they call him. It's the Lord he... Master, right? No, he's the guy who gives you constructs. One construct in the army, determined at random, can re-roll its arm saves for the game. Oh, okay. So what we're seeing a lot is no sphinxes um, and two big or three big necro knight units. Um, the units, the, the knights in units of six are quite quite powerful, um, especially when backed up with two level fours with either, with death or light magic. Light's pretty impressive with them. Um, and obviously the, the Tomb King's own law is, is quite good for combat buffs as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we are seeing them doing, not doing too bad. They're certainly not the, certainly not the, the walkover that I think you, we're getting the reports of coming out of the States. A lot of the, a lot of reports from America are saying the Tomb Kings are rubbish, but in the UK, they, they are quite a popular choice. Um, certainly Mark's been doing well with his, um, yeah. that's Mark Wildman, um, the co-host on the show. Sure. He's sure. been doing well with his, um, there's another guy who's who's taken to a lot of tournaments in the UK. Um, he's been doing quite well with a similar build to Mark. He's been using Arkan the Black as well to at some tournaments. Um, so yeah, they I think they are they are quite good. It's the it's the joys of eighth edition. Everything's you can make anything work, um, and it won't be too too far behind. Look, if you are looking for top top three at tournaments consistently, you you might you're gonna have to play out your skin and have some good draws. Um, but I suppose that applies to any army, really. Whereas with, with some other armies, it might be a little easier. With the Tomb Kings, I think you can consistently aim for top 10, no problem, with the Tomb King book. Okay. Um, obviously, it, whether you see that or not, I, d- I don't know. Um, but Mark's been, do- Mark's been doing well. And um, Russ Veal has also just picked up Tomb Kings, and he's playing um, two, big ni- two big knight units again, and he's running two Colossus as well. Because they just—it's more targets. You you throw things forward. The Colossus of the Necro Sphinx, um, but the War Sphinx, I don't think is is good enough. I know a lot of people like it, but I just don't think it does enough. Well, I think people were trying it with the with, what is it called, the Thunder Crush attack. But uh, so you think that the Colossus is a better way to go? Are they arming them with the the giant bow or with extra weapons? Oh, great weapons! Great weapons. Okay. High, high strength to go into the Mournfangs and um, chop them up. Or to go into heavily armored units and chop them up. Um, the snakes are beating the rank of file because they're just they're putting a lot of attacks out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's it's got some good builds, um, and obviously Brian Carmichael won the thread of schools with with the Kalida list. I know, <laughs> yes, yes, he. Did. I know he gets a lot of stick for that because it was a silly list, but it, it's open season at thread of schools. You can go, you can play anything. And um, he played what he wanted to play, and he won the tournament. And at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of people there, and he's the one who came away winner. Mm-hmm. That's right. Excellent. Well, it sounds like here in the States, um, it sounds like somebody just needs to pick up the mantle of the Tomb Kings and lead the way, I guess. I think that's you. I don't think that's going to be me, but uh, hopefully somebody. Uh, like I said, I, I like it. Uh, you know, I like all the armies. Um there are, you know, there are valid arguments. I guess that it's underpowered. I guess the one biggest complaint that Christopher and I always talk about when we're talking about this stuff, sort of even off the air, is, you know, we only hear about one or two builds, and then everyone's like, I, it, uh, oh, I can't get this to work. It's trash, and they throw it away. And I'm like, there's so much other stuff in that book that 
people aren't necessarily trying. I think that there's more there than people have realized. I, you know, I don't know that they gave it enough time. Well, I, I think that there, I think there's a, some flexibility in the list, but it's you know, right now with the pr- current metagame the way it is, you sort of are you're sort of guided toward a certain direction as opposed to other directions. I think that uh, I think that archery is still. You know the popular easy choice because it's obvious it's right in front of you. Okay, I can hit on fives. Okay, with Khalid I can give it poison attacks and make him hit on fours. But I think that there are other ones to try in there as well. Yeah, it doesn't do enough. Not yeah. not at all. It's great if you're playing against um, if you can take eighty archers in one unit and play against demons with six units on the table or ogres with again six units on the table. It's great. But for the most part, if you come up against like a big Skaven army with a lot of units, you might struggle. Yeah. Um, for for me, the best the best list I've seen recently is the the two big snake units, the um, backed up with possibly um, yeah ne- Nakara level four and a light level four Ramotep to give the, um, the one of the snake units the rerolls, and obviously they go right next to each other in the middle of the table, so you're not ending up with the one with rerolls out on one flank. Um, you you got them where you need them, and what Mark was doing a lot as well was sort of splitting the army into two two sort of forces, um, probably one to the centre of the right flank, one to the centre of the left flank. And because the night units are so powerful, you can't really deal with them easily. You've got to you've got to throw a lot of stuff at them. So if one unit does manage to get a run on, and it can soon mow down half an army. Well, nice. <laughs> sounds pretty good. I suppose we should probably get back on track with our modelling, otherwise we'll never get through the show. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> Dave, or do you want me to take it? Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I actually have been doing some modeling recently. I've been converting plague plague monks into hobgoblins, since no hobgoblins exist currently. Uh, the first 20 that I worked on are just about done, and now I'm working on the second 20. I'm also, I picked up five of those those 40k Fenrisian wolves, I think they're called. Yeah, Fenrisian wolves, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm very impressed. They're actually really nice models. Uh, so I'm using them for hobgoblin wolf riders. And they convert very well together. They're beautiful models, fit right into right into cavalry bases. And what else am I doing? Uh, I picked up some time ago. I picked up the Balrog from Lord of the Rings. Um, I know that the Destroyer is in pen, its progress. You know they're not done with it yet. But I need something to put on the table for bits next month. So I just picked up this guy, slapped him on a 100 by 150, and uh, getting him ready to go. Got the base flocked. He's primed. He's assembled. So I guess I'm doing several projects at the same time. Uh, did you not fancy? Did you not fancy doing the the Bale Taurus for the destroyer until it arrives? I suppose I could, um, but but I mean the Bale Taurus exists as a model already, and that that sort of creates the question of what is it actually on the table? I mean, it yeah, looks like and it is a model, so I, I don't want people to say, "Well, I thought that was a Bale Taurus. What is that?" You know, so I, I just assume do the Balrog because there's absolutely no question it can't be anything else. I don't know. At some point, I was actually kind of considering using the Bale Taurus as what it is. Uh, it's like a mini destroyer in a way. It enjoys some of the same rules. So I was yeah, t- it's quite nice. Yeah, it really is not that bad. So I was tempted to actually try it for what it what it genuinely is. So I'm sort of holding off on using the model as anything else but what it actually represents. In the Arcanum book, um, Arcanum book even, the, the destroyer's got some options, hasn't it? You can... You can give the give it some upgrades, and one of them's aspect of the Taurus or something like that. So it gives some scope there to use the Taurus model as a destroyer. Well, oh, I didn't really? Think about that. I I don't recall. I I don't have the Arcana myself. David has it, so I'm not familiar with that rule. But 
I'll have to explore it. It's it's 325 points by itself. I have to admit, there's a part of me that fears to slap any more points on the model, especially now that people are starting to get used to it on my side of the pond. Uh, it's a lot of points to throw down to have to discover that someone's got the counter for it. What does the yeah? Sure, what, I can see that. I've got the book in front of me. What's the um, I'll read it to you. So yeah. we've got the. Razor horns, gore blades, dark colossus, and brazen wings. Okay. Um, there we go. Brazen wings. It's been infused with the sorcery and blood of a great Taurus, slain in the ritual supplication to her shut. Um, and it's got this fly special rule. Ooh. So basically, it gives it gives the destroyer the fly special rule, and they imply that they've, they've <laughs> well, killed that. I would probably killed die. a bale. <laughs> yeah, killed a bale Taurus in the summoning of the destroyer. So that that says to me, it's sort of. It's got some aspect of the, the Taurus involved with it. Yeah, that allows me to ignore that fast cavalry, just fly right over it and hit the thing behind it. That would be really crucial. How many points is that? 40. Mm. Oh, God. 365 points. Go for it. Well, and for, for 50, I mean, you can, you can may take one of the upgrades, which I, I think you wouldn't take fly. You'd take Dark Colossus. Which is what? Because it, it gives it the Colossal Beast special rule, which obviously means it can't be... Can't be one-shotted by a Dwellers or a, a Pit or a Purple Sun. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Hmm. That's awesome. That is one of the things that this thing is vulnerable to. Normally, it's it's immune to low-strength low hits uh, because it, you know, toughness 4 or less can't wound it unless it's a magical attack. But I've discovered that uh, Skaven with you know poisoned uh, shots kill it very easily because he's, you completely circumvent the wound roll, so it wounds automatically. So I, I yeah that, that would I don't know I, I I love the model but I'm I'm struggling now that people are getting used to it so I, there's at some point I'm gonna actually fade it out of my list for a time <laughs> to fade out <laughs> oh boy so what else have you done anything else well that's enough I've got the the 20 new hobgoblins that I'm converting right now cutting off their little scaven tails working on the, the hobgoblin wolf riders and the and the destroyer. So, just slowly painting away at them and trying to get them ready to go. I'm plugging away at my VC. Nice. Uh, okay, so what did I do this week? This week I did finish all 100 ghouls. They are done and done. Okay. So, <laughs> they got, uh, you know, I, I showed them to you and to Chris, you, and uh, you guys gave me suggestions, you know, go in and uh, do not some dry brush, but actually brush on some highlights. Uh, to make them stand off the base a little bit, to stand out a little bit, and it really worked. They really now, you know, they're much much brighter. I highlighted on the, the some some of the rotting flesh over the parts too, so they stand out. They look a lot nicer. Um, I have all two hundred and ten zombies painted, uh, but this this last week or since the last show, I went back in all the bases have a little green paint on them. Uh, I just kind of stippled it on over the rock. And I'm going to add little bits of green grass, and then I've been trying the water effect. I'm going to try to make my zombies. Uh, I don't know if you uh, if you've heard what I was doing with this Ben, but uh, I wanted like I've got green is like my theme running through my whole army, but the zombies don't have any real green on them, and the ghouls have a ton in the clothing, so I didn't want them to all have just green loincloths on because I'm using the mantic zombies and ghouls. So uh, for this to get some green in it, since it's none on the actual model. I did a little bit of green uh, stipple on the base, and I'm putting clear water effects over it, trying to make it look like they're walking out of a swamp or a bog. 
Okay, that's quite cool. I've never used the water effect, so it's something I should really get some experience with, but I've just never never had the need to. I ran over to the GW and grabbed one, and it was actually kind of expensive. Um, one of this this rather it's a nice sized bottle, but it's like I think it's ten ounces or twelve ounces. Uh, it's like twenty five bucks. Well, that'll last you a year. Well, not with 210 bases. I'm going to run through most of it, actually. Well, the one thing I notice is once you put it on, uh, it goes on. Everyone said it was really watery. And they're like, oh, you could buy it for a lot cheaper. You can go to a hobby store and buy it for, you know, they do it for train, hobby stuff. But everyone said I was going to have to build, like, a little, a little frame to put each model in because it would just run off the sides. But this Citadel water effect, it comes out kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, it's not. It's really just kind of thick and slimy, and I put it right up on the bases, right up to the edge, and it was thick, and nothing rolled off the edge. But uh, when it does dry, I put it. I put a couple of drops of uh, green, the Thraka green wash in it, just to give a tint to the to the water, not make it perfectly clear. But I think it's coming out pretty cool. And I've only got. I did. I did. I did seven of the bases last night with the water effect. So I've got two hundred and three to go. But once I've got that done, <laughs> once I've got that done, that's 350 models will be have have been painted this year by me. Once I get this done, nice. So I'm aiming for that in a year, and I reckon I'm a third of the way. So yeah, you're flying. Yeah, you. I saw I saw the thing where you you're posting. You know how many models you finished in the year. You know this. You know or, or, you know at least a model a day out of 365. And once I really started painting up these zombies and just going through the. You know the down the conveyor belt of you know next 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 because I was like screw all that small batch stuff I was just sitting down and <laughs> taking one you know okay I'm gonna do all the cloths all the loin cloths with the brown and the five hours later there's two hundred of them are all done it's like okay good done don't have to yeah, do that again I did seventy five zombies and I'm never gonna paint another zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I got two hundred ten. I keep, I, I keep eyeballing. I'm thinking another ninety would make it an even three hundred. Have you played any games with them? Oh yeah. I, and you're still painting more zombies. You think you, you need more? Well, you know what? Here it is. I have a couple of units. I'll put up a couple of units of like thirty. You know, but um, especially when I've been running, uh, when I was at Adepticon, I was doing it. I've been doing it to, with some success here at home as I've been running. You know, my level four necromancer, and if there's a corpse cart nearby, you can reroll that one die. So you're rolling 2d6 plus four zombies every time you cast invocation. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been playing in games where people are just pounding them, taking 20 of them off a turn, but then I can put back 16, 17, have another guy cast it. Um, and with 2d6, I've, I've literally had three units of 25 zombies turn into three units of 60 zombies. And so I don't need any more. I don't really think I need any more. Um, it's just sort of nice to have them, and they do make they do look nice when there's a whole mob of them just sitting on the on the on the table there. Yeah, I've found the vampire armies do look really nice at the moment. You you tend to find three or four big horde units, um, a big unit of monstrous infantry, a big knight unit, and another like a monstrous, whether it's a terrorgeist or a mortis engine or something like that. So the, the the vampire armies look great on the table. Yeah, I like them. Like I said, the zombies. It's it's funny because you got the zombies are are the they are they're the pit. They're the holders in place because you don't want to get anything. They lose so many. You can't bring another unit in there because sometimes they'll lose combat by fifteen. And you've got fifty in the units. So you could take it away, but then that unit of ten things off on the side. 
Well, you'll lose them just quickly, disappear. but they're very, very, very reliable because it is so easy to bring them back. Yeah. I mean, you can bring back in, in copious amounts. So if your opponent can't generate the hits or at least can't generate the wounds fast enough, you'll hold them there for a while. And that's that's nice. I mean, I can see why you want to take them. The other they're not going to do a, a lick of damage, but... You they know. do okay. They'll slowly grind down stuff if you can get a small I, unit against. You I would know. I would expect that they're going to do less than whatever counter unit you're going to throw in there. Oh sure, you know. But uh, still, they're a great anvil. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? It's kind of funny because you get the mortis engineer, them and suddenly they're getting a six up regen save. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that's like giving them a parry. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's something considering that they normally have nothing. I mean, it, they've I've been using them to pretty decent effect. Not that I've been winning a ton of my games. Well, not at Adepticon, but I've been winning some of the you know our garage games. And uh, I don't know. I like it, but then again, you know, I'm rolling the Mortis Engineer too, so I got to have plenty of. Uh, well, you're, you're taking the challenges now. Yes. I suppose we should get into that when we talk about our games. But yeah, you're taking, uh, you're taking those models that. Other people are saying aren't very good, and you're throwing them in your army on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know Ben. You heard uh, a couple episodes ago, Dan Helan was talking about um, how he said, "I don't think you're going to see uh, if, if at all this year. You won't see anyone going to a major GT with a vampire lord on a coven throne." Ah, uh, didn't he say only idiots will take it? I think he did, and I'm <laughs> that idiot. Um, <laughs> No, you know what? Yeah, it's 220. Yeah, it's to the own, isn't it? It's a nice figure. So It's gorgeous, but the, the Lord's 220 with no with no add-ons for vampiric powers or uh, uh, items, and then the throne is 230. So he's already 450. We're playing at Bits, uh, Blood in the Sun next month, and uh, 600 points worth of Lord characters, and I've got exactly 600 points on this guy on the coven throne i hope he works <laughs> well i'm excited to see you use it for if for no other reason well, it's fun it's fun to see it you know yeah. i mean it's a cool looking model it's going to be on the table and even if it is a terrible choice what it's going to force you to do is sink or swim find a way to make it work anyway you know i mean you're you're going to have to come up with a strategy for it and i'm looking forward to seeing what to what you come up with yeah well i'm coming so, up with some pretty simple off the bat yes yes ben what what ben johnson did with his skaven was played the Vermin Lord, and it's not quite the same because. Um, well, it's not a terrible choice. It's, it's a just bit not, cheaper. It's not as good as other choices, but it still works. And um, but he found he ended up playing it as he spent most of the games hiding behind buildings or something <laughs> like that, um, and casting magic and sort of threatening. You know, it's, no one's going to want to turn the flank to a vampire lord on Coven Throne charging in, are they? So it it controls a bit of the board space. Um, it keeps its points safe. It's still. Um, is it a large target as well? Does it give? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, eighteen inch range on his leadership. I suppose it doesn't matter really for the vampires, but that one is going to have things like that. That one you can't hide behind a building. It's a little too hefty. I mean, unless it's Witch Fate Tor, I suppose. But otherwise, it's not going to hide behind much. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Considering I have that and the Mortis engine in the list, so I've got two of those puppies rolling around the table. You're taking ah, them you both. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking them both. Put it behind the Mortis engine. At least the cannonball will stop if, the mortis, <laughs> you if it doesn't are, kill the Mortis engine. You are a madman. I need the Mortis engine because I don't have a Lord-level Necromancer, so I've got my level 2 Necromancer. The Mortis engine with the Blasphemous Tome gives plus 2 to all casting attempts for casting Lore of Vampires. So, Can you get two Mortis engines? Uh, you, I'm just thinking how it'll look on the table with the, the three towers. It'll look great. <laughs> 
could squeeze in a second Morris engine, they would be buying it and painting it would be the problem. And why don't you, Dave? Be- because I don't need a third one. Here, wait, let's do this. Only idiots would take a Stop second. It. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The Coven Throne, it's got uh, the, the Handmaidens. They're, uh, they're, they got ASF for their two attacks. It's a large target. 2d6 random attacks from the Spirit Horde. Uh, the Spectral Steeds. Uh, so it can move just like you know, like Black Knights, uh, undead. Are you are you trying to justify the Coven Throne? I like the Coven Throne. Well, he's taking it. You better, you better, you better make peace with it because he's taking it. It's got a four up ward, and I'm telling you that Battle of the Wills is going to come in handy. I'm going to be running that guy up with my my leadership ten vampire lord running up on it. Maybe bring some Black Knights to run up alongside it to add the extra punch. He's got my vampire's got the minus one causing terror. So I hope my opponent didn't him. take any cannons. Oh, and nuts! They did. Well, the, yeah, but you know, I can get up there pretty quick. I can get into combat pretty quick. And if they're shooting at that, they're not shooting at the crypt they horrors or the things that you owe me. Well, here's here's my theory. I went zero and four at Adepticon with my army without it. Now I'm going to add it in. It can't get any worse. (laughs) If I win more games and pits than I won at Adepticon, I have scientifically proven that the Coven Throne is a good choice. Isn't that right? I think so. Sure. (laughs) You'll give me that one. Okay, thank you. Just remember, you need to keep saying, Dan Helan made me do it. (laughs) I think you should make a T-shirt that says that. Dan Helan made me do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That'll be the T-shirt I wear to bits. There you go. That's the shirt I'm going to get. Well, to keep the show moving, we should go to the next section, which would be reading. Um, Christopher, have you done any? Reading? No, not this week. Nothing nothing special. I I picked up uh, some of the old rules offline from from Kings of War. Uh I mentioned in the last show that after Adepticon, I'm really enthusiastic to play Kings of War again. They're going to be here in the States next year, Dan. Or, um, excuse me, uh, Ben. They're going to (laughs) be. No, no, no. I know who you are. They're going to have a uh, a Kings of War. Silence on that end. Yeah, he's pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We're going to have a Kings of War tournament here, and I I, want to play it. So I've been sort of going over the rules for that. I don't know if that counts as reading per se, but sort of. In fact, I think they're going to come out with the rules for Kings of War, the actual hardcover book next month. Oh, I'm so excited for that because it's going to add all the fluff back in. So I'm trying to brush up on the rules. Um, But in a nutshell, that's it. Dave, how about you? Um, I'm reading Mechanicum. And I actually had it put aside for a couple of, like for a month, I haven't picked it up because of... uh, Now, what is that? What is Mechanicum? It's the ninth book in the Horus Heresy series. Oh, see, I'd want to shoot myself. It's uh, it's on Mars. It's basically the it's the civil war on Mars to decide if they're going to side with the Emperor Horus, and it's really cool. This uh, one I'm really enjoying. Okay, um, but I'm about two thirds of the way through it. I read like the first fifty pages and had to stop because we were doing Hunger Games and all that other stuff for school. Uh, and I've got actually finals coming up in two weeks, so my reading's going to get severely cramped again. But I'm almost done. That's all I've been reading. What about you, Ben? Um, so I've not really done anything sort of proper reading this month the last one i read was the uh the night watch uh audio book by sergi lukanenko i've um, read I, all I got three that from, of those books yeah i got that from audible and i thought it was cracking so um i don't actually read much at all anymore i used to i used to really read a lot um but now it's it's strictly audio books so if i don't if i don't get it on audio i, I won't bother um although i have had a couple through 
Um, I've just had ninja bread, punishment of the dice gods. Do you guys know what ninja bread is? No. <clears throat> okay, so um, it's like a blog online, and he, I think every Friday he'll put a comic strip up, um, just uh, two or three scenes of uh, 40K, basically. Oh, it's quite funny. That, yeah. <clears throat> He's just released a book called Punishment of the Dice Gods, so I dropped him a tweet and says, send one over, I'll review it on the show and give it away as a prize. So that arrived this week, so I've had a quick flick through that, um, and yeah, it's good, I'm enjoying it so far. So that's Punishment of the Dice Gods um, by Ninja Bread. So it's ninjabread.co.uk, so nice free plug for in there. Um, and then I've had the, the Black Library, latest Black Library press pack through, that arrived yesterday. So I've got the Sigmar trilogy, um, all in one book. Um, oh, I've nice. had the Priest, Priest of Mars by Graham McNeil and Malediction, which is the I don't know if it's a Horus Heresy one. No, it's just um, <clears throat> just a forty k audio book. Um, so I'll definitely be listening to that one. Um, but yeah, I do like the the. You said you listened to you read Mechanicum. I've not actually read that one. I started on the the Horus Heresy series reading them, and then I I think I stopped before I got to there, and I've started again with the audio books and I'm up to, um, I've done, I'm doing them as they come out. So I don't think, um, that one's out yet. Yeah, no, they're only up to like five or six right now. Cause <clears throat> I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to them. I know that a lot of them, they've been coming out with them abridged and I'm like kind of sad. I'm like, I like the unabridged yeah. books. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm holding off for the unabridged versions and I'll be picking them up because, uh, <clears throat> uh like I said, I, I love them and I listen to a lot of audio books. So, yeah, so I've got here, I've got Galaxy in Flames, False Gods, um, Horse Rising, and then the, the Thousand Suns duo of the, what was it, Thousand Suns and Prosper Burns. Right. So that's where I am with them at the moment. Those are good. Gotta love Black Library. I do. <laughs> They've been getting a lot of my reading time. I wish they'd start doing some audio books for the Warhammer series, though. I agree. I agree. Um, I think that uh, either, in fact, I think the Nagash trilogy would make a great, a great listen. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. I know they did an Aryan, um, and we had Gav Thorpe on at the time to sort of talk about that. And it, it, but it was an audio drama. It was, it was just a, a ninety-minute one, maybe even less than that. Yeah, they um, did that was, with Gotrek and Gotrek and Felix as well. <clears throat> okay, so. Uh, I guess we're done with reading. So, uh, gaming. Ben, have you uh, have you been playing games recently? Have you ever played um, Warhammer? I... Are you familiar with the game? Have you played... <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Um, I played probably fourteen games this month. I think, Holy including what's that's one tournament, six games with two games on the Friday, um, one game since then, and then a few. I think five games. I think in the run up to that. So yeah, I've been busy this month. Yeah. Um, Any highlights? Yeah. So I was using the Cold One Night Unit, fourteen knights, two dreadlords, Hydrabanner BSB, um, another hero in there with a pendant. Um, the dreadlords were kitted out. One had magic resistance five. Um, the other had the glittering scales and cloak of darkness. Ring Wait of a minute, darkness. How combo. the hell do you get magic resistance five? Dark elves cheat. <laughs> we'll get to that. We, well, funnily get, enough, they, they have, there's a good podcast I know that are doing a Dark Elf book review. Maybe they'll cover it in the review. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I play with the covered throne. <laughs> I forgot about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, the Dark Elves get access to the Null Talisman, which they can take points, in and you can, yeah, you can stack oh, them. Oh, okay. Like, Magic Resistance 5, 2-up ward save against pretty much 
<laughs> any spell. Christ. Yep. <laughs> um, so <laughs> all that's in one unit, and the, the idea is you push the bus at people until they cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not big and it's not clever, but it was fun. Uh, and it, it was actually quite fun. I, I wasn't – I've, I've been – a bit down on the dark house recently. Um, we'll, again, we'll talk about that later. But I think that they're just starting to go down the wrong side of the power curve now. They've, they've, they've gone up. They've been there at the top for a couple of years, and now they're going down. Um, and I can talk about why later. But the, the, the list I take, I took was, I think it was still up there. It's It can fight anything. Um, it's got some bad matches. But for the most part, if you, at a tournament, you play to the meta game. And I took it to beat Ogres. Um, and I did for the most part. I lost to the legend that is Ben Diesel. Um, I, I was, I, it was bad dice, I'd say, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but he, he took a risk and got extremely lucky and got a big win out of it. And that was that. That was the end of the tournament, really. Um, and then the last game I ended up playing. If I'd have won game five, I'd have been playing table one against Ogres again. Um, and I'd already beaten, if I'd beat Ben Diesel as well, I'd have beaten... That would have been my fifth Ogre play of the weekend, and it would have been four wins so far. Uh, so I'd have been confident. As it was, I moved down the tables, and I played Lizard Men on a board with three 12-foot square buildings, um, and it was bad. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I, I lost that one 13-7 and then finished around 20th, I think. So, um, But then I played Lizard Men again since then, this week, um, a chap called Andy Barnes, and he's running... Two slan, um, loads of skirmishes, loads of pterodons, that sort of thing, and I got a good win against him. And just got got the slan, um, got the Saurus unit at the end. Kept casting the uh, minus one to hit from the heaven spell, and minus one to hit from um, not minus one to hit um, weapon skill ten, speed of light on the Saurus. So all of a sudden I'm hitting on fours with a minus one. It's fives to hit him. I just couldn't do the damage to break the steadfast on the Saurus. So. I was stuck there for like three rounds of combat before I eventually got him. So it could have been a bigger win, but his magic just kept him in there. Oh, that sounds aggravating. I'm so so ogres all over the place in tournaments. Sounds a little bit like the United States. We're seeing a lot yes. of that right now. It's it's definitely the bandwagon. Well, Christopher came in when we were at Adepticon. We were playing in the team tournament, and he's like, they ought to just call this the and ogres tournament. Well, they're everywhere. The team tournament in Adepticon is uh, two persons per side. One person plays one army, another plays the other. And it seemed like... Maybe a third of the armies out there, one half of it were ogres. So, I think it might have even been more than that. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't calculate. But yeah, so we've had a couple of we had the South Coast, um, which is 160 ish players, and that was um, I think it was 20 ogres, maybe more, um, and then 106 at Call to War, and that was 17, I think, ogres. Mm. Um, so big numbers. Yeah. Well, they're popular, and they seem to do very well. <laughs> no kidding. And they're easy to paint. Yeah. None of those tiny, people, tiny details. Everyone's, everyone's got ogres as well. They've all, you know what I mean? You've all, everyone, when ogres first came out, they if they were this powerful, it would have been crazy back then because they, they were wildly different when they first hit. There was nothing like, nothing like that in Warhammer. Um, so they do have a good attraction to them. So when they've come again and they're a lot better and they're good models, it's it's easy for people to pick them up. Yeah, I, yeah. Heck, I've got an army of them. I just I, in fact, when they came out, I was thinking, oh, I need, I need to paint these. Going to need to play them. They're finally coming out. And then everybody grabbed them, and I was in the middle of my VC. I'm like, I'm just going to stick with my VC and keep playing. 
Because they were, they're literally everywhere. Just Ugh. about. Yeah, everybody's got them. All right. How about you, Dave? Do you have, have you played any games? No, no. In fact, I've been just working on our campaign, trying to keep that rolling and get things uh, moving through. But uh, I've just been running the campaign. I haven't gotten a chance to play anything. Uh, for myself, I played electronically a game of Blood Bowl. We were in our league. And for Warhammer, I played uh, our campaign game, My Chaos Dwarves versus Chris Hughes, Orcs and Goblins. Now, this is sort of a rematch, sort of a grudge now at this point. Uh, we played our first game, and I lost by, I think, 200 points because of the one mistake, that critical mistake I made in turn six. So for this one, I wanted to turn it around. Uh, 2,300 points. My list is more or less, the Castorf list I have, it doesn't change. 100 points is the difference between whether or not you're carrying great weapons. Yeah. Um, the list is just that expensive. So a big block of, you know, the Hobgoblins, uh, my Chaos Dwarves, because it was 2,300 points, I think I had to strip them down to hand weapon and shield. Um, I have a big block of 30. So with those guys, if you take the great weapons, that's 100 points right there. Uh, Destroyer, Iron Demon, which is Hellbound, the Magma Cannon, the Death Rocket, and a whole bunch of guys on Wolves. Against uh, what you'd expect from orcs and goblins, except it wasn't. Uh, normally, he's <laughs> been taking a lot of orcs, a lot of savages. Uh, right. And this time around, there wasn't an orc on the table. They were all goblins. <laughs> Man. So I was outnumbered pretty badly. And, the, you know, manglers, um, two giants, two giants. When was the last time you saw that? <laughs> and the funny thing is, here's what I learned. Uh, the highlight of the game was the, the giants completely owned, and I didn't expect it to happen. I had a destroyer and my iron demon and one. You're going to love this, Ben. Listen to this. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> I didn't see this coming because I kind of forgot the rules of what happens when a giant fights a big target because you don't see them. So <laughs> the iron demon saddles right up to my... Uh, or the giant saddles up to one of my iron demons, and he rolls the result where he just does 2d6 wounds. Yeah. Bang. <laughs> iron demon dead. No, no problem. Like, it didn't even... He didn't even phase it. Um, so, so there's one, there's a 310 point model down the drain from a giant. And, um, I don't know if you're familiar with how the destroyer works, but on turn two, it's got to take a toughness test. So I rolled the six, unfortunately, fail my toughness test, does D3 wounds. So now I'm down from six wounds to three, just on top of turn two. It's killing itself. Uh, saddles up to the giant and I go first. I do, I think all but one wound to the giant and the thing turns around and does, um, What's the result? A headbutt, right? So he does a wound, and suddenly I can't attack next round. Then the next round, it wins by two. I crumble. I'm dead. Yeah, I got yelling ball. Auto win by two. So so I go from an iron demon and a destroyer on my right flank, which I thought was pretty solid, to suddenly I got nothing on my right flank. So I'm panicking at this point. Except two giants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to turn it around. Um, the death rocket, well, what's it called now? The death shrieker. I was able to pinpoint it and kill a giant that way. And uh, I always babysit my my artillery with a with a demon smith, and he's got a fireball. So I was able to just barf out a supersized fireball and kill the other giant. But uh, I, I had a moment of panic. I'm like, I can't believe I just lost my 600-plus points of Chaos Dwarf badness to two giants. You lost over a quarter of your army oh, to, yeah. to two giants. Oh, I, was, I was freaking, for sure. I was freaking <laughs> out. <laughs> Um, I will say, though, that Hobgoblins, they do one of two things. They either die miserably or they do surprisingly well. And Hobgoblins can beat the crud out of out of uh, Night Goblins. Oh, yeah. So I took for this one Lore of Death. I just you know lowered their strength and toughness to two. And my Hobgoblins had two hand weapons each, and they were able to butcher their way through. So 
fun game. It was a it was a template war. Uh, bad Moon, <laughs> a super powered Bad Moon kills Chaos Dwarves very quickly because the initiative of my entire army is about two. Yeah, and then I was able to barf out Purple Suns through him, which didn't do quite as much damage, but it still does plenty. So between the templates, it ended up being I think a three hundred point game in my favor. I was finally able to kill his. Uh, his uh, general, he had a level 4 that was running away. The level 2 was dead. I killed all his chaff. Um, Hobgoblin wolf riders are critical because with all those stupid manglers out there, I, I needed to just sacrifice them and keep them from bowling through my cast dwarves. It was a brutal, bloody, nasty game, and I had to do a double take when I saw giants do as well as they did. <laughs> so it's funny because considering how many... Uh, potential large targets there are. Giants aren't such a bad choice anymore. I, I still think that they're ridiculous to take at a tournament, but they did... After looking at the chart of what they do against large targets, it's almost reliable. Yeah. So, <laughs> especially with... Giants. Everyone's got a good giant story. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the Tempest events, the Unseen Local Run. I've heard of that. Um, I, I don't... Um, I've obviously never been there because it's in another country. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I didn't know if you'd seen the rules pack, though. Every year they try and do something a bit different. I say every year. Every event, they run three or four. What their latest thing is, is everyone gets a free giant. So in, in addition to your normal army, you also get a giant. Um, and so, obviously, there's a lot of giant stories going around because all these giants are in action. And also, all the magic, every number six spell is um, is substituted for a spell called Alakazam. And this summons a giant, so you, it's like um, um, you choose a you choose a unit in range, um, cast a spell, giant goes into combat. Um, however, there's only one of these giants for the whole tournament. So someone screams Alakazam, and Bobo will run to the table where the giant is, grab it, run to the next table where they cast a spell and put the giant down. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys are just sitting around screaming Alakazam and he's running all over the place. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Um, so Sounds like a good tournament to, to be a through. spectator. Once you cast a spell, you have to speed through your shooting phase then to try and get to combat in case Alakazam, dis someone else casts it before you get to use use the combat. Um, <laughs> so so it's, it's mad. Um, and obviously there's some great stories from that. And obviously me being... A bit of a bugger, I suppose you could say. Me and my opponent had cottoned on to the fact that we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait for our magic phase, we'll cast a spell, and then we'll keep quiet, see who else screams it. Then as soon as they've screamed it, we'll scream it two seconds after and look at the faces and see the disappointment. And we did this a few, <laughs> a few turns in a row, even to the point where I was letting him cast his, his spell to get his giant into combat with my stuff, and I knew it would die. Even because I just wanted to see the look on other people's faces when we stole the giant off him. And then Bobo cottoned onto it, and he told us off. Told us he was naughty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, listen, uh, I think we fit, wrapped up the garage manager section. Let's take a break. We'll come back, and we'll jump into the Dark Elf review. Sounds like a plan to me. Is your name a killing word? Is your mother a hamster and your father smells of elderberries? Did it turn out that those were the droids you were looking for? If you know what I'm talking about, chances are you're a gamer. What better place to get your game on than the Game Preserve? The Game Preserve specializes in analog games of all types, like board games, family games, chess sets and jigsaw puzzles, and especially hobby games. 
They carry the complete GW line as well as Magic the Gathering, D&D, and Heroclix. They have gaming space for tournaments, game nights, and demo games just about any night of the week. So stop shopping at the Jerk Store and be one of the gaming elite. And visit the Game Preserve with four Indiana locations to choose from. Two in Indianapolis, one in Bloomington, and one in the gaming capital of the universe, Lafayette, Indiana. Visit them at GamePreserveStores.com or call 765-448-4200. Game Preserve. If you're not shopping here, the only winning move is not to play. We're back. We are back, 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 back. I need to have something heavy to throw at you. You have something heavy. Throw your uh, throw your Kadai Destroyer at me. I dare you. I don't think I'm going to do it. Uh, I didn't think so. We are back, folks, and we're still here with Ben Curry. He hasn't left yet. So <laughs> Thanks for sticking it out, Ben. Yeah, no kidding. It's so good. I'm having a good time. It's fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we move on to the Dark Elf uh, Army, uh, Dark Elf Army review, uh, we did want to mention uh, the two local tournaments that are coming up around here. Uh, one is Bits, Blood in the Sun. Everybody knows about it. June uh, 22nd through 24th is pretty much the well, 23rd and 24th. The 22nd, we're all going to be there that Friday night. Most of us are going to be there Friday night for some open gaming and drinking. I'm even going to be there Friday night. Ooh. Turns out that Heather has the Hunger Games convention, and she's taking Harrison. So I'm dropping the girls off at Grandma and Grandpa. I have the whole weekend free. Hunger Games convention? Yes. Uh, that's where you can go and meet other Hunger Games fans and get your books autographed by the authors and the uh, get stuff autographed by the actors in the movies. And but you have by the end of the convention, only one person leaves. Everyone else is dead. Yes. Okay. <laughs> When's <Yeah>. this? <laughs> it's here in Chicago in uh, June. The third, third or fourth weekend in June. I think Gareth might want to be there. He's oh. got a major crush on the dude um, in the movie. Oh, really? Is, yeah, the the guy plays the main role. I can't remember his name oh, now. Peter. That's him. Yeah. You know, uh, Blood in the Sun is going to be on that weekend, and um, it's going to be a good time. And there is still the the waiting list is kind of short, and there was several you know people things come up in the summer. So I would say get on the waiting list if you got a chance, folks. Now, good friend Brian Steele is actually going to be at Bits this year. From what I understand, he's going to be doing the demo for the Dark Age Miniatures game. Yep. Have you ever heard of the Dark Age Miniature game, uh, Ben? No. No. It's. Uh, have you ever played Warzone or Chronopia from back in 94 to 96? Any of those games? No. Nope. Then again, you were, <laughs> I don't think you were born yet, were you? Yeah. <laughs> 82, child of the 80s. Oh, oh yeah, boy. no, I think you were uh, you were probably still watching Saturday morning cartoons back then. Yeah, sounds about right. Damn youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, it's a it's a skirmish style miniature game where each miniature or each group of miniatures is activation based. It's a lot of fun. It's done by Cool Mini or not. And uh, at Blood in the Sun this year, Brian's going to come by and do a demo of the game. I think on Friday night. And I think he's got door prizes. Uh, he's going to be there all weekend. He's oh, gonna... I love doors. But don't boom. <sighs> you are such a tool. <laughs> I'm the whole shed. Oh, good. Oh, for Christ's sake. Uh, let's move along. Invasion Kenosha. Invasion Kenosha in uh, what July is it? 14th. S- Salem, Wisconsin. Salem, Wisconsin. Yep. 
Now, I think that's going to be the same weekend as is it Buckeye Battles. Is that correct? It might be, yeah. Okay. So I want to say that's the weekend of the 14th. I think yeah. it originally was planned to be the whole weekend. Now it sounds like it's just going to be Saturday. Well, it's always been a one-day event, and I know John had talked about making a big three-day event out of it, but there's so many events right around that time. Right. I think he's keeping it. Plus, his formula works. It's a simple three three-round, one-day event. He's got Warhammer. He's got 40K going. But there's so much. There's raffles and yes. painting contests, and and at this point, I think for, it's twenty bucks, and the value for your money is huge. It's yeah. an all day event. You're, uh, yeah, there's, you're, there's breakfast, there's lunch, there's swag bag, there are prizes, there's raffle, there's gaming. It's terrific. Yeah, for and it, yeah, it's, it's twenty five right now. It was the, the twenty five. Early registration was twenty, okay. but early registration is over. So okay. Fair but enough. If you're in the Chicagoland area or Wisconsin area type stuff, you could do a lot worse than head over to Invasion Kenosha. It's great. I mean, Buckeye Battles is great, too, and if you're in the Ohio area, I'm not saying don't go to Buckeye Battles, but I'm saying if you're right here and you've got only one day, because like, I can take Harrison to that one, too, because it's one day. I love it. I'm, I'm excited because this is one of the few uh, local tourneys that actually has individual painting contests. Yes. As opposed to just the Army painting. Right. Which is something I feel like I can actually compete in. Yeah. So... It's it's really cool. It's really it's it's good stuff. Yeah, Ben, I am a uh, I'm a terrible army painter, but I'm a great individual miniature painter. So painting an army to me is torture. I uh, I'm one of those occasional hobbyists where I'll I'll sit down for about a month and I'll get an army ready to go, and then I won't want to pick up a brush for six months because painting two hundred guys makes me want to die. I just I, <laughs> oh I can't do it. I don't know how you guys do it, but uh, I need to take breaks. But individual models, those I love. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> anyway, so it, those, is, oh, it is nice to paint some single models now and again. To me, it's refreshing because you feel like you can put as much effort into it as you possibly want, and you know that you've covered every square millimeter of the model, and you know it's exactly the way you want. You feel really satisfied. At least I do. That's that's where I get yeah. my satisfaction. That, the, hey, the mortise engine was the thing keeping me sane amongst the zombie world. Yeah, I mean, because it reminds you, you know what? I really can do this when I put my mind to it. I really can paint well. When you do an army, you feel like everything is rushed and nothing is to your satisfaction level. At least, I guess that's how I feel when I paint. Yes, but, yes. Okay, so Dark Elves. She's uh, not. I actually started playing Warhammer. I think just at the time this book came out. Yeah, the, this book just came out, and I had gotten back into it because I had taken an extended break from Warhammer uh, for most of Sixth Edition. Right, and we started playing again once the Dark Elf, the new Dark Elf, the Seventh Edition Dark Elf uh, book came out in Seventh Edition. So I think it was a 2009, I believe it was. I'm looking for the 2008. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been playing. Yeah, for five years now I've been playing. But so I never knew the Dark Elves before they were this, like the the last edition, the one everyone complained about when they got this edition and said, "Don't complain that we're at the top of the heap. We've sucked for years." It's true. The sixth edition Dark Elf book was a so real. Kick I in actually the got into Warhammer the first time the first book came out. Yeah. So when did you start playing? I started playing. Games Workshop full stop in about 95, 96, which was about the time the first actual Dark Elf Army book was released. So that was when I picked up Dark Elves. Um, so, yeah, I've been a long-time Dark Elf player and wow. a total fanboy. So the 95, 96, that was a fifth edition, I believe. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I started, I think, in tail end of fourth when Chaos Orbs are still on the shelf. So, yeah, you've been playing Dark Elves then pretty much your whole career then. Yeah, I've always played Dark Elves. I've always had a Dark Elf army. I've played a few other races in between, but I've always gone back to the Dark Elves. 
Cool. Let's see. Now, back then, I think they still had Beastmasters. The cold ones were... They weren't the pot-bellied ones, but rather they had, like, horns on their noses. There were uh, a, lot, a lot of differences between the, what the, the way the army looked then and the way they look now. I don't think the, the plastic guys existed yet. You got plastic warriors with, like, a, a single plastic sword... Um, your Corsairs could take crossbows, things like that. Yeah. Um, right. You had all the normals. Your Dark Riders were add your fire and flee rule where you could you could shoot and then flee and then so you could choose to to shoot and run away. It which was is quite nice. It was effectively like sort of what feigned flight is now. But yeah, they had specific rules. Yeah. They were the only ones who could do it at the time. Yeah. And then the sixth edition book came out. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a turkey. Oh my gosh! It was yeah, it was weak. It was, was it? Well, the, the thing is, um, you know how I complain sometimes that the dark elves lack strength at the core level, right? Imagine if the whole army was like that, and that's effectively what we've got. So the entire army was strength three, toughness three, almost. Uh, even the swordmasters, even with the, I mean, not swordmasters, even the uh, executioners, they had they had strength three. The cold one riders, they were strength three. <sighs> so it was really difficult to generate the high-strength attacks you needed to deal with certain targets. Back then, you didn't see toughness higher than 6 on most targets. Everything seemed to be toughness 6. Okay. That was sort of the cap. But even so, you were going to have trouble cracking those nuts. I mean, they were oh yeah, they, they were just a weak army. Plenty of attacks, but no eternal hatred, so you weren't getting the reroll mechanic. I just remember them coming out, and everybody suddenly was playing them. Because it was the big to-do. New models were coming. Everything was coming out right when I started playing. It was Dark Elf, Dark Elf, Dark Elf, Dark Elf. And uh, I mean, they're they they were they're a good army. I mean, what made you choose them, Ben? Why them uh, as opposed to any other army? Have you seen the front of the fifth edition book? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Imagine, never mind. Yeah, imagine yeah. a thirteen-year-old walking into a games workshop it's a witch store. Elf. I was going to say it's a witch elf. <laughs> it's a witch elf. Yeah, you'd open it up. There's this, actually this full-color picture of a witch elf, which was pretty revealing. See, now the funny thing is, is you know, Morgan wants to start playing Warhammer. My yes. daughter, my daughter Ben wants to start playing. She's nine, and I told her when she can, you know, read the rule books on her own, so she can learn the rules, and uh, when she can write up her own army list, you know, by hand without army builder and and do the math, she can play. And she's pretty much at the point where this summer she wants to start playing. She's got it all down. And uh, she's like, oh, I like this. Uh, she looks at the Dark Elf book and the, even the new one. She sees the, the I don't know if that's Marathi or just a witch elf in the background there on the cover. Oh, these ones are very pretty. You know, they've got some pretty girl models in this one. And she's like, I think I want to play Dark Elves. And I was like, nope. Well, she's like, why? I'm like, because you can't read the book. Because there is almost 40 pages of fluff in this book. And the first 10 or 15 is like the story of how the Dark Elves were formed, which we'll get to. But then after that, it's just all PG-13 stuff. Really, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's good stuff for us. But I'm like, yeah, I don't want my nine-year-old reading this. It is one of the better stories as opposed to many of the armies out there. I have to say, this one's pretty juicy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some great stuff in there. But I, So she's she's actually going with Empire. Not that because the new book's coming out, but because she liked the look of it. She's like, I think I just want to play the human people. But, yeah, it's uh, a good start anyway, Empire. They do a bit of everything. Exactly. So, yes. But we're not here to talk about the Empire. No, no we are not. About the Dark Elves, everyone's favorite. No. So, go ahead. Where do you want to start? Uh, I wanted just to cover a little quick bit of the fluff because they put out a lot, lot of stuff in the last year from Black Library, and I just want to cover the beginning of the fluff. The uh, for anyone who, has, who who skips and goes right to the points sections. 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know the the dark elf history. They kind of served the uh, old ones a bit. They learned about civilization and magic from the old ones, and then when the stargates collapse and chaos starts pouring through, you know they're fighting this losing battle. There's this never ending horde of chaos coming through. Um, you talking about the point where the dark elves weren't dark, the dark elves, elves? They were, were not just dark elves. elves. No, what happened? Yeah, they were just elves. You've got a Narian who uh, it becomes their leader. He's like the greatest elf warrior ever. The first Phoenix King. The first Phoenix King. Uh, interesting stuff in the fluff about how they're constantly praying to the gods for help and they're making sacrifices and not getting it. There seems to be a history of even sacrifices in, in times of need with the high elves. A Narian, in despair almost, sacrifices himself to the flames of Assyrian in, in hope for help. Well, it's the, it's the drawing of the of Cain's sword that effectively is the birth of the Dark Elves. Right. Uh, but I'm just saying, when he goes to him, becomes the Phoenix King at first. It's like he gets the blessings of him. It describes him as light coming out of his eyes and stuff like that. Almost reminds you of a Grail Knight at some point. He's been purified. Uh, but even with all this, and with Kalidor Dragon Tamer at his side, they cannot fight and stop these demons, and so he yeah, he goes to the uh, he goes to the blighted isle and takes the sword of Cain, takes Widowmaker, thereby cursing his bloodline forever. Um, that's the start of the downfall. The next, I think, the most important moment in the fluff is when he finds out that the Ever Queen's been killed, his wife, mm-hmm. and his children are missing. Um, and the book actually describes it as he turns it, that 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 fire for you know to cleanse the world of these demons turns into just hatred for them and he just wants to kill them all now it's it becomes it moves from being i have to stop this for the good of the world as to i'm going to kill them all and that 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 seed of hatred kind of forms um he gets with marathi i don't know ben have you read the book the blood of an Aryan by any chance from black library yet um no i've not read that one yet i've read the all the the um sundering series um, obviously, I've read everything pretty much that's been produced for the Dark Elves. Yes, yeah, um, but I've not not gotten around to the blood of, blood of an Aryan yet. You you should pick it up. I mean, granted, it's it's Tyrion and Teclas, but uh, I've got it. I've got it here. There's a whole right in front of me, <laughs> but um, I've not got around to reading it. It's uh, I'll I'll say this: the two things I really liked about it. The first, maybe ten percent of the book, is the night before the final battle that Anarian fights while Kalidor is putting together the vortex to pull all the extra chaos energy out of the world. Um, One of the things I was telling Christopher about this before, one of the things you read in the Dark Elf book, and it's like, oh, you know, he was so depressed over losing his wife, and he was all upset. And then he met this Marathi, who everyone has said was a sorceress and evil. And we don't even know if he really liked her or not, but he married her and had a kid with her. And I'm like, wait, this makes absolutely no sense. And you read that part from Blood of Anarian. What what part makes no sense? uh, Just that he was just like... He seemed to be such a good leader and such a, I mean, this lead, and it's like, and he loved the Ever Queen so much. He was doing all this good. And suddenly it's like, she's gone. So he just marries this one that everyone is like, oh, she's evil. She's evil. And she's corrupting you. She's so obviously evil. I don't know. The nature of men and women, I think it makes perfect sense. Sometimes a girl <laughs> just looks really good in a dress. And the next thing you know. Well, that's kind of what's interesting about it. Because if you're reading it, he's, he's holding the sword of Cain in his tent. And he's basically saying not only was he a, was he emotionally drained from all this fighting mm-hmm. but the sword of Cain is constantly like whispering in his in his head to tell him to kill more things kill kill and it's basically drained all friendly emotions out of him he is like an empty husk and he actually looks he's like he knows Marathi's not any good he actually knows she's probably behind some of the problems he just doesn't care it's this great part in the book you need to read it to get the full effect I'm not doing it justice by explaining it 
but it's really cool. <laughs> it really adds another layer to this story that uh, I found really interesting. Hmm. And basically, after that, you know, he sacrifices himself. Uh, they win this battle. They set up the vortex, and then Malekith is not made king. It goes to Belshinar, and this is where Malekith actually. Oh, we're skipping ahead, so we're talking about Anarian's son, Malekith. Yes, who is who's a noble prince. Yeah, I think I think you've missed a couple of bits there. So oh, I'm I'm trying to keep <laughs> it quick and get to the actual <laughs> army know. review. But okay. no. well, long and short of it is he he travels out to the uh, to the old world. He meets up with the dwarves. He he said you know he. Uh, I guess that I guess Gav Forp does a pretty good job in. He becomes really good friends with the dwarves, which is why when he actually starts the War of the Beard, it seems even more sinister because it's the one time in yeah, the. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. I do love that part. Well, it's the one time in the Sundering series. I think Malekith actually cries when the when his friend the dwarf king finally when he he comes back and he's dying. He's waiting to see his. You know he's a, he he was he started off as a as a as a dwarf friend and. It's it, it, it well, just to build it up, Malekith wasn't always evil. No. Uh, I mean, he's he's cursed by the line of uh, Anarian. However, initially, he was quite a noble prince. Well, that, I mean, he, you know, the, the, what they call the arrogance that the elves seem to have, and I'm using air quotes for arrogance, that sort of, uh, Malekith has it in spades. He really does. His mother, his father raising him to be a, a leader and a warrior, and his mother basically whispering in his ear constantly that he is, you know, the greatest of them all and teaching him all this sorcery. He was pretty much brought up you know, being told he's the greatest in the world and believing it and, you know, proving it many times. So uh, it's it's no surprise when he... Uh, but he's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily just strict arrogance. It's more Wagnerian in nature. I mean, he's the greatest because he is. You know, is it arrogance when you are as good as you think? Uh, I guess, yeah, I, yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, basically, when Belshinar is crowned the next uh, Phoenix King... And Malekith actually accepts it and goes off to the old world to sort of seek his fortune and do things. His mother's the one who's railing against it. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in this book about how Malekith is like, no, no, I, he's the first to bow his knee to Belshinar. He goes along with all this. He goes off for the greater glory of the elves doing all this stuff. If, if I could jump in there, really what it boils down to is, I mean, the first problem is when Anarian draws the sword. The second problem is the choice of his second wife, which is Marathi. And Marathi, it could say, really is the heart of the problem. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, that she's she's the heart of the problem. She's quietly been the heart of the problem, and it... Malekith could have been a very different person without Marathi there. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. that's his mother, but... It's it's very possibly her corruption that ultimately brings him down. Oh sure, it absolutely is. So uh, you know he he's trying to you know he's trying to be noble, but because of some of the potential you know the problem of his father, he's overlooked for the Phoenix throne. Right, and uh, obviously Marathi's not going to have it. No. What about you, Ben? Anything to add so far? No, not really. I mean, you're doing a good job of covering it. I think. <laughs> One of the one of the things about the Dark Elf storyline, um, and it's obviously intertwined with the High Elf one, is it, it's a major part of the Warhammer world. And I'm sure you can say that about any army book's perspective. But the the story of the Sundering and the formation of the the Elves um, and the separation of the Elves is a massive massive storyline. And Malekith himself and Marathi and obviously an area and the Defenders uh, are they are they are huge story lines in the which are ingrained into the warhammer world so yeah, agreed. the dark elf books um 
from even from first the first edition rule book, the the story of the high elves and the dark elves have been in there. Um, and obviously, over the years, as the rule books have been, the army books have been released and they've been fleshed out. Um, this story's been expanded, um, and the current book is the one we're going to be talking about today. is, is actually the I think the last two were about eighty eighty pages each, and the current the current one is uh, one hundred and five pages. So you're getting another 25 pages in there, and the majority of that is all story, um, yeah. fleshing out fleshing out the story of the Sundering. And also the, a big, big source of information for this is the, the Gavthorpe Sundering trilogy from Black Library. It is so Which really good. depicts um, the, the way Malekith, the part Malekith played in this, because he, like, Anarian um, drew the Sword of Cain to defeat the demons, um, and there's a there's a great part of the story where he fights four greater demons, and this is talked about in the the Dark Elf book and the High Elf book. And he returns to the the, um, the Blasted Isle to return the the sword to the altar of Cain and dies. And that's when Belshazzar gets um, elevated up to Phoenix King, and Malekith was sort of snubbed, and he goes off um, to do his bit as a emissary of the elves around the world. And when he comes back, Ulthan Ulthwin's sort of um, in disarray. It's beset, yeah, it's beset by um, cults, and he swears to get to the bottom of it. And it turns out it's actually Marathi that's causing the problems. And he throws his own mother in jail. He renounces her, says he's no mother of his. Um, she's a traitor to the elves, and and then it goes from there as how how his downfall starts to set in. Um, it the, was so the cleverly it was so cleverly written too because you start to realize that as he comes back and he's doing all this and it seems like it's all his mom and he's this noble prince and then slowly you get the little bits and the little hints that he knows exactly what's going on <laughs> yes uh, and then uh, um, go ahead obviously Belshanar got was assassinated um, and then Maliki went into the the flames to um, become uh, to take the position of the Phoenix King, and and that was when he was thrown he was thrown back from the flames. He couldn't pass through, and he was burnt. And this is when they sealed him in his his um, black armor. And his mother sort of then took the uprising of the the civil civil war, and the Dark Elves ultimately ended up fleeing north. Yeah, there's some really cool parts. Excuse me to that too. Just the idea that he came in and, and had this meeting of all the princes to talk about gathering the army to fight the rest of the cults after he got his after he defeats his mom. Oh, you know what? And then he comes in with all of his evidence that Belshinar was also corrupt. He was in the cults, and so and then he poisoned himself. And nobody buys it. That was like Malekith's one misstep was getting the rest of these people to believe that Belshinar was actually you know corrupt and hiding it. And uh, yeah, no, but he just slaughters them all. It's a great scene in in the Sundering series. He you know he slaughters them, steps in the fires, goes out. Um, then you get all these battles going back and forth. I mean, when Malekith finally is strong enough and he's in the suit and he can move about, I mean, for hundreds of years, him and uh, Imric, Prince Imric, who takes his grandfather's name, he comes to Calador the second. Just a uh, like a they they want they run guerrilla warfare. Imric is not ready to face Malekith's numbers and, with his tactics. So they're running all these hit-and-run battles. Just He shows up, attacks Malekith here or there, and then fades away. And there's just this constant thing going on until they finally get to a battle where the two of them go at it. Malekith comes in on his dragon, 
and in comes riding Kalidor. And Kalidor actually is losing that fight, except he kills the dragon, which pitches Malekith off the dragon and into <laughs> basically into an entire unit of Phoenix Guard. Um, and if you haven't read the book, I mean, you know the story, but it's really well described here because he sees the light from all of these. And he thinks finally he's getting a Syrian's blessing. Here's the time. Here come the Phoenix Guard to my aid. They're coming to, uh, you know, to make me their. I mean, he's still delusional up until that battle. He still thinks he's the rightful Phoenix King. And then when the uh, <laughs> when the Phoenix Guard start attacking him and it starts hurting really bad, the light of a Syrian that they have is just he realizes he's been rejected and that right there cements it. He's like, now I hate you all. I'll just destroy this place instead. Um, in fact, the only criticism I have in the book is the actual sundering, the actual spell that they try to get off. Malekith's doomsday weapon uh, just was, so, it seemed so short at the end. It just seemed like this huge event. It all came up to this and it happened really quickly. I don't know if you felt that way when you read it, Ben. Yeah, I did a little bit. But then I could read 10 more books on that subject. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically, for anyone who doesn't know, Malekith tries to break the vortex. He's going to break the magical vortex, let chaos come pouring forth, and destroy everything if he can't be, if he can't be the Phoenix King. Um, and it starts to work. The vortex is slowed down enough that Kalidor and all the mages trapped in the vortex are released. And they wake up and say, what the hell's going on here? And they put the, they basically add their magic to it, and they force the vortex back into working order. But the magic struggles between Malekith, Marathi, and their group against Kalidor and his group literally cause thousand-foot tidal waves and an earthquake and break the island apart, which is where the black arcs come from, because as they start I, to sink... Ironically destroying primarily Nagarith, which is yeah. Malekith's region. <laughs> exactly. But as all that starts to break off, all of the uh, sorcerers, uh, the sorcerers and wizards basically float them away. They become the giant black arcs, and they go north to Nagarond, where they start to live in the in the wastelands and the ice. Um, that's where the Dark Elves came from. Uh, Nagaroth. Nagaroth, I'm sorry. Nagarond is where the Castorves live. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Nagaroth. Um, I, I, I want to cut some of the fluff portion here, because literally, there's still another 20 two pages of fluff after this, but it's really describing Dark Elf Inner Society, which gets out of the range of the family friendliness that we try to put in the show. Well, the bottom line is they've tried to invade Ulthwan about half a dozen times, uh -huh. and, and uh, with varying degrees of success or failure. The other, other thing we should probably bring up is that at one point uh, in one of the pitch battles, Malekith actually ends up in the realm of chaos for an undisclosed period of time, which one might suggest has adversely affected his mind. Yeah, it, might, it could have. <laughs> <laughs> might might or might not have had some sort of effect on the way he thinks about things. Oh, yeah. but um, It's made I, it more cheerful. I mean, the uh, I mean, it, it, it's a great read. The rest of the fluff, learning how, I mean, how debased they are. They're just the, the rituals, the sacrifice, the murder, how dark sure. elves are afraid Death of other night, murder. yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a fun place to visit. Good vacation spot. <laughs> and if you look at the map, it appears to be Canada, so... <laughs> nice the grim north um there's a couple of pieces in this book that i think um if we do need to move on do probably warrant talking about yeah okay um and these are probably the cities of the dark elves um so there's the hag grief um car car and um and some of the other um current car the, the yeah, yeah current car the old if you read into the book 
you can there's only a paragraph at a time or a few paragraphs but you just from that short bit of description you can get some ideas for some fantastic themed armies um theming it around the the executioners or the witch elves oh, yeah. or the uh, the black guard armies um and it, even such a short piece gives you some fantastic ideas for some um some stuff you could do. I agreed completely. Um, it is completely inspirational. In fact, I wanted to build my army around, uh, I think it's Harganeth, <clears throat> City of Executioners. So that's, yeah, that's precisely what I'm doing. So, Yeah, no, there's, um, there's lots of great stuff in here. I'm not denying that one bit. So so the, the other things from the earlier books I wanted to talk about, it, anyone like, you, like yourself have come in at the time this book was released might have missed the earlier two books. Um, and there's some fantastic reasons to go back and try and get hold of them off of eBay or wherever you can pick them up. Um, and certainly the stories, the artwork's fantastic. I'm lucky enough to have two original pieces of artwork from the first edition, the first Dark Elf book. I've actually got some of the original pieces by Des Hanley. Um, my girlfriend bought them for me for my birthday. Oh, nice. Um, and the, these are the actual artwork that was produced for Games Workshop um, to use to produce into the book. And I've got the Executioner, um, which is on page 51 of the first book, and the Dark Elf Tower the, um, with it? the Black Guard in the foreground, um, which is on page 10. So th- that first book has got some awesome pieces. Um, and also there's some great pieces of fluff in the first two books, which didn't really make it into the third one. And my, this is my favorite, and it sort of sums up the whole story of the Dark Elves. And it's the story of Lord Yurl and his his army, um, and it tells how they come to a battlefield and Lord Yurl's looking out and he's got his trusted standard bearer with him and there's a Bretonian army arrayed against him. They're not really sure. I think there's a quote in there of, there's an awful lot of cavalry <laughs> and it's an awfully open field. What are we going to do? And it's, it's bring forward the slaves. So they throw forward all the slaves and then unleash the crossbows and just gun them down in the middle of the fields. And there's, there's, it describes how there's mounds and mounds of slaves piled up um, which is stopping the, the Bretonians just to be able to roll over the clear field. Um, and one slave is, is managed to get free, and he's running for the Bretonian lines, and all the Bretonians are cheering him and cheering him because he's going to be safe. And Lord Yell pulls forward his life-taker and shoots him, and the, like the crossbow bolt's clearly going to miss, and the Bretonians are cheering and cheering, and then all of a sudden it whips round in, in the air, and obviously this one you know it's life-taker whips round in the air and chases the slave to gun him down just as he reaches the Bretonian's lines. And um, as the battle pans out, the end of the story is, as Lord Yurl takes the Bretonian Duke's head, it ends with, today was a good day. <laughs> and it was just that one that one piece in that first Dark Elf book, um, sorry, that was in the second Dark Elf book, really sums up the sort of spirit of the Dark Elves. Um, a couple of other good ones which are in there is the Eltharion's invasion into Nagaroth um, when he was actually taken captive. That's a cracking story, which I don't believe. I think it's touched on in the High Elf books, but the, you get a more expanded version in the second Dark Elf book. Um, cool. There's an, awesome, up. there's an awesome piece which is called Path of Slaughter, and it's like, if you can imagine when you've seen the, the Samurai Warriors arrayed, and they've got all the different types of weapon, and there's little descriptions. You see it in history quite often of maybe how, how the old olden days they used to fight, and it tells you a brief description of all the weaponry. There's um, a two-piece article about the Dark Elves and how a Dark Elf warrior would be arrayed for war. That's a nice article. 
And then there's the, the in the first book, there's the Euronon Poison Blade, his fight against Tyrion, and also a story about Shadowblade. There's some great stories in them. So, yeah, excellent reasons to pick up the old books if you can, because it's packed full of fluff. One of the things that interested me as I was going through this is I started looking at the, you know, they have all the timelines in the book. And it's yep. like, you talk about how the dark, you know, you, everyone knows the elves were, you know, when the, the, you know, the old ones were here with the lizard men, the elves were one of the first, you know, races they created and they've been around forever. But then I start looking at the timeline and the imperial timeline, according to the, the calendar of Sigmar, is in the, it's in the 2000s. I don't know if it's 22 or 2300 or whatever, but according, going by the imperial calendar, uh, what, uh, Malekith is born in negative 4458. So this is like six or 7,000 years later, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, the Sundering happens in negative 2723. So Malekith and them have been fighting for hundreds and hundreds of years. The actual Sundering of Ulthman happened 5,000 years ago. And Malekith has been fighting against them ever since. He's been fighting against the High Elves for most of the history of the Warhammer world. I mean, literally... 5,000 years plus he's been fighting against them. Well, Malekith is no longer strictly mortal. He's not really... No, he's I, not. You couldn't even call him elf anymore. I mean, he's something somewhat other. Yeah, but it's just, I think it's just fantastic that the... the, the yeah, I didn't realize... I mean, I knew they've always been around, but when you actually start to look at those numbers and realize that... And in fact, they've had the same leader the entire time just waging this war against... All of all of elf society. Outside of the Slan, Malekith is one of the oldest living, active cre- yeah. creatures on the planet that we're aware of. Outside of maybe dragons. Yeah, and Nagash. And Nagash. Well, yeah. I don't know if Nagash is. I don't active, even know if though. Nagash is older than him. I don't know. That, that's crazy. Well, in any case, uh, but I, Nagash is not strictly speaking active. No, that, well, that's true. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's move into the meat of the bestiary here and start getting into... Uh, do we want to touch on their special rules real quick? They've got a couple. Well, it makes sense, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, it, it's sort of the crux of the army, eternal hatred. It defines what they do, meaning that on the first run of combat, you are considered to hate all your foes, including yourself if you fight another Dark Elf army. And I think this is... I mean, that's the crux by which you design this army. You know that you're going to be able to attack... Uh, and probably hit with nearly every die you throw on the first round of combat. Yeah, it's kind of sick. What would you say, Ben? Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a, a bit of a thing that I saw ruled by. It's If you're building a combat army, you've got to be re-rolling of some sort. So um, if, you, if you're basing a combat army around not being able to actually reliably hit in combat, the, the army's fundamentally broken in some respect. So mm-hmm. the Dark Elves have got it in spades. So to take advantage of eternal hatred, you want to maximize the number of attacks you can throw. The more, yeah, atta- the more attacks, the, the better off you're going to do. So even low-strength attacks, eventually you'll break their spine just by numbers. So that's, uh, why, that's uh, why you guys seem to like the Spearmen? Corsairs. The Corsairs? Corsairs because you can give them two. They start with two hand weapons. And if you give them the, the, the Sea Serpent banner, it's Frenzy. So each one of those 10-point models is uh, three attacks per. Nice. And it starts to stack up. And, of course, I imagine that, uh, Ben, at some point you might mention Lore of Shadow just to get strength <laughs> eight attacks. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think we can talk about that when we talk about the, the magic. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I, actually, that's a good question. If you don't mind, uh, the other the other special rule, Dave, you probably want to bring up is uh, their their hatred of high elves. Eternal hatred is especially potent against high elves, where it allows you to hate every round of combat. It's yes, a, it effectively becomes infinite hatred versus high elves. Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, with the high elves getting their ASF and possibly their rerolls, depending on their initiative, uh, it really becomes a bloodbath between those two. It really becomes a bloodbath. Yes. Uh, except the high elves will always go first. Yeah. Well, and they, but they have to because they're not always, they're not always guaranteed those rerolls. Um, and, uh, I think, I think they're just, aren't their troops just a little more expensive? They're going to have a little less on the table. Who, high elves? Yeah. Uh, yes, a lot yeah, more, a lot yeah, more expensive. Yeah, yeah especially especially if you lean towards spearmen and not dark elf side. Oh jeez, which gets you more attacks? You get that extra rank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the only other special rule they've got is Cainite, which means basically there are some people who dedicate themselves to Cain, and uh, Cainites can only be in units with other Cainites. So, um, yes, yeah. Only Cainite characters can join Cainite units. Certain. Rules and items affect canites differently. Canite characters so can join non-canite units, though. That's, right. There's one yeah, so you can you can put your witch elves or your assassins into any unit, but you couldn't put a, a master or a dreadlord or sorceress into a witch elf or executioner unit. Well, that works. But at the same time, there are also special items in play that enhance your canite units, specifically the Cauldron of Blood. Yes, yes, so. cauldron, that dirty, rotten cauldron. Well, the nice thing about that is you can build a canine army, and suddenly you've got stubborn across the well. I, yeah, to any of your canine units. Yeah, I know. I've seen that happen. One of the preliminary questions I wanted to ask you, Ben, is: you build a dark elf army. Where is your mind going first? You need to choose the lord. You need to choose your character, or is it just a little bit of everything at once? How do you how do you go about starting? Where would you start? The lore, the character. That's. That's changed quite a bit um, over the last year or so. Um, Dark Elves, and I think what makes a lot of armies good in Warhammer at the moment is the fact that they don't need the characters to do the work. Hmm. Um, So you you could go with deciding what sort of list you wanted to play and building your units to fit them roles um, and then putting the magic and the characters in to support that. But I think recently um, the Dark Elf units are a bit behind the the eight ball on this because... you, so you've got to let your characters do the work for you. So now you, you're looking more along the lines of what sort of build do you want and how, how can you make it work like that. So one of the ones I've done recently is I've run the, the Pegasus army with a lot of mobile characters to do the fighting. Um, and in that case, you, you design your characters first and then you decide how the units can support that. So a lot of it depends on uh, what sort of army you want to play. Yep. The first thing you choose is how how do you see the army on the tabletop? Yeah. What what units do you want to use? Um, I suppose I didn't really answer the question, did I? I just talked a little bit. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, no, that's all right. I think what you're trying to say then is that there's a certain there's a definite change in the metagame, and it's forced you to change the way you build your army. But it sounds like rather than choose a lore, choose a character, you're sort of coming up with a generalized theme of how the army is going to play, and you flesh it out based on yeah, the army. So, so you don't have a formula dog- in place. The Dark Elf Army I've played for the last year or so has been um, based loosely around three or four combat units. Um, so you've got the Black Guard or two units of Black Guard, the Corsairs, and possibly the Spearman block if you, if you consider them a combat unit or not. Um, we've only 25 of them. Um, and then you, you can put your characters into suits. So that sort of army with a bit of shooting in there from some shades 
um, a bit of magic missiles, um, needed shadow magic to really make it work, to really make them combat units be be up up to scratch as combat units. Um, of course, you need the cauldron of blood with that sort of thing as well. So straight away, you know, you you want a level four. Um, you want the cauldron in there to support them, them four combat blocks because that was the build of the army. Um, and then you can look at what extra points you've got, and you end about two or three hundred points. So you can go with a hydra and a hero, or a dreadlord, which is the one that tends to be the favourite if the comp lets it, because you can get the stubborn and the pendant on the same guy. Right. Well, on Garage Hammer, we usually go through just about everything in the army book. Maybe we should start with characters. That might be the best direction to yeah, start with. let's start with lords and heroes. Okay, so... The well, very, the very first one, I guess, would be the Dreadlord, then, right? Yeah. Well, there's only two. You got a Dreadlord and a Supreme Sorceress. You're either going to get a Fighty Lord or a Casty Lord. Right. Those are your two options. Uh, we're, I assume we're going to go ahead and skip the special characters for yeah, this version. Okay. Actually, because we, we covered them on one of our special character episodes. Right. So you don't mind that we're going to skip the uh, skip over the special characters, do you, Ben? Okay. Yeah. Crone Helbron. I I don't know if you mentioned it on the show when you reviewed it, but it's quite nice in events where they let special characters in, or if you're just playing friendly. To see the the full witch elf list, that's quite an interesting build with two or three cauldrons, a crone Helebron, and all your core being witch elves. We did see that. I think uh, maybe it was about two years ago. There was a tournament called Core Competency, which uh, was originally designed around building primarily core armies. But um, a friend of ours, a guy named Alex Nikotenko, took a crone Helebron list that did very very well. Um, so oh, yeah. watching watching her in action is uh, is kind of scary. But yeah, she did. She performed very well in that particular tournament. But um, you can you can you can't do quite the same thing as Crone, but you can build a generic version, not as good, but still good. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump? I guess from the from the top would be would be the Dreadlord itself, which is the the fighting level, you know, the fighting lord. So um, how, yeah, so do you do you take a Dreadlord, Ben? Yeah. So I think he's sort of. He's become, over the last year, the workhorse of the army. Um, stick the pendant on him, get him on a horse. Um, I know some people like to run him with pendant and then soul render, so he's doing a bit more damage. But I've always liked him with a sword of might, just to get the make sure you get the one-up armor save in combat because you're using his shield. Right. Um, dragon helm on him, so he's, he can't be taken off with searing doom. And um, the stubborn crown of command, so he can basically run into a unit, hold it there, until one of your support blocks come. And one of the things you do have to bear in mind, though, is although they call him the unkillable dreadlord, he's not unkillable. He does die, so never rely on him for any period of time. Just So he's almost expendable. I mean, you're using him as a roadblock because he's stubborn, because he's got the one plus, the penitive caliph. You're going to take maybe a wound, maybe nothing, but you're going to hold him in place and be stubborn. Now, do you ever take him with the pendant and the blood armor? Because that's, like, that's the combo around here. Or at least against the people I've been playing. Well, I'm running him on foot. Uh, no, they've been putting him on a horse, or on a cold one, I mean. And you can either have I'd... him in a unit of cold ones, or sometimes they'll just put him on the side of the unit and run him out uh, just into a unit, slam into it, and just start taking I out don't, stuff. I don't, see the, I don't see the point. Um, I mean, you can run him with a great weapon, so you can get the one-up arm save. Um, but, I mean, with the dragon helm, which you probably want on him anyway, because... You don't want him getting taken off by Searing Doom um, while he's only got the pendant for protection. So okay. I'd, I'd rather see, I, I don't know, I, I'd rather see the, the Dragon Helm than the Blood Armor as your magic, item cho- magic armor choice. Okay, that, that makes sense, actually. 
I just I was I was like I said not ever having actually one of the few armies I've never actually played with. Uh, that was one thing that happened at Adepticon. I went up and the guy ran up and he had the pendant and this. And he ran into my unit and just went after all the ghouls. Suddenly he had a one up armor save and the and the reverse war, and then challenged out the vampire and it was like okay good luck. I was like oh yeah. crap. <laughs> so you got you got the armor save the. Um... So the, the pendant's thirty-five points, and the dragon helm's ten. So forty-five points. You've got you've got fifty-five points left to spend on him. So you can get stubborn on there for thirty, and then you've still got twenty-five. So you can get a magic weapon, or, or so I like. I say I'm, I like mine with the sword of might, but it's each to their own, really. I like to keep the one up armor save, and I wouldn't normally run him on a cold one if I'm going to be intending to run him out of the units because it's just not worth it for the stupidity. However, um, most recently I have been running two Dreadlords in my Cold One Knight unit, um, and they're both on Cold Ones just to get the armor save on them. Now, if you're running two Dreadlords, then you're not running a Supreme Sorceress, right? Correct. Yeah, you couldn't <laughs> afford it. Yeah, so now... Well, that's the nice thing about Dark Elves, though. Once we get there, you'll realize you can actually run a competitive level two Sorcerer list. I mean, because they could just spit it out, and it's hard to stop the spells. And that's and that's that's something I wanted to touch on because I know uh, I know I know at least Ben, you've got a lot of with with comp rules and stuff for how many dice, how many magic dice you could generate, and this, that, and the other. Um, if not having that level four, I mean, if you're taking a couple of dreadlords and you're not having a level four, you're running level two. Are you finding that still working for you? I think in if I was playing no comp, I wouldn't run the two dreadlords. I'd always run a shadow level four. Yep. Um, <laughs> just without without even thinking about it. Really? Yes, hundred uh, percent. Well, power of darkness too. You're gonna get this bill. Oh yeah, yeah. sacrificial dagger, power of darkness. I suppose we could we can move on to the um, the uh, no. Before we move off the lord, let's let's stick to the lords because well, we need to talk about the dragon. Yeah, this is this is your level. This is okay. your leadership ten choice too. So yeah. yeah, he's a significant supplement to the army in conjunction so with a BSP. There's a few other options you see with the Lord. Um, the, the combo I talked about with him being on a horse, you, you can see him on a, a Pegasus as well. But then you struggle with your level four and the amount of points you can put into, into her because um, you've got 600, normally at 2,400, two you've got a 600 point limit. So more than, um, then, then you're struggling because you want your level four to be coming in around around 3.30, I think, with some toys on her. But you can go down the route of the, the, having him on a monster, so he, he go on the Manticore, which is rubbish, to be fair, or the, the Black Dragon, which is quite a common choice. Now, why do you say the Manticore is rubbish specifically? I mean, it's, is it because of how expensive it is and still being somewhat uncontrollable? Is it the leadership test that makes it bad to you? No, it's the toughness five and four wounds with no armor save. Mm, fair enough, okay. Yeah. And no hatred on it, so it's just not got enough attacks. It's not got a breath weapon. Yeah, one of the tournaments I went to allowed um, some funky rules to allow your character's mounts not to count towards the hero choices. So you could get more than... You could take 600 points worth of characters and then more points in mounts. It was to encourage, uh, like, monsters and that sort of thing. So I went with a Dreadlord on the Dragon, a Dreadlord on a Manticore, and then two more... Heroes on Manticores, so it's the full monster mash list. Um, and for the whole weekend, the Manticores were rubbish. Unless you charge three of them into something at the same time, and your <laughs> <laughs> and your dice stayed average, you were okay. 
Um, the slightest r- bad roll and your manticores just dropped like flies. So, no, the manticores, as much as I, it's a shame because I've got four different manticore models. Um, I'm a huge fan of the manticore. It's just not, not good enough in this edition. But you still have the dragon, and the dragon seems to do pretty okay. Yeah, the dragon can can be played well. I mean, you you probably always want the pendant on the rider because the cannonball hits both parts now, so otherwise you're going to lose the dreadlord pretty quick. I'd probably say put the charm shield on him as well um, just to make sure the cannon doesn't kill the dreadlord <laughs> and the dragon in one shot. Oh, yeah. But so, but at least uh, you know you've got some some char- some monster options available if you want to take them. You know, if if you're yeah, sure. looking to play a monster list. So let's talk about the supreme sorceress. Her being, uh, she's two hundred twenty five points. So you can make her a level four for two sixty. Um, so you know, obviously, as you even said, this you know comes in as as an easy first choice. Well, here's a good time to ask the question: What's your take on dark lore? So the the law of dark I've played with. The issue is I don't see it as very good as a support law. So if you've got a level level one or a level two, if you're thinking about taking dark, you would always take fire, um, right? Because you don't tend to cast a lot of spells with your support wizards. You're looking at chucking one spell now and again when it's useful. Um, so you like your, your searing dooms or your, your fireballs, and to I, I can't see the I can't see why you would want a level two on dark um, when you could just take the level two on fire um, and you're looking for things like flame cage flaming sword and of course always getting the fireball which is in essentially is the choice of three spells with the fireball precisely i mean it's so much more flexible than what you're going to be able to find from the dark lore so it's but, not just that it's the, it's the range as well um yeah giving you the, the the chance to reach out and hit something across the other side of the table it's 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 only 24 inches yeah, that does keep it at a short range with 24 inches. Um, so you, obviously, everybody knows you prefer to go with shadow magic. So, Well, is that still the case? Are you, are you taking primarily shadow, or are you going with other lores as well? I mean, are you, are you kind of diversifying what you take with the Dark Elves? So, I mean, I, I do like shadow on the level four. Um, it does, it complements the army so well. You're getting a lot of attacks across the board. Like, all your units are always really hitty. Even the spearmen, if you're only getting 10 attacks, because of the hatred, you're hitting a lot. Yeah. Um, so shadow magic just takes that to another level. It, 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 um, makes all them hits really do damage, be it with withering or with, um, obviously the mind raiser. So it's hard to see past shadow. And one of, one of the things I sort of, my mantra for the Dark Elves is um, mixed arms, so you can have a bit of everything. You need to be able to get the scrolls out of your opponent early, so use the Dispel Scroll early on. So when you do get into combat, your Shadow Magic is really game-changing rather than just a bit of a problem for someone. It needs to be actually winning games because um, then you're making the most of the Magic phase. Well, with the Lore of Shadow, how do you, how do you get the scroll out early? So you've got the Pit of Shades, which is pretty effective for that. Um, you, you've got Mind Razor on things like Harpies. You stand a Harpy unit in front of a unit of Knights, um, like a Redirector, um, and then you cast Mind Razor on it as well. All of a sudden, they can't even charge to get rid of the Harpies out of their way because you, you go in Initiative 5 and you know 10 Strength, 6 Attacks. Um, 
you, you've got things like the withering, uh, and then you combine shooting with shades, maybe a bolt throw if you're using one, life taker, um, fireballs, and things like that into it. And and my favourite is the the support wizard on fire with a three d six fireball at a, a vulnerable target. Yeah, and that that tends to suck out the the um, scrolls early. So, um, so I guess in, in regards to the supreme sorceress, there's nothing to defend. It's nearly a one plus in just about every single list. You're going to go up to level four. Um, I don't know if the comp system in the UK kind of washes that out a little bit, but I mean that's 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 a major selling point of this particular model is. In theory, the ability to throw as many dice as you want at any spell. Do you find that makes much of a difference in the UK? So in the UK, for the most part, it's been stopped. You, you're not allowed to throw loads of dice at each spell. And in general, um, some comp systems now are stop, not even letting you cast um, cast with six dice. Um, however, when when you do cast with as many dice as you want, it is nice now and again, but... For the most part, I find it's just showing off. You don't need to cast 10 dice at Mindraiser. You're better off going 5 at Mindraiser, sticking the dagger in for 1, um, and then doing the same with the withering and getting the 2 spells in the phase. Hmm. Um, what it is nice for is when you've got your support level 1 on metal or your, your level 1 on fireball, chucking all your dice at a big fireball to kill something that's that's you know 3, three 4 foot away from you. Um, or a Searing Doom at the Steam Tank, a 2d6 Searing Doom with like 8 or 9 dice to try and get them two sixes on a wizard which is expendable, um, but not so much on the level 4. Okay. What uh, do you guys think? How have you found it? Um, obviously, I don't think you don't play Dark Elves, do you? So how about playing against it when people are chucking loads of dice? Well, well I, do, I, I do play Dark Elves, but I played them primarily in 7th. and 8th edition, I've shifted gears to the, the Chaos Dwarves, but... Um, I think in 7th edition it worked just fine uh, because back then, of course, there was a more significant limitation in the kind of dice you could throw, so it, it opened the door. But in 8th edition, I don't know if I necessarily... I think I've tried it maybe once to throw 7 just to say I could. I think I used it in conjunction with... Uh, didn't the power scroll allow you to like miscast on any double? And I think that was yeah. the reason to do it before they changed the power yeah, scroll. Yeah, it gave you irresistible force in any double, so that was the, yeah. So I think I think that was the main reason to guarantee that the spell would work. I'd blow up, but it would, the spell would be guaranteed. Past that point when they changed the power scroll, I don't think I've used it since. I actually yeah, find I mean, it, it. Go ahead, Ben. It's definitely, definitely useful, but I don't think it's essential. Um, I think you'll be, you'll be far better casting more spells. And that's the thing. I think if you're going to throw seven and you're going to so overpower it, unless it's the very last spell, I'm going to hold my dice because I've got no chance to beat it. I find when you nickel and dime a person to death with the two dice here, two dice there, two dice here, they're not no, they're not sure what to dispel, what to. That in fact, the, the part that aggravates me the most, like when I'm playing Christopher, is if he's going to take a bunch of level twos. And then just do all that. Uh, what's the what's the spell that the gives power you power of darkness? Throwing power of darkness with three level twos, and suddenly he's got fifteen power dice on his side. And I'm just looking at this, going, I've got six. I'm I'm going to get stomped from that. I find that going with lots of little three three dice three dice shots, and then maybe your big one at the end uh, is far more is far more frustrating. And it's far more difficult for me as a player to know what to get rid of mm-hmm. than when you throw six or seven or eight dice or you know however many you can at something because I know I'm going to let that go. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a dispel scroll, I don't have a chance to stop it. So it just it takes it makes it much easier for me as far as decisions go because when you do something like that, 
Good point. I'm just stepping aside. Good point. I guess it does depend on the lore too, but yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see how multiple spells ultimately would be a bigger problem than one big one at with eight dice. <laughs> yeah, it comes. A lot of it comes down to the lore choice, and yeah. um, this is where dark dark magic does really excel. That's is if, if you've got lots and lots of if you've got a level four on dark and you've got four magic missiles in there. Um, you can cast them all when you've only got... You can have a five-dice magic phase, and with the sacrificial dagger, you can cast all four of your spells. Yeah, absolutely true. Jeez. Oh, good. And they're so cheap. They are so dirt cheap that you can, you really can, just commit two dice to everything, and you're probably going to get them to all work, especially exactly. with the sacrificial yeah. dagger in your pocket. Exactly. That's crazy. Now, is there only one sacrificial dagger per army? Is per army. A, it's okay. just one. Yeah. Oh, God, ter- can you imagine if they allowed more than one? Yeah, that's what I just wanted. To, I wanted to make sure that was a magic item and not something you could just buy for your. No, no, that's one one per. Arc. Okay, so let's run over to heroes real quick and try to keep plugging through this. So you got your level two, um, which you, you say you know you like a couple of support maybe on with fire or something like that, Ben. Yeah, so I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of the fire support level two. Um, so much so, I mean, in my army at the moment, where I'm, I'm using a big knight unit. Um, and two Dreadlords, so no level four. I've got two level ones, both on fire, um, just because the fireball is useful in almost every matchup. Yeah. Um, if you start going something like metal and you run into lizard men, you're not going to be using it, or demons, you're not really going to be using it. Um, it. So the fireball, yeah, if you play Warriors of Chaos, it's it's not great, but it is still quite useful. Um, an empire with lots of knights, yeah, it's not great, but you can still hit a cannon with it. Right. Um, so there's always a use for the fire magic. And you, um, that, you, you actually, with the with your list, the way you described it, actually uh, kind of answered the question I was about to ask, which is Dark Elves are one of those armies where you can justify taking level 2s instead of the level 4 and feel absolutely competitive and competent. Would, so you'd, you'd agree with your army list. I mean, you don't need a level 4 with Dark Elves. They can power their way through with level 2s. I think a lot, a lot depends on the build. And yes, you can power through with level 2s. Particularly, we've been able to chuck as many dice as you want yeah. um, at a spell. And the but, power of darkness and the sacrificial dagger. So you can keep powered up and you can. Yeah. You can yeah, get it's definitely, dice. it's definitely, definitely a good option. Um, my absolute favorite, though, is the, the Shadow Level 4. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's. <laughs> with the comp in the UK at the moment, it's not sort of the way to go. I think if I was playing no comp, I'd still be running the, the Shadow Level 4. <laughs> it's, it's the one I'm the most frightened of, and in many American tournaments, I think Shadow is the one that people are are expecting to see the most, especially with Beast yeah. Men and Dark Elves, but um, and actually some High Elves yeah, too. Shadow's getting itself a little Shadow's getting itself a little hate a hate club going on lately. <laughs> it's, I hear, it's like, oh, for gosh, Shadow, freaking Shadow, hate the Shadow. I one, get more afraid of death, that, but well, I was just about to say death. One law I do find quite good for the Dark Elves is death magic, sure. particularly if you're only running one wizard. So if you've just got one level four, um, either a fire wizard or a death wizard is the way to go. I don't think I'd run a single level four with shadow um, because it's not it's shadow magic. It isn't flexible enough. It's great for the combat, but it doesn't give you enough elsewhere if it's the only law. That's why it needs to be well supported. Whereas if you've just got a single level four, um, fire's great because it's got... Um, it's got the Flaming Sword, which is um, a good combat spell. It's also got Flame Cage, which is good for controlling the table, and it's also really good for combat as well, the Flaming flame Cage is, because um, a lot of people won't realize 
it stops things like make way it stops people accepting challenges or um declining challenges even it stops people reforming after you've after you've fought the first round of combat so mm, um flame cage is, is so fire gives you a couple of options because it's got it's got the damage output and the, the combat buffs and obviously death magic again it's got the the damage output with the the traditional snipe spells and the purple sun and so, also it's got the, the combat spells of the doom and darkness yep and um, soul blight and purple sun to some extent it's a bit of a combat spell because you can cast it while you're fighting straight into the unit you're fighting against and even oh, if you yes, misfire you it <laughs> i'm listening yeah. to ben here i listen to ben trying to talk to everybody no really you don't want to take shadow magic there's all sorts of other great stuff well, one of the nice things about death that he brought up um is the purple sun and i've played purple sun quite a lot with my chaos dwarves but it's horrifying if you happen to cast it and it misfires I mean, you're really taking a gamble. True. One of the nice things about Purple Sun for Dark Elves is that you, you're not as horrified of it because only one yeah. in six of your elves is actually going to drop from it. Not oh, only that's th- true, that's not true. Not only that, but because it's so reliable and less dangerous for you, that's just one more way to feed your power pool because of the lore attribute of death. So it, yeah. just, it just feeds you. Uh, it just works very, it, I agree, it works very well for them. Well, why don't we why don't we move on? Unless you have something else to say about the sorceress, I think it's pretty cut and dried. You're going to be seeing them in just about every list. Yeah, um, yeah just I mean, just a one more note on the sorceress, which I see a lot in other people's dark elves lists, and I've never really understood. Um, people tend to spend a lot of points on ward saves and protection on the sorceress. Um, I personally have never needed it. I've always ran a sort of out of harm's way, and that being my ward save, so to speak. Um, it, it is nice for keeping us safe from the miscasts, um, but I've just never seen the need. I, I don't see the, it's forty-five points for the for the four plus ward or the pendant on the sorceress. I think it's a waste of the pendant. Um, hmm. So I, I don't know. It's it's an odd one. I know I know it's an easy one to say. Yeah, get some protection on a wizard, keep us safe. But I just don't. I, I've never. It's not something I've done in the past. Um, even when I was running the level four as my general as well. I still wouldn't. I I never felt the need to give him a ward save. And plus, if you're playing at a level one, spending another half of their points to give him a save for someone who might just blow up anyway is getting. Did you you know exact? Do you want to spend that many points for someone who's just not not the most crucial element in your army? I could see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably the safest thing to do is just put them in a bunker, put them in a corner of a bunker in case they blow up, and uh, let them do their job. Yeah. yeah, I'd normally run mine behind the army. So I think that back covers the magic. I don't know if yeah. you want to talk a little bit more about the law of dark magic, since it's only the dark elves that get that, or are you happy to uh, move on to that? You know what? The, 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 let, well, we might as well cover it now, and then we'll come back to the master and the death hag, because since we're covering the sorceresses, well, I, think the, I think one of the selling points is uh, how cheap it is to cast any of these spells. And there is actually a very a fairly interesting uh, unit-deleting spell in there that I like. I think that's actually very good. It's maybe underutilized. The problem is you can't guarantee that you're going to get it. Black Core is the one I'm specifically thinking of. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about it is it's an 18-inch cast, and you put it where you want, and it doesn't deviate. And it's a strength test. So you can actually kill quite a few models with that. I think it's the large template, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's the large template, 18 inches of the caster... And it strength even, test or a wound with no armor save. And it even causes uh, no armor save, and it even causes uh, panic test. So it's a nice way to chase off, uh, you know, chaff units, or a nice way to chase off like flank units that aren't close enough to the BSB that it might actually break, like goblins, for example, Ugh. or rats. And, what, and what's good about the law is you've got the strength test on the black horror, mm-hmm. and you've got the soul stealer on 
um, strength two. So that combos nicely if you can get death magic or shadow magic because you can get the enfeebling foe um, for the strength test, the withering for the the strength two to make the soul stealer a bit more effective, and you or you could get the soul blight which does both out of the law of death, which which is really good for these spells. Um, and the law of dark magic as as a whole is particularly effective against. I found against horde armies because they tend to have a lot of bodies, but you've got a big, you've got a template spell which does a lot of damage. You've got the soul stealer which hits everyone in the unit. You've got a lot of magic missiles which are good for shredding low toughness um, infantry with not much armor save. Um, so that's particularly good law against against Skaven, uh, Warriors of Chaos with a lot of marauders, uh, lizard men. It's good against as well, and of course other elves. Yeah, I never thought it was a bad lore. I mean, it's it's still a pretty good lore. It's just like you said, there's so there's other things out there like little shadow and death and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, choosing my words very carefully. Sometimes I feel as though it's overshadowed. Hmm? So, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, I think the problem with it is, is it it doesn't actually win games. It can attribute to chipping away and trying to secure a win. Um, shadow magic can change a game with one charge. Right, um, and and there's a few. Laws in the, the the rulebook laws that can do that as well, not just shadow. Um, and I think that's what you kind of need in the current meta game. That's what you sort of need from from the game at the moment. I guess that's it. Lore of the dark lore seems to me to be a, an excellent supplemental lore, but the problem is you're going to take supplementals on ones or twos, and once you take a level one or two with shadow or with dark, you can't guarantee anything. So. It doesn't You're better off with a fireball, aren't you? Yeah, precisely. Same. Or a searing doom or something. Yeah. I, guess, I guess that's why I haven't been taking it as much, Like, especially if I'm planning on being somewhat competitive with it. Uh, it's fun to play in a, in a one-off game, but I haven't been really considering it as much unless unless it's a level four. What what it is really nice on is when you run in two level fours. Um, mm-hmm. So you can run a Law of Dark level four, and then you, any of the the second level four on shadow, death, or fire, and it, all three of them work really well with the lower dark magic. Um, but you ha- you are then putting a lot of points into two level fours. Yeah, you're pretty dedicated at that point. You got to build the army around. And a- another nice combo you can get is a level four with the black amulet and the focus familiar um, on the dark magic, because then you you're getting your level four with soul stealer. Um, you've got an 18 inch range using the focus familiar. Um, and any wounds caused, you get wounds back on your wizard. So you can soon get your wizard up to six wounds. That's so, having a six, <laughs> so having a six-wound six Supreme Sorceress with Black Amulet on her as well, um, I think the averages are, against the Bloodthirster, it's touch and go as to which one dies first. If you're fighting a Bloodthirster and you cast the spell once you've taken some wounds to top your wounds back up, the Bloodthirster dies before the wizard does um, when you start running the numbers on the dice. Um, so she's great for tanking characters, and they're using their really strength, <laughs> using their strength to do some wounds to her. Um, they can do five wounds to her, and even if you roll badly and fail all your saves, you're still alive if you've got your six. Um, but if you do start deflecting them back, um, eventually that character's for one, it's soaking up combat res, and two, it's deflecting combat res back onto that unit, so you, you, it's in your favor instead of theirs. That's a swing. And also it's killing their characters. Um, and like I say, if you do keep topping your wounds up while you're fighting, it's even better. Jeez. That's a pretty sharp combo. <laughs> yeah, and you can no use... For you, uh, and then when, you, when you are stuck in combat, and people will commit to the charge, because 
it's not a combo they'll see coming unless they've listened to um, episode, what are we on, 59? 49, yeah. <laughs> 49 of Garbage Hammer. Um, they, they might not see it coming. They'll see the opportunity to get the wizard. They'll get stuck in combat, and your wizard can still cast all her magic missiles through the focus familiar while she's engaged. But then in that instance, you're not using the dagger, and it's um, it's a bit of a toss-up. But it is a nice combo. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be playing in a tournament next month. I'm going to see this now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so the Master and the Death Hag. Well, the Master is the BSB, or one of the BSB options. Um, this is usually the way I would go, but uh, what about you, Ben? So is there a reason to take the Master outside of the BSB? Um, yeah, so I I don't often take a BSB Master. My BSB is almost always on my Cauldron and Blood. Um, ah, okay. So my Master will be a, a cheap throwaway unit. Um, on a dark pegasus uh, with the pendant and maybe sword of might or um, potion of foolhardiness and sword of might, a few extra attacks or whatever you want to get on him. There's a few nice combos out there. Um, he's quite cheap. He's about. Uh, he comes in about what 170, 180 points. Yeah. Um, so he's a nice he's disposable with, hero. Yeah, and another nice combo for the heroes as well is the cloak of Hagrith, which is. Um, it's half strength for units that shoot at him. So a cannonball hits him at strength five, and he's got a one-up armor save against shooting. So he's saving on a three plus, and that's 25 points. So you can also then get the Dawnstone on him, so he re-rolls that. So against a cannonball, you are saving on a three plus with a re-roll. It's the way to keep a toughness three thing alive. I'm going to have yeah, to. Yeah, so... All and this you great could, advice, I'm going to have to start collecting a Dark Elf army now just to irritate people. You're welcome to borrow Definitely. Mine. And you, you can run the two of them as well. You can run the one with one Pegasus with a pendant and one Pegasus with the, the anti-shooting kit, and they work nicely together. Jeez. Okay, so now uh, what about your Death Hag then? So you're almost always taking one then. You're putting it in the cauldron. Yeah, almost always taking one on a cauldron of blood, BSB. Um, it is susceptible to dwellers and pit of shades and other things like purple sun that kill it automatically. Um, but for the most part, you could stick that on a table edge. Um, 12 inches ahead of that, you've got your combat units, so in BSB range. And then if someone wants to come and cast magic at your cauldron, they're going to come. They're going to be coming in within a 12 inch of your combat units. So, well, less than that actually, because once you've got your, your deep combat unit. They're coming within sort of ten inches of the cold run, of the combat units, so um, it's it's risky to get their wizards in to cast the spells at the cauldron. That would be very true. So, would you say that the cauldron of blood for you generally is a one plus item? I know that some people out there, on our, especially our listeners, don't like to hear one plus, meaning that it's something you take in every list. But what do you think? Is this something that goes in almost every list at this point? Pretty, pretty much, pretty much yeah, yeah, because it. It's not so much the attacks and the killing blow. They're, they're nice, don't get me wrong. They are very nice. Springing a killing blow out just at the right time. An example, I played against um, a Chaos Warrior army at a recent tournament, um, and he had a big unit of Corn Knights, like 10 of them. Um, and I just went for the gamble. I shoved my Corsairs forward. Uh, I'd, I'd seen that he'd, he'd moved his BSB and his general away. So I put my Corsairs forward, put the killing blow on him, and um, he's on an eight frenzy test, and he failed had to charge the Corsairs, and I'm going first with something like 50 attacks with Killing Blow, and obviously <laughs> there wasn't many wasn't many knights left after that, and it was a horde of Corsairs, and these knights were quite wide, so yeah, it's, 
it killed. I think it left two nights alive. Um, so it, it is nice in them instances, but almost always I would use the ward save, um, and it turns the black guard because there's only twenty of them. Right. It turns them into something else, and people will often they'll get quite excited about the fact that they can kill the black guard because the black guard are the the unit that strikes terror into the hearts of many, and they have done for years. So they'll get quite excited about. I can go in there, I can kill them all, um, and I'm going to get me the Black Guard unit. And you, but your weapon's skill 5, and you've got your 5 plus ward from the Cauldron of Blood on. Um, nothing's going to kill 20 Black Guard in one round of combat. I don't care what you've got. Um, it's just not going to happen. There'll be one left, and it's stubborn, um, and you'll be stuck there. Um, so you might have to sacrifice a whole unit of Black Guard, but they, they just never, with that 5 plus ward from the Cauldron, they are, you can guarantee it, they're going to be there. It's going to be a, a a tar pit um, things like the, the spearmen as well uh, taking a charge with three ranks a standard a lot of attacks back from your spears and the five plus ward again it's just it makes them so resilient um, we've all played against demons and we're cursing when all the ward saves are coming in and it's the same sort of thing um, it, that's for me that is what the cauldron of blood there's, is there for and then the extra attacks and the the killing blow is a bonus now and again when it's needed well, it's so resilient, too. Even if you don't need the ward save as much, I mean, you can get the additional attacks, you can get the killing blow. It's the fact that it can do whatever you want from that turn. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want when you need it to. Not to mention the the, the potential for stubborn if you build a canine army, I suppose. So, in essence, what you're saying is it's it's okay. <laughs> it's all right, I guess. Yeah, it is good. I mean, I've, I've, I've played a few games without it, and you can make um, some pretty good lists without it. And one that does spring to mind is I played with um, played with the two level fours, um, so that's my magic sorted, and then three Pegasus heroes. Um, they're coming in at about two hundred points each, so that's just six hundred points in heroes filled. So no cauldron of blood, but that was quite a nice setup. Um, my my cauldron knight army at the moment is no cauldron of blood. All the everything's into the knight unit, so there's not there's not one in there. But it, there's some. There's some sort of quirky ways around not using the cauldron, but for the most part, I think it's needed to turn your toughness three, sh- strength three guys into killing machines. In order to get them to yeah, pay okay. off. On that cold one night army, I'm assuming then that that means the Dreadlord and a Master BSB inside the unit to keep it from being stupid? Yeah, so the Dreadlord, there's two Dreadlords in there, two um, so there's leadership ten. There's the the Hydra banner in there, so uh-huh. they're getting loads of extra attacks. Oh yeah, even the cold uh, ones get the extra. Yeah, yeah, powerful. Yeah, thing. and then and then there's a hero in there with the pendant, and he just sort of sits on the corners, sort of soaking up damage, let let offering a flank to people, so people can charge the flank, and he moves to the side to take the charge. Good lord, jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, All I right. S- I suppose we should move on to core at some well, point. Time for a quick break. Yep. Uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk. Uh, we'll run through the core. Be right back. Okay. If a game is only as good as the person who plays it, then the best games can be found at Unique Gifts and Games, collectible and classic card games, board games, RPGs, tabletop miniatures, hobby tools, and more all found within. And so is an amazing community of fellow gamers, as well as dedicated gaming tables, terrain, and a library of open games to try. It's also your source for Unseen Lurker, the independent tabletop wargaming magazine. Stop by for Warhammer Fantasy Mondays, 40K Tuesdays, and War Machine Wednesdays. Demos and tournaments are alive and well at UGG. Check their website at uniqueugg.com for their calendar of events or call 847-548-8270. 
Don't forget about the rewards program, their convenient location in downtown Grays Lake, Illinois, and their friendly staff. Unique gifts and games. Great gamers mean great gaming. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, and we're back. Welcome back. All right, so we're going to get into the core right now in the Dark Elf Army with uh, Ben Curry. Some core units. Let's get moving. So, Ben, uh, at the top of the top of the stack here are the Dark Elf Warriors, six points or seven with a, with a shield. Uh, in the United States, you see a lot of people taking them. However, I've also heard some people say they're not very good. What's your take? I think you sort of have to have them. Um, it is good to have the crossbowmen, the corsairs, um, but the, it's, you can't really beat bodies on a table. Um, so having a unit of 25 guys with a magic banner for 180 points, um, obviously you'll, you'll be able to tell from that I don't use them with shields. Right, that's, um, it is, that's one of the it questions I was going to have. So you actually feel like maybe with the cauldron of blood, you don't need the shield. You're going to get you're going to get the ward save anyway. So you might as well just get more of them. Yeah. So you don't get you don't get to parry because you're using the spear. Um, so the parry's gone out the window straight away. So all you all you're getting is the plus one to your armor save, mm-hmm. and it's not that often that you it matters. Um, I don't know. I've, I've not I've not found that having paying twenty five points for shields on twenty five guys is better than, say, I don't know, two shades or maybe not maybe not quite two shades, but uh, maybe two Corsairs and a, a champion in your spearman or something like that. Um, I've just not found that the units, uh, the, the shields on the unit is worth it. And I've used them in a few different sizes as well. Um, recently I've been using them in 35s and, again, without the, without the shields on them. Now, uh, when you take them in that f- configuration, are you going horde or are you going uh, deep to make them steadfast? I've been mostly using them deep so I can sort of they, – they can take a charge off something, stick it around for a while, and then bring support in to take it out. But in some instances, I think I'm being a bit too conservative with that, and I should be I should be going wider, going, to, going for the horde. But I just I, – it's a bit dicey then because if something beats you, um, then all of a sudden you can be running away. Yeah, <laughs> off you go, yeah. So I mean, you're still so you're still experimenting with it, but you've tried both. You've tried the horde. You've tried steadfast. But for the most part, you do take them primarily because there's nothing cheaper, and it's a nice anvil. Is that in almost every in almost every army I use, I'll have one unit of twenty five with usually with the plus one leadership banner and stick my sorceress in there. And even if I've got a dreadlord in the army as well, I'll still stick the sorceress in there because she'll always be leadership ten. Um, you can start using the dagger on them. It's just an extra combat unit when you need it. It's, it works really well with the Cauldron of Blood. Um, and it's just, just a nice unit. Also, I like them in small units. I like units of like 10 or 12 of them just to sit behind the armies. And have, have, if you've got, say, your combat line moving up with your wizards in the front rank, it gives you a chance to move your wizards 10 inches back into your sort of bunker unit um, at any given time. They've just space, yeah, just, just position them. You can take them in 10, not 20. You can take them in 10, which means you can make chaff out of these guys. Yeah, sure. Oh. 60 po- 63 yeah. points Right. with a musician. Quick, yeah, you got to take the musician. Now, with uh, – I don't I, – maybe we said this. I don't know. What's that? Um, so if you're taking your Dark Elf Warriors, obviously you can't take them hand weapon anymore because they have spears. and Yeah, that, the that's a 7th edition oh. layover. Yeah. I'm assuming in the next edition you'll see them having hand weapon, light armor, and then so you can swap for spears at no cost like they have on some of the... some of the. Well, I bet you not because the models themselves don't have the option to take hand weapons for the whole unit. Just oh, the spears. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so maybe exactly. not unless they come out with new models. Right, yeah. right. 
But do you take a shield on him, Ben? Because I don't see a point if you can't get a parry. He said actually he doesn't. Bear you just mind. spoke about that now. Right. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll just edit this out then. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had to pee. <laughs> the reason being is, I mean, if he's going to be taking the Cauldron of Blood in most of his armies, yep. uh, if that's the unit that's in combat, that's the one that's going to get the 5-plus ward. So okay. if... As often as not, I find personally in Eighth Edition, many of the many of the combats I fight are against high strength warriors. Right. I mean, everyone's taking great weapons these days; it just makes sense. So, as often as not, they're blowing through the armor. Well, and, that's it. And a five plus is better it, than the parry, right? And you got the shortest. In the shortest sense of it is, four guys is better than shields. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Nope. That's the easiest yeah. way to look at it. You could have four more men in the unit, or you can have shields on the whole unit. Um, I think over the course of whether you get a six up armor save or not during the game, um, yeah, or, or the difference between a one in six chance on every roll. If you think you're, all your men are going to be killed one man at a time with strength three hits or strength four hits, then maybe you might want to take your shields. But for the most part, there'll be things like a miscast blowing half of them up, um, something landing on them with high strength, uh, Things killing them in droves. The, the shield, the extra one pip of armor save, exactly. I've not found effective. I mean, someone might argue back that they found it brilliant, but I, I don't think I've played it enough because I decided early on I'd rather have four men, and it's worked, so I've stuck with it. And they're the perfect choice for when you have a sorceress with a sacrificial dagger. Six oh, points. Exactly. You don't even care when exactly. you get one. In fact, you enjoy it a little bit. Well, I say, so the only reason I even ask is because I know with uh, with the skeletons, the skeletons come light armor and a shield in my army. Yeah. Um, and I compared them. I did all the math hammer with them against ghouls, and ghouls have no armor, but at four toughness, and it actually works out better. Poisoned, yeah, it actually works out better with the uh, toughness four with no armor than a toughness three with the uh, five up six up. Because once you get to strength four or five, that five up six up pretty much disappears. Yeah, well, the filter to redu- reduce yeah. the number of actual successful hits is lower from the start. So. Right. So it just yeah I I. It's weird in this edition. It's like, oh, I've got you know heavy armor and a shield. Oh, maybe I'll take that. Otherwise, there's just no 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 point in paying for this because it just it's you're paying for cardboard shields. It seems like. Well, thought on the warriors before we move on. They're one of the units that can take a, a magic banner of up to twenty five points. Do you take advantage of that? I usually do for myself. I might give them like armor piercing. But what do you do? So um, leadership is. The clear, clear favorite, I think. Um, I've never, I've never ran armor piercing on him. I've ran flaming on him a few times. Another nice one's plus one movement. It just gives you a unit you can get a bit further forward. Just one more note on them. The I've used the banner of swiftness in there as well because um, one of the rules that a lot of people might not know. It's it's in the rule book. It's clear, but it's something that you always end up getting your rule book out to show people why you're allowed to do it. Is um, unit hopping with characters. So you could you could move a character into the back of a unit um, and teleport to the front of the unit despite the distance. So if I've got a spearman block that can move 12 inches forward and then I can move a wizard 10 inches into the back of that unit and then move her all the way to the front, um, that extra two inches on the march can give you a lot of scope for getting extra range on things like Pit of Shades or maybe your mind rage. I mean, your mind rage has got a long range anyway, but Pit of Shades, your death spells, which are all 24 inches, um, and often you'll find someone going, right, so you can march 10. I can um, I can get out of the way by staying, yeah, 34 inches away. Um, so you go, all of a sudden you've got the banner of swiftness. Um, you can, extra two inches to get your units in range is quite nice. 
top that off with the uh, with the little fa- familiar, and you're going to get even more range out on, on that. So, Jeff, yeah, sure, you're a dirty bird, Mister Curry. <laughs> <laughs> I do try. <laughs> so, repeater crossbowmen. Um, this is one I see pop up in your list a lot, Ben. What do you think of them? I used to be a huge fan of these guys, um, but then recently I don't really take them unless they were shade. Um, so, but the unit that I do particularly like, they're good. Don't get me wrong; it's ten points. They've got a crossbow. They're an elf. Um, they're even good in combat. These guys I normally would take shields on because it is quite nice for them to be able to get the parry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one unit that has become one of my favourites recently is a unit of 20 of these guys. I think it comes in at 240 points, um, full command and shields. Yep. And it's just it puts out a lot of firepower. It's a, a good combat unit if you need to get them involved. Um, it can fight off most small units that are going to come and attack them. Uh, if, the, if a single character comes into them to fight them, they're going to be steadfast for a long time because there's 20 of them. It, it's just a solid unit. Are you just? Uh, so you're doing four uh, four ranks of five. So you're only shooting from the first two rows. No, no, two ranks of ten. Oh, you are doing two ranks of ten. Okay. I tried yeah. to build a dark elf list that went shooting heavy, and I actually took a level four of metal to try and get the. I think it's the the number two spell enchanted blades, and that's not the one. I'm thinking. I'm sorry. Fire. Uh, the pl- the number two spell, flaming sword. Flaming to give sword. Them, to give them the plus one to wound, so that I felt like I could get more wounds from the shots, but. In the end, it ended up being too many moving parts, but do you ever try and do anything similar to that where you just enhance the ability of these guys to shoot everything to death? Um, the Flaming Sword's a great spell, so, yeah. Um, I think what what works with them best is the Withering, so mm. um, any any hits you are getting, they're only strength three, but Withering, you can soon be pointing out some real, real pain. Okay, so you just stick with the Lore of Shadow, then that way you can get the Mind Razor, <laughs> you can get the Withering. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the way to go. One of the things with the crossbows is I found it be very de- dependent on whether you, you want the Corsairs in the list or not because um, the Corsairs are 10 points, the crossbows are 10 points. So it's normally a toss-up. Because I, I would always go with at least one Spearman block um, and then once, you, once you've got them in, getting a, sec- you know what I mean? getting a big Corsair unit in as well, I don't know if you've got room for the crossbows or not. So it depends what you prefer. Some people don't like the Corsairs at all, um, so they'll go crossbows instead. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if there's anything else to really say about the crossbowmen. I mean, they do the they do an excellent job with ballistic skill, four, two shots each, armor piercing. They're pretty good. Uh, so you say, though, that really it's just a matter of choosing between if you're going to be spending 10 points a model, do you want the crossbows or do you want the Corsairs? You think that Yeah, I mean, you, you can make a good list from them both in. Um, don't get me wrong, it's... The, they are both good units. It's just when I've come to it, if I want to play with the Corsairs, I'll tend to take Corsairs and Spearmen. Um, if I don't play the Corsairs, I'll go Spearmen and Crossbows. And um, that's just my choice. Okay. But they, they are the, the joys of the Dark Elves. And one of the things that have made Dark Elves so good is they've got a, a really good, strong core selection. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, not a lot of high strength, but still. What is it, five choices to, to pick through? Possibly, yes. possibly six if you take Crone Hellebrun. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, you know what we never mentioned? Well, at some point, remind me, no, we'll have to talk about yeah, the, the Assassin. We never did bring him up yeah. in characters. But uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and... Oh, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say we could do the Assassins after call, because yeah. that's sort of where it is in the book as well. Exactly. Oh, it seems like a weird place to put it, but that's where it is. Well, back then they didn't count as character or core, but you could oh, put them in... Oh, that's right. Yeah, so... Okay, so Dark Riders. Uh, Corsairs. Corsairs. Oh, sorry, Corsairs. Yeah. 
So a couple of questions for you here. I, I think that they're terrific, especially with the option of taking the sea, uh, sea Serpent banner. And um, I guess you could take the Handbow, but I've never done it. So what do you? what's your take on these guys? I love them. They're my favorite unit. Yeah. Um, I've almost, for the last year, every list I've written has had 10 of the... Um, 30 of these guys in in a horde. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, over the last few months, I've been playing around some different lists, um, been chopping and changing. Uh, the the Frenzy banner is always on them, so I'm running um, 30 guys, 10 wide, always in horde formation with the Frenzy banner, um, three attacks a model, mm-hmm. two, two supporting attacks behind. You get 50 attacks if you get the, the full horde in. Um, with the five-up ward on them from the Cauldron of Blood, they they're fighting against anything, absolutely anything. Just sorry, sheer two, supporting, two supporting attacks from behind. We both look yeah, at each so other. How do you get? If that? you're in a horde formation, yeah. But I mean, so uh, you have one they, from second rank, one from oh, third. Oh, rank. oh, yeah, oh I yeah, you yeah, meant yeah, Two yeah. attacks per guy. Like frenzy gave them <laughs> no, a second attack. I'm like, just, what? Just what mis- are you guys no, playing? Just misunderstood. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, two extra no, ranks. No, with no. Okay, so oh, I was like, damn. Did we, I, I honestly said it, going, man, I've been playing the rules wrong again, and I'm about to show my ignorance on the show. That's still fifty freaking attacks. That's just it. And, you know, even if yeah, it was only, even when even if it's strength three, it works tremendously well. And uh, as often as not, it's not strength three. <laughs> and even especially when you've um, you take a lot of damage, and you still get ten ten guys in, and it's thirty attacks. It's still there's still a fighting unit once they've taken a lot of damage. And they can take a lot of damage as well because of the sea dragon cloaks. Yeah, they've they actually four, as far as elves go, they're almost resilient. I gotta say, I get sometimes confused with the different models, especially when they go on the board. Especially if we're playing, if we haven't gotten everything painted up, you know. I'm like, wait, who are these guys? Who are those guys? I see them damn sea dragon cloaks. I get spot a corsair on the board because of the model. Sea dragon cloaks are one of the unsung heroes of the dark elf armor. I the, the corsair is the unit that I that I when I see it on the board, I'm like, oh crap, because I know that thing is going to come in like a blender. And I can't shoot it down early. Well, I can't shoot it at all with my vampires. But with the dwarves, it's like, do I even want to bother shooting at that? It's not. It's it's. Well, with your guns, you can punch through them a little bit. But um, doesn't it give them a bonus against being yeah, shot at though? They, they effectively, I think, uh, it's four plus armor save against shooting attacks. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, four plus against shooting yeah. or against anything that's not close combat. Right. If um, they've got light armor and the sea dragon cloak, so that's yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's two plus. Uh, it, it, it's plus two to the armor save from the cloak, and obviously that light armor is one. Yeah, but they, yep. they're such a blender. I mean, they're coming in. They're they're you know similar in many ways. It, it, at least when I see them, as if you're having witch elves coming in, I just know that there's going to be my, my guys are going to be standing there and just watching flashings of blades flying everywhere. And it's like I don't want them to get to me. And if I and, try to shoot them down early, it's not nearly as effective as if I'm shooting all these other elves, who have strength four armor piercing is just taking. There's, they're just taking them off, you know? Mm-hmm. Ugh, I hate the Corsairs. I love them. I do love them. <laughs> they're good. My question, they're, great. They're, good combat, they're a good combat unit, yeah. and they're a core choice. So it's a powerful combat unit out of your core, which is really, really good. As good as they are, have you ever taken a handbow? I've never. Yes. You have? Well, what did you think? Yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, I quite like the handbows. Uh, I've been playing recently with sort of a an MSU list, multiple small units. So yeah. two units of 14 Corsairs with handbows okay. are quite good. Um, also, when you play with uh, multiple Pegasus riders, it, it's quite nice to have the handbows then because what you find is because the Pegasus riders take up four guys in the unit, um, 
you can have three Pegasus riders in the Corsair unit filling up the front rank. So, and these guys are always <laughs> these guys are. You we'll all get dirty, <laughs> dirty bird. <laughs> you know, I hear you talk about the things you do on the show, but I mean, you usually talk about what you've taken and how it's gone. Sitting down and just talking the tactics with you for this army that you know, like it's just like, <laughs> you know, at, at times, at times, all the way over here, we hear, you know, he's got such a reputation, and it just it doesn't come across when he's on the show. And now, sitting down and talking to you about, oh, you just you you have this picked <laughs> apart for the filth. <laughs> It's what it's what you get from playing it for a long time. Now I've played I've played with three Pegasus heroes and a Pegasus Dreadlord before as well, um, <laughs> and then a single level four. And what you get is you get the the um, the Pegasus riders are eight wide, so you get two more men, your standard musician in the Corsair unit. So you've got a, your full horde, um, but people can't hit the Corsairs because they've um, they're in you know they're in the back ranks. Um, they only hit the, the the heroes, which have all got one up armor saves um, and ward saves. You can get a forward ward. Um, you get pendant, two forward wards, and a regen save across the four four guys on the Pegasus. Um, and they're all frenzied as well. And the frenzy banner um, doesn't give it to. It doesn't say mod riders or anything like that. It says models in the unit. So obviously the Pegasus gets frenzy as well. The riders get frenzy and hatred. Um, and it's a horrible Death Star. But because there's no no Corsairs to fight, you may as well give them handbows. Ah, okay. Uh, oh, do you Lord. take do you take a lore that enhances those handbows, or is it just like sort of pennies on the dollar? It's just one additional thing that you can do to make them more useful. It's just I don't know if they're that great. Um, I I do like them. Um, so it's not it's not but, that they're a good choice. It's that they're not getting into combat anyway. So you might as well do something. Yeah, I might as well have some shots. Okay. It's quite nice. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Uh, Goodness. Well, they can take a magic standard, but almost every time it's going to be the sea serpent for me. Uh, would you ever do anything else with them? So you, back in the day of seventh edition, it was nice to run the razor standard, not the razor standard, the banner of murder for the armor piercing. Yeah. But now it's changed to eighth edition. Armor piercing only works on close combat attacks unless it actually says otherwise, um, and it doesn't say that on the banner. So. No, I don't. I don't see the place for the handbows with the armor piercing anymore. Yeah. Um, so no, just corsairs with frenzy. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. I suppose we should move on to the dark riders. I think they're very useful, but they're a little expensive. Uh, the the crossbows make them helpful. The fact that they, um, you know, fast cavalry means that they can vanguard. Do you take these guys? When eighth first came out, I was using. Um, a lot of dark riders. I'd like th- three or four units mm-hmm. build up my core as, of mainly dark riders, um, and they were great for just um, expendable. Run them forward with your vanguard move. If people charge them straight away, just flee through your army to safety and then move back next turn. Um, if you do get the first turn and then you've, you've got another eighteen inch move on top of that, uh, they're quite effective. So they are they are useful um, as the sort of meta games formed around how eighth is played. Over the last year or so, the, I think they are easy points in the list. It's, it's just too easy to get the points off them. But in some matches, um, people just can't deal with them. What has it become? I think 85 plus the uh, musician, so it's 85, 70, 72 points. Yeah, 117, for, uh, 80, 80, 117 for five with musician and crossbows, yeah, or 80, 85 with just um, musician. Um, not 85, is it at all? It is... Um, 
87, is it? You'd really no. have to take the crossbow if you want to get anything out of these guys, unless you're going war machine hunting. Yeah, that's it. And not just that, it's getting in the way of units and yeah. controlling where people can move on the table because the dog ladders stood in the way. Well, it's expensive chaff. I mean, for that, you'd almost want to just go with the harpies and be done with it. So they're, yeah. they're which? So they're yeah, they're a little too expensive for chaff. So you want to take them with the repeaters. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I don't see myself taking very many of these. I've seen armies that are just you know a field of of dark riders, and it looks great. But yeah, they're pretty vulnerable. This oh, ironically, this is the only unit in core that can even in theory generate strength four attacks, and that's only on the charge with their spears. So yeah, that would be the only. So, <laughs> yeah, that's not a good in, choice. In the UK, since 8th came out, only two people have won 60-player um, plus tournaments with Dark Elves for a two-dayer um, since the book came, since 8th launch. And there's myself, who's won a couple, and another guy called Luke McHugh, and he used a Dark Rider-based army. He had, I think he had two units of Blackguard, Death Magic, um, and loads of Dark Riders. And um, he, so he did, he did quite well with that one. So would he lower the toughness, then, of the opponent for the most part and then charge in? No, 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 not at all. Dark riders don't see combat. They just um, cause people problems, stop it where they're moving, getting in the way of things, um, just delaying them as much as you can while you're shooting them with your crossbows and your death magic, and oh. then hitting them with the okay. hitting them with the black guard once they get there. So it wasn't a bus of dark riders; it was MSUs all over the place. Yeah, okay. like four units, gotcha. I think three, three or four units of dark riders and three units of harpies. Okay, that makes more sense to me. Now, now I can envision how this army works. All right, so sounds like we we are you and I are more or less on the same page on these guys, which is they're a bit expensive, they're interesting to use, they have their function, but for the most part, I think there's better chaff out there right now. It's a repeater crossbows or nothing at all for these guys. Yeah, I think they do exactly what the harpies do, and the harpies are cheaper. And they kind of do it better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. here we go, 11 points. So they don't count for core, though. So you gotta build, you got to put your points in elsewhere to get the, the core unit. So they're just on top of your core. Yeah. With 11 points a model, so 55 points, and suddenly you've got perfect chaff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried using these in bigger units. Um, I played a unit of 10 recently, and I ended up it be, <laughs> just being an expensive unit that I had to die at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I wanted to try to see how it worked. Um, but no, units of 5. I remember back in the days of the Dark Elf revision, so around the second book, when it was Dark Elf was the worst thing, um, there was a, quite a community on Druchinet um, playing the Dark Elves and playing the MSU, MSU list. And the amount of thought that went into the list of the difference that one harpy can make or two harpies can make in the unit and whether it's worth the extra extra points or worth the extra damage they can do during the game and the amount of calculating and thinking about whether these harpies made a difference back then, it was massive. And then nowadays, it's just like ah, five of them; they'll die. <laughs> yeah, it seems no, like can't that's... see any reason to take more. Well, I would take more than one unit of them, but not more than five in a unit. Is that what you mean? Oh yes, yeah. I don't. See, so you say this. Um, a lot of people have said, "Yeah, you need loads of harpies." Um, but I played for a long time with just one unit. Okay. Um, and the way I played them was to sit behind my battle line. Um, of my like three combat units in the Hydra or um, sort of four combat units if I didn't play the Hydra. Um, the Harpies just sort of lurked around, didn't didn't use them to go war machine hunting or wizard hunting or anything like that. They just stayed behind my army until the right moment to just bring them out and block a unit for one turn. Okay. Um, 
and I only only found I really needed one. Um, and <laughs> I think at the time I was sort of there's a guy called Paul Brown in the UK, and I was sort of his hero at the time because everyone was using loads and loads of harpies with the dark elf armies, and I was just there with my one unit. And he was like, "You don't need loads of units. Look at Ben; he's winning tournaments, and he's only got one unit." Um, so no, you, you don't you don't need a lot of harpies. It's nice. But when it comes to making an absolute killer list and every point matters, um, I think you only need, absolutely need one unit. That's a good point. I guess I didn't think of it that way. My problem right now, Ben, is that I am so Chaos Dwarf-centric as opposed to 7th edition when I played these guys. I'm in the new, you know, in Chaos Dwarves, I'm outnumbered and I'm outmaneuvered at every step of the game. So I feel like I need as much chaff as I can get to prevent disaster. But with the Dark Elves, you are as fast as anything out there generally. And you are not outnumbered with your spearmen you've actually got large units and you know plenty of them so i guess you don't need as much chaff is that is that the case yeah i think you're right and also when it comes to battles of the chaff um dark elves sort of reign supreme at that they've got a lot of shooting they can put out um you've got your shades which can play the harpy role if they need to and in a dark of you nothing's ex- nothing isn't expendable um, there's always you can always throw something to the dogs if you need to. Yeah. Um, so it it See, becomes less like le- less true, reliant. It's yeah, like it's a true like vicious like dark elf player. Throw those guys there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you play exactly. the VC, my friends. That's all I have. But yeah. when they die, I just pick them back up again and that's send true. them that's back true. in the mix. Yeah, you're you're a benevolent <laughs> overlord. Yes, that's me, <laughs> the benevolent vampire overlord. That's me. Well, we were going to take a second to talk about the Assassin, right? Yeah, let's hit the Assassins, then we'll hit the two rare items, we'll sk- and then we'll come back after a break and hit special. So why don't we hit Assassins and the two rares, and then it'll be break time again. Right. Sounds good. So um, have you seen any Assassins? No. The lesser-spotted, great-crested Assassin. I, I, <laughs> in 7th edition, it was, it was not a question of uh, whether you take it, it's which units have it. In 8th edition, it's have you seen one lately? I don't take them at all. Ben, do you do you feel they're so them? good in theory? I love them. They're too vulnerable. Eighth edition means that they're going to attack back. They're not going to live. Exactly, they're not going to live. You're, you're not going to get your points back. I, I can see them as a nice surprise. They're great at well assassinating characters. But what it means is you're going to spend the points on it. In theory, that's if you take it. In theory, and you're going to keep it hidden until you finally get into the units that have a character that you want to kill, and yep. then you're willing to you know sell a a ninety point assassin for. Hopefully a 200 or 225 point uh, character, but the problem is you're, they're still going to have that stinking ward save. Yeah, it's not 90 point assassin though because it, you need the tools, you need the gifts of Kane on him, you need the the plus D3 attacks, the killing blow, or or whatever. To he's more like 150, maybe 170 points. And there's really um, no guarantee that he's going to do his job anyway. I've played the multiple assassin list. Um, I played against it. At ETC last year, the French Dark Elf player I played in the last round. Um, prove we, me, he had proved me wrong. He How was, did it perform? He was he was using three assassins. I won that game, oh. but I think he played um, an average of twelve over the course of the tournament. So six games, he averaged twelve points a game. So not a bad record, really, in a team event. Um, I used a similar list. I was quite impressed by his list. Um, not the out and out power of it, just the sort of fact that it was from left field. Um, it's something a bit unusual, um, and I played that list, a similar version, at a tournament early in, at the back end of last year. Um, I used a level four on death magic and three rending star assassins. Yeah, so the army, the idea of the army is 
Um, it moved up as three combat blocks with the assassins in the front ranks. Um, you can hop between the units, so you can march one unit, move the assassins into it and don't march and still get to fire. Um, and the, the army moves up as a unit. It's really tight on points. No one. It's hard to get easy points out of it. It's well protected. Um, and the assassins just kill everything that comes within 12 inches of the front ranks. And, and it was quite a, quite a nice, um, nice fun army to use. As much as it sounds a bit boring, playing really points denial tight, um, it, the fact that it was so different, I think, was made it enjoyable. Um, so the three assassins with the nine shots, the life taker with the three shots, um, and if you do get into combat, you've got the 12 always strike first, man bane attacks from the assassins. You've got a black guard unit in there. So it's a good fun list to use. Fun for you, maybe. <laughs> Not so much for your opponent. So would you rather face um, an unusual assassin-based list, which you've not seen before, or another rinse-and-repeat mind reser list? No, absolutely. The choice is clear. I'll take the <laughs> former. Uh, it's, it's always nice when you discover a new way to play a list that you thought you've exhausted. And you, yeah. you, know, you just kind of pour through the pages and suddenly realize... You know, let's let's change it up and see how well this works. Variety is fun. I don't mind losing um, to the same army over and over again. There's some armies that sometimes you just have trouble with. Some people have trouble fighting. Maybe their army's not well equipped against this other army, or just them as a player. They're not. They just haven't wrapped their head around this opponent's army. But uh, I, I'd rather get tabled by something that was just completely out of the ordinary that I didn't even know or have a tight game or whatever than another. You know, well, dare I say, double hydro list. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and in that list, I had the, the flaming battle on one of the crossbowman unit, um, one of the spearman units. So all them shots could be flaming if needed. Yeah. Um, I think I might have had the, the. Um, I think I might have had the armor piercing on another unit, so they could all be armor piercing if needed. So it was quite a, a nice combo against strength four. It was against toughness four. They were shooting at strength six. So. Minus four arm save. It's it's quite good. Nice. Well, I suppose we need to rate it, though. So at the end of the day, though, I mean, you would probably still rate these assassins as something fun to do, but not necessarily the ultimate, the top-of-the-line competitive choice. I mean, you'd still go another direction, but it is fun to have as an option, and it still works yeah, well. Yeah, okay. exactly. The, the issue is, if you want an assassin, a combat beast of an assassin at 150 points, you're better off taking a hero on a Pegasus. Right. It's still there. It's still a lot of fun to take, and you can catch somebody with their pants down a couple of times. But you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't build the metagame around it because it's too easy to deal with. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dave, you wanted to jump into the rares now. Yeah. It just you know what? I'm just saying there's only two rares and there's like eight specials. So we'll do just do the two rares, then take a break, and then we'll come back for specials. Yeah. I mean, the Dark Elf Army has a lot of choices, but I think the real heart of the army is what you're going to find in those special choices. So we can save the best for last. Exactly. Okay. Well, yeah, and we'll come so, back for break time. So. How many Two repeater bolt throwers do you take, Ben? Yeah, are you taking any bolts these days? I, I didn't. What was that? <laughs> How many bolt throwers are you taking nowadays? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> There's, There's two rare re choices, right? A hydra and a, and hydra. a second hydra. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though, no, because in seventh edition, I mean, you wouldn't go into a game without it, and now in eighth edition, it's it's a mockery. It's it's, it's a shame. the half points. The loss of half points was the death knell for. The bolt thrower because it can only it has to do that has to do a wound going well, that, rank to rank to rank that and it doesn't get the plus one to hit a large target so it's no longer That's guaranteed yeah I mean you're not going to be That's able to say one. oh is that a dragon thwap killed it you know it's, and it's also the units 
Um, you're not seeing units of 15 men anymore. You're seeing units of 50. Right. You cannot do, which is why some people in the United States, there are a couple of podcasters, one in particular, that argues that ballistic skill shooting or shooting in general doesn't do what it needs to do. And I tease him. We all tease him a little bit. But at the same time, he kind of has a point, which is it's possible that ballistic just doesn't do the job anymore. Jesus, don't say that. Well, but he's got a point. I mean, we have to argue on both sides. I mean, which is... That's true. Yeah, in the, in the case of the bolt thrower, it's clearly the case. I mean, six shots at strength four isn't going to do nothing. It's a sneeze. You know, it's it's bad language at a unit as opposed to doing some real damage. Yeah. Would, if you didn't have access to um, things like the miasma and the sob light, would you take... The strength four bolt throwers. That's the question. You don't really need the, the bolt throwers when you can lower someone's toughness and hit them with a thousand crossbows. Or even just take a fireball. You can guarantee. Yeah, exactly. You can guarantee a fireball. You can, you know, every time you can get it any time, and you can cast six dice at it, and you can get three d six hits at strength four. Or you can spend a hundred points, which is how much you just spent on that sorceress to do the same thing. And it's yeah, know, and the the sorceress is in a unit, so she's protected. Right. So. I don't know, the bolts, I've, I've seen them in use, and they're particularly good in a higher form at the moment, I think. Um, taking a few of them with a defensive list, um, a Shadow Booker Hoth build, low and withering, going irresistible every turn, a support wizard choosing um, Arrow's Attraction with his, um, I can't remember the item now, that lets him choose, Seer Staff, is it? Uh, um, so, I don't, yeah, so they, the high elves, they I choose, think. Oh, go mm, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Choose, choose Arrow's Attraction, Irresistible withering and four bolt throwers into things. I think that's when it does the damage, but you sort of have to build the list around it. And in a dark elf list, I, I don't think they, they do it. I agree. I, the high elves have the choice of taking your attraction, so that would actually make the item a little bit more useful. But for the dark elves, um, kind of the expression is pennies on the dollar. You really you have better choices elsewhere. I mean, this is this is just you know a couple of extra wounds, and it costs you a hundred points to do it. Really. Why bother? Go get the Hydra. And when, <laughs> and when it comes to it, the um, the big monsters get killed by things like Pit of Shades. And for shooting into a unit, Life Taker, you know, it's 35 points. It does three shots hitting on twos or six shots hitting on, like, fours. Mm-hmm. It's about the same, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah. It is. Just one less armor piercing, I suppose. But, no, I don't rate the bolt throws much. And to be honest, it, um, hand on heart, I don't rate the Hydras all that much neither. You know, um, I know that's controversial because people love the double hydra. No, I think it's too too situational. I can count on one hand the number of times I've taken them. To be honest with you, <laughs> and I know that that's uh, I get some flack for it, but I don't take them or I didn't take them that much either. Um, I agree. I I think that they're actually relatively easy to kill, as long as you've taken a relatively prepared list. You kill them before they reach you, and it's a done deal. Any good list should be able to deal with a hydra and an abomination, and if they can't. Um, you should be beating them even without your Hydra. They're scary in in seventh edition, but in eighth edition, with the uh, with the ability to spit out so much firepower, uh, toughness five five wounds isn't that isn't that tough to deal with? It's it's not part of it. Is the is the is the four up regen though? Is if you're not, I mean, if you don't have oh, agreed. I mean, yeah. it's an armor save and a regen, but a fireball will deal with that. True. Uh, I mean, but once again, I'm just I'm just saying that. Depending on what your army has access to, it can be more of a threat to certain armies than to others. Yeah. Oh, regen. Regen is the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I actually have a little trouble dealing with that because I can get one flaming banner and that's about it. 
you know, uh, that for my whole. I used to be able to get two. Well, that's why two of them are so scary because one's probably going to die, and the second one will make mincemeat out of a unit, maybe. True, but uh, and the breath weapon is pretty nice in in eighth edition. Being able to bring the, it into you combat. can make you can make some good lists with the hydras. The, like you say, two hydras with the breath weapons, um, a hero with the black dragon egg, another breath weapon. Yep. Um, maybe even running the monster list. I, I know Rob Cop won the Adepticon Championships, didn't he, with the monster list with the two um, two hydras, dragon and manticore. I think I did that um, once, didn't I? Yeah. I think, I, played, I think David and I played a one-off game where I just brought Monster Hammer. I thought you took that against, like, either... It was oh, it's Chris Yu. That's Chris right. U, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two hydras. Yeah, I've, the... I've played it at tournaments in 7th edition and 8th edition. Um, and, you know, it's, it obviously can still do it because it, it did win did win Adepticon this year, so it is still a viable choice. And the hydras are still powerful, but I do think they are situational as well. And 175 points... A Hydra or Ten Shades. Uh, mm, I think I maybe go for the Shades. Interesting. I think some people will disagree with you, but obviously you've got experience in the uh, the American Beauty picture on your side to, to defend your argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. So now that I've got the American Beauty picture back in my head, thank you. <laughs> uh, quick break and then back with the specials. Sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. sounds good. Excellent. Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. And we are back. And better than ever. Nice job. (laughs) If you're just tuning in now, and how can you be? This is a podcast. We're talking about the Dark Elves. We're going to get into the specials. (laughs) All right, specials. What what would be the chance of someone turning on and (laughs) fast-forwarding right to that bit? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try it. I try all the challenges I hear on Warhammer podcasts. I'm just gonna start randomly hitting the on the when the bar comes up on iTunes. I'm just gonna randomly hit towards the middle and hear if see if anyone says if you're just joining us. I think if I try one podcast every day randomly between now and the day I die, I'll probably still never hit it. But we'll try. <laughs> Keep trying, Dave. Stupid challenges. Oh, Bye, Dave. Yeah. You already took up one stupid challenge this year. Why do you need to do another? You know what? Coven I, Throne. Coven Throne. Okay. Coven Throne. That challenge was A. Stupid. I like it. Okay. I like the Coven Throne. Sure. I don't think it's great, but I like it. And B, Second it was it. an excuse for me. You know, number one, and now B, um, it's an excuse for me to get the Coven Throne. Ah. <laughs> I want the toy. Yes. But now you got to play with it. Yeah, okay. I have to. And now I took the challenge. I'm going to play with it. Fair so. enough. I guess that's why, Chris, you took two giants in that game. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's jump into this. So witch elves are potentially core, but most of the time they are special. Um, I don't think I need to defend them. They're pretty spectacular. Although it's funny. For myself, I did not take them as often because I took Corsair so much. But well, you were playing against me all the time. And it was Oh, in 7th edition. <laughs> I was yeah because I didn't I didn't at the time have a cauldron and I couldn't protect them yeah so 
But with that in mind, with the cauldron in place in a competitive list, Ben, take it away. I mean, go ahead and sing the song of uh, the, <laughs> Witch Elves. Which, you see, for me, I've not I've not played the Witch Elves extensively. Um, I have used them. I've used them in various different shapes and sizes of units. Is it because um, it embarrasses you to paint the mostly naked women? <laughs> I'm just I'm just curious. Are, are you a bit puritanical? Of, of, is that what I'm finding out here? I'm not embarrassed to paint naked women. I think <laughs> I think it's a fine use of my time personally, but. <laughs> The, that is one reason. Uh, the other reason is I actually, <laughs> I actually haven't painted a unit to match with my new army. My my witch house I've got at the moment are from the army I painted when the seventh edition book was out, and the witch elf current witch elves first came out. Um, so I've not really redone them for the new army. Okay. Um, so for me, it comes down to a choice. If if you're taking corsairs in core, um, then you. Your special choices. You're looking at which elves or blackguard or both, I suppose. And so, so you are I, kind of going I, the direction I, I went, which is why it's redundant. Yeah. Okay. I'd rather have the arm save on the corsairs yeah. than the poison on the witch elves, um, or the arm save on the, it's it's twenty blackguard or thirty witch elves. The blackguard is stubborn all the time, higher weapon skill, always got hatred, high strength, um, high leadership. Stu- you know what I mean? It's See, I felt I felt for for witch elves to be special. I always felt like their weapon skill was unusually low. Like these yeah, are special well, units; they're fine. trained killers. Maybe they should be a little higher. I mean, they've got the frenzy, I suppose. See, this is one where we kind of disagree because they're not the trained killers. At least if you read the fluff, the witch elves seem to be like the they took a lot of drugs and now they're racing into combat with no regard for their own personal safety. They're high and they're just fighting, and they don't feel it when you cut them. In fact, the more blood they see and smell, the higher and more insane they get. So I just figured a weapon skill four was a fair was fair for them because they're not really concentrating on you know, the skill of fighting. They're concentrating on just finding more blood. Yeah, I want weapon skill five. <laughs> I'm just I'm And they used just, to be weapon skill five. <laughs> oh, they used to be okay, so my whole fluff argument just went out the window. Sorry. You know what? All right, but back for, to the experts. But, but for ten points <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. What I do like, I mean, it's small units. And I don't know if you guys have used them in small or seen them used in small units. Well, in 7th edition, yes, but in 8th edition, not so much. Um, do you think that they're worth it for just a smaller unit of witch elves, just for the poisoned attacks, for the attacks? Just kind of get them in the way? Oh, sure, yeah. So I like six of them with a, a champion and probably musician um, that comes in pretty cheap. That's oh, you can take them in very small units. Points. That's right, you can take yeah, them in fives. You can take them in fives. Okay. And then you can run them three wide, so your front ranks get in. You get, basically, you're aiming at characters and going for killing blow with a cauldron. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you can run your filthy conga line tricks, champion at the front, um, stubborn within 12 of the cauldron. Um, also, against things like demons or anything unarmored, um, low toughness, hordes, you just run six in front of people, stand in front of them, um, let them charge you. You're going first. So six guys gets, what is it, uh, three attacks a guy plus your champion. So you're chucking a bucket of attacks out with poison and, and re-rolls. You're going to shred a load of units, and you're only losing. You're, you're buying yourself a turn. You're doing a load of damage as well, and then you've got a second unit doing it again. So imagine a horde of bloodletters bearing down on you. Yeah, it's like 60, um, 70 points, I think. Yeah, and your witch elves are going to kill um, five or six bloodletters before they get to strike you. You might even kill more than that. In fact, I think you probably would kill more than that with uh, what would be 18 attacks, um, 19 attacks, 
uh, threes, fours to hit with poison and rerolls. Yeah, you're going to kill a fair, fl- fair few. Well, you're going to yeah, you're going to hit about do ten, ten to 15, 15 of them, I think. Yeah, by odds. Um, and with poison and rolling to wound and ward save. Yeah, yeah killing killing about half a dozen. Um, my maths are probably well off, and people are going to be raging. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moan at me on Twitter. Um, it'll be fine. But yeah. So you chuck them in, in in waves. You stand one unit in the way, stand another unit in the way, and just keep shredding them. And then you crossbows finish them off um, when there's not much left. They're quite nice like that. It's actually um, a very a guy, good idea. We can just go on a guy. Um, his name's Alec Fren- Frenzel. Um, you you might have heard of him. He won back in seventh edition. He won the Dutch GT with Warhammer and 40k in the same year and this this was like one of the the big events in europe at the time it was where Jeez. it was a games workshop run event and it was the ones a lot of people traveled from around europe to go to um in holland just in tilburg not far from amsterdam and um he he won that in the same year with with um dark elves for the warhammer one and i don't know what he played in 40k but so, clearly a good player he's had a bit of a break came back at court to war played in that tournament with Dark Elves, and he was using a, an infantry list, and he had two units of eight Witch Elves um, doing the same thing, running them eight wide, running into units, just doing loads of damage, and, and taking them off 100 points at a time. Um, oh, geez. And they, they do work like that, but they are very fragile. If someone decides they want to shoot them, they're easily killed, but it's, that means they're not shooting then the Blackguard. Let's go to the Blackguard real quick. I know they're not the very next one on our list here, but you were saying how you'd rather take them. So the Blackguard are 13 points. Well, they're almost a guarantee in just about every list because of how good they are. You're limited to taking between 5 and 20, so you're you're likely going to see blocks of 20 in almost every time. Anytime you take them, you're probably going to take 20. Do you think the, yes. do you think the uh, number limit on these guys is a good thing? I mean, balance-wise, I'm certain as a Dark Elf player, you'd like to take hordes of 40 of them. I think it's a 7th edition thing. I don't think that there's any point of limiting their size. It's just what it is. Ben, okay. do you disagree? Um, it's difficult. If I think if they if there's no unit size limit on the Blackguard, you'll see units of 40 all the time. And it, I think at that size, they are, they are going to be quite powerful. Um, but it's, it's, it's no different from like Chosen or Chaos Warriors or anything else, don't you think? Yeah, sure it is. The 13 points a model. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, yeah, but that's your entire army at that point. No, not really. So I've played a lot with um, with two units of 20 backguard, and having that as one unit of 40, you still get a good size army around it. You get you get a, a good character set up. You get your 600 points in core, which includes two strong combat units in a spearman block, um, which and then the Corsairs, which can use the cauldron on, and having forty blackguard means you wouldn't ever have to put the cauldron or much magic into supporting that unit, and you could use your your magic and your cauldron to support elsewhere. Okay. And the blackguard can do the, can do their own thing then. Um, so I think having them capped, capped at twenty is quite important. Okay, because um, otherwise they start. I, I mean, I might be wrong on that, but. I see. I think they are very powerful, and in larger numbers, it yeah, could that, be even worse. And that was kind of my thought, because that's the one thing I hear from Dark Elf players always is they wish that that cap was gone. I mean, if everybody wishes that cap was gone, there's got to be a reason. It may, there might be a reason it's there, because well, you know that whole it, extra rank of attacks, even if you can go horde with them, it's just. I mean, that's a lot of really powerful attacks. Yeah, thirty Blackguard with. Um, with just a musician is 397 points. Um, 
You know what I mean? That that's that's a cheap unit for what it would do. Thirty of them. Um, my favorite, absolute favorite setup is twenty with just a musician for I think it's two hundred and sixty-seven points. It's really cheap. It's very easy to to start throwing in standard a musician, a champion with a magic item, and a magic banner, and it soon racks up. You can get them up to like three hundred and three hundred and fifty points. I think they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't see the need. I, I don't see the need for anything other than a musician in there. Well, let's talk for just a moment about what makes them so powerful for the listeners who are less familiar with this army. I mean, the reason Black Art are so good is that their weapon skills five. Their leadership is nine, but they're stubborn. They can re-roll hits every turn regardless of who they're fighting. Um, and they're completely immune to psychology, if I remember correctly. Yep. With Halberd, so they're strength four. And uh, you combine all this together, and I think they have heavy armor even. So not that that makes much of a difference, but usually when you combine that with a cauldron, you get a fairly resolute unit. Uh, ben, what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, the heavy armor does make a difference because when you are fighting things like ghouls or anything with low strength, having a 5-up armor and a 5-up ward and weapon skill 5, it it is really resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the beauty of them is they're stubborn, so they're always going to be there till the end, grinding away, lots and lots of strength 4 attacks. Yep. You're getting masses and masses of strength 4 hits every round. Oh, and two, so, two attacks per model, I believe. Yeah, yeah, two attacks each. Um, so just like seven guys, fourteen attacks with rerolls. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's the what's the maths on um, threes to hit with a reroll? Is it one Generally, in, one I in find nine misses? I, yeah, seven seven out of eight hits. I think it is. If my math isn't exact, but I believe it's about. We're both about right. Yeah, it's pretty so pretty you, big. You I mean, do get a lot of hits. Yeah, and when what, I roll eight dice, as often as not, all of them are going to hit. So beautiful stuff. And what makes it so good and and. We, we talked about the mind razor earlier, but the reason it works so well, um, and the cauldron comes into it in a big way, is you can you can let anything charge you with the black guard, absolutely anything, and they will stick. Yeah. Um, five up ward, weapon skill five, and if you've got six or seven black guard left, and then you mind razor them, it you know what I mean. Getting hitting something twelve times with strength nine, it it kills anything, even if it's a massive unit. It just it takes half the unit off. So the black guard are, are always no matter how much damage they take, they've always got the potential to just one spell and flips it around and they swing the game. And that, that's why the Black Guard are so good. They're stubborn, so they're always going to be there. You can't, something can't just come in and roll them over and run them down, which is what can happen to the Corsairs, um, which is where the, the stubborn Dreadlord comes in so handy because yeah. he, he doesn't have to go running forward. He can sit in the Corsair unit and do the same job. Um, so once you've, got, once you've got a steadfast Spearman block, um, two hordes of um, 20 Blackguard, 10 wide, which is how I always run mine. Um, 30 Corsairs, 10 wide. Um, you've got three units which can take a charge off pretty much anything, hold it, and then go for the Mind Razor next turn to try and take it off. And you'll just buzz off through anything. With their initiative yeah. of six, unless, unless you're and, playing against High Elves, you're likely going to go first. And again, the other thing with the Blackguard, um, how I like to run them in the, sm- the smaller point size of two two six seven um it makes them very it's <laughs> i said earlier everything in the dark elf army is expendable and even the black guard are you can throw them 
say you're fighting against a unit of white lions, you're going to lose that combat. The white lions are going to kick your ass. However, there's not going to be <laughs> <laughs> there's not going to be many white lions left. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I, I, I know you don't like to curse on this show. No, that's Sorry, okay. No, that, that's that's not a curse. I've said that before. We just <laughs> we we stay away from the big ones, but that's fine. You're talking about a donkey, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. The donkey's going to get beaten by the white lions. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> But what you've got to think is the Blackguard will do damage on the way down, and you end up losing um, end up losing twenty Blackguard for nearly two hundred and seventy points, and taking out most of a four hundred point high off unit, and then your crossbows finish off the last like ten men, and it, it's a good trade then. Um, and you've got to be you've got to be thinking that all the time with the Dark House of what what can you what can you swap points? You can you can lose a Dark uh, Blackguard unit. Um, for a unit twice its points, and it's a it's a fair swap in your eyes, and it's that's how they will perform well. Two unusual items with the black guard. You don't uh, fifty points for a magic item, or excuse me, fifty points for a magic banner. Do you take advantage of that? Um, I don't. I don't like them with standard. I don't. Okay. I don't see what it adds. Extraneous. Um, huh? I. I mean, yeah. What, I don't see them as being a combat a unit that. Wins combat by one standard and well, I've runs heard, something away. In seventh edition, I heard that it was useful to take always strikes first, which is a thirty-five point banner. But in eighth edition, I don't see that as being especially useful. I mean, you already get the uh, you already get the ability to strike first in combat most of the time with initiative six, and, and you all, you get the always re roll every yeah. round. Yeah, so it's, so one one good way of playing that is running the lord in there with the executioner's axe, and it's a proper big choppy lord. Um, in the black guard unit, blood armor on him as well. And um, but no, I don't. I don't really like. I, I don't see the point in that. The okay. one thing I have been thinking about with the empire, not so much the em- yeah, I suppose the empire, and certainly the Mournfangs. Um, so the demigriffs and the Mournfangs is running the standard bearer with the banner of murder armor piercing. Okay, just to give them minus two on their armor saves. Right. But I still don't know if it's worth. What is it going to be? It's going to be... Um, That's 25 points thir- for that banner. Thir- yeah, 39 points for the standard bearer and the ba- and the magic standard. So, um, no, I'm not, not so sure. 39 points can be... You know I mean? It's it's one, one black guard away from being a harpy unit. Right. Uh, the other thing for the black guard is that the champion, if you take him, can take 25 points worth of magic items. Do you take advantage of that? Nope, I won't run the champion in there again, keeping them cheap. But I can see the benefits of things like the Ring of Hotek. Right. Or um, there's a couple of items, uh, something like, well, I don't know, actually. What's it, the Magic West Sword, Crimson Death, two-handed, strength six all the time. Again, if you're running a Death Star type, a couple of characters always strike first. So you've got a strength six champion, a couple of strength six chariot, um, characters. That might be nice, but I, I, I think it's throwing points into what is essentially 20 men if it's 30 men then then you're talking okay. you know what i mean so really it boils down to the idea that what you said earlier was that this is ultimately a very good but you still expendable unit and the more you put into it the less expendable they, they, they become they become too expensive exactly okay okay makes exactly. sense to me. a fully a fully tooled um black guard unit is what 20 guys um at 13 points a man plus um standard musician and Champion, that's 295 points. Yep. You get um, the standard Hag Grief in there, that's 330, and plus 25 on a champion, it's 355. You can, well, you can go up more, more if you have a 50 point banner, but mm-hmm. 355 for that setup 
against my setup of um, two six seven, you, you know, you're saving a lot of points, aren't you? And yeah. you're effectively doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not enough payback for that for that points cost. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at the we got what, we got shades and then executioners coming up here. Well, now I know you like the shades. Um, mm-hmm. So I assume that you're going to take how many units of these do you normally take in a, in like your average army? One or two? I kind of settled on taking twenty shades um, in one unit. If I can, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. Twenty <laughs> shades in the army. Okay. Um, split split across three units if you can. Or sometimes the comp system say you only allowed two units, so so two units of ten. ten sh- the shades in tens is a really good size because it means um, it, they can they're a solid combat unit. They can take a two d six fireball and not give points away. Um, and yeah, they're, they're putting out a lot of firepower, so they're good. I, I really and I know ballistic skill shooting is apparently dead, but the two units of shades with with withering is just or ten shades and a flaming sword going on them. It's powerful, really powerful. Well, oh, ballistic skill of five is not dead. <laughs> that works just fine. No. So no, moving, yeah, marching and shooting. So you you've got sort of a threat range on them of like thirty four inches. Yeah, um, and ten, twenty shots at ballistic skill five. So you're hitting on fives. If you're moving, shooting long range, double shot. It's fives to hit. Um, you know, seven hits on something. If you get the withering on them, and that's twos to wound. With armor piercing, it's it's massive, um, or the flaming sword on them. So the wounded average stuff on threes instead of fours. How do you equip them otherwise? I mean, they can take a bloodshade, which is a champion, a great weapon, or an additional hand weapon, and finally light armor. Do you give them any of that? So I don't think I've ever ran them with a champion or with light armor, um, and I use them with extra hand weapons. In the in the um, last edition, I used to like to run tunes for five. One with great weapon, one with extra hand weapon. Right. But now it's just just an extra hand weapons. Um, or it's, non, it's the eighth or edition change. It's the ability to charge and be able to swing first and seventh. Then you take the great weapon. But in eighth edition, you probably want the additional attack. Is that it? Yeah, that's right. What okay. is nice is um, the the additional hand weapons go nicely with with the the cauldron of blood and with the shadow magic. Again, this is why the shadow magic works so well with with the dark elf army because the shades going in at weapon skill five, two attacks each. You know, you get five shades into something. It's ten attacks. It seems like one a mind raiser. It seems like a pattern mm-hmm. here. Multiple low strength attacks that you augment with shadow. Yep. 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 <laughs> I guess they, they it work. work. Yep. And the fact that they're shades means that they are anywhere you want them to be. Just about. Yeah. Jesus, I hate those things too. <laughs> <laughs> the, so the executioners, though. Um, mm. Now, I know some people really love them, but I, they seem to be sort of maligned. They're sort of like the little stepchild since people tend to go with a blackguard more. Now, I love these guys, but I don't think that they're as versatile, perhaps, as the blackguard. The executioners don't belong in every list, but I love to take them personally, and I think that's because it's a fluff choice. Ben, what's your take on these guys? I agree with, entirely with what you've just said. and The, the wonderful figures, um, both the... The, the models which are out now and also I've, I've managed to get hold of um, I think we've got 21 of the the ones back from 5th edition which weren't actually released they were only available at games days mm. um, for for one year all the games days from around the world had these executions on, on sale a bit of a side so note you'll have get... to you'll have to post a picture because I don't know if I know those models um, okay so they're in the they're in the first version of the Dark Elf book mm. but they were never actually released but yeah I can post a, post a picture of them for you yeah I'd be curious um 
And they, the great figures, the some of the most character, characterful figures in the range. I can't get words out here. <laughs> and um, twelve points a model for the special rules that they've got. It's just amazing. Um, great weapon, hatred, strict um, six, K9, so the stubborn near the cauldron, yep. killing blow. Um, really, really impressive. Strength four as well, so they're always strength six. Um, so the solid choices. However, um, I don't think you need. Uh, and always strike last unit in your army. It's it's a problem. There's the um, thing, and that's that's. I mean, you can work around it. You don't get me wrong. You can get the death hag with always strikes first and put her in the unit. That's kind of the direction got... I like to go. If I'm going to take these guys, is to put that death hag in there and actually give them the ability to strike an initiative order, which is five for them. Yep, and it works. Um, and they're still re-rolling because of the hatred. And um, the death hag is very vulnerable though, so you need to pick your fights. <clears throat> Um, Chris Tomlin from the Black Sun podcast yeah. was using a unit of these, and he liked to run metal magic with them. So you got the five up armor, five up ward from the cauldron, hmm. and you're going for glittering glittering scales, is it? To yeah, that's all, that's the one that gives them a scaly up. skin armor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the one in a three up armor, you get a five up, five up on the death hag. I'm sorry, wait a second. I'm, I'm a little confused. How do you get down to three plus armor? Because the metal magic will give you glittering scales. That's a five plus scaly. And they got heavy armor. Who has the heavy armor? The executioners. Oh, executioners. I'm sorry. For some reason, I don't know. <laughs> my, my brain just turned off for a moment. Sorry. Okay. Yes, of course they do. <laughs> I'm with you now. <laughs> well, the other thing is. When you put the unit of executions on the board against someone, they go, what are they? Because <laughs> they don't see them. No one uses them. So then you start telling them all the special rules, and they're terrified because they sound amazing. And then they go, okay, prime target. Let's bomb them. Right. Everything shoots <laughs> mortars, you know, your template weapons, your fireballs. And then you start going, oh, now I've got some fear tests, some panic tests, some all sorts of tests to take. Your Black God are immune to psych, your Witch Elves are frenzied, your Corsairs are frenzied. All of a sudden you've got a big execution unit worth a lot of points, not immune to psychology. Right, you're, um, paying, you you're paying premium points for them. Their leadership is only eight, so even if they're stubborn, they might very well break anyway. And you're, yeah. spe- you're spending almost as much on those as you did in the Black Guard. So ignoring anything else, one point, one point per model, model on the Black Guard for stubborn and immune to psychology mm-hmm. is what that's that's just where the money is i think and if you're playing with shadow you don't need inherent strength anyway you're gonna get it yeah that's that's right yep so uh, but i don't know how much uh, see i i kind of think the the death hag executioner build might sort of be coming back to the fore in the current meta game with the mourn fangs having a lot of strength a lot of high toughness and high armor saves the um, demigriff knights having the one-up armor save maybe Maybe the executioners with always strikes first is a counter to that. Well, the one nice thing about executioners is you don't have to rely on the magic phase to make it happen. It works anyway. Even if you have a very bad magic phase, they're still going to be the strength that they're at. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think in any other army, if you, you add three points to a black guard or um, take some special rules away from them, and all of a sudden the executioners are on par, or stick the executioners at 12 points a model into the high elf list, um, and then you're taking them every single game and... It's, you, you know, it's just, I think they're suffering from being surrounded by a, a lot of good units. I guess the one thing I might consider doing for these executioners, if I do have a death hag in there, this would be one of the few cases where I'd consider taking an almost completely unupgraded assassin just to buy me an additional turn. Just to throw them out there 
in case they're challenging my, my death hag, throw him out to do the challenge instead, get him killed, so that the rest of them could live through another round of combat. But at that point, you're spending so many points. 90 points for Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly a fluff choice. It's not, yeah. it's not the right choice, but it's, it's if you want this unit to work, what do you do to make it work? They don't challenge, though. That's the problem. They just stick all the rank-and-file attacks. You imagine fighting slaves, you know, Skaven slaves, with um, six attacks on your, your hag every turn, or even on the corner, two attacks a turn. No, you'll fives die. To hit four, fives to hit, fours to wound. Eventually she dies. Even the worst unit in the game kills her. Um, so she's. She, I think the idea would be to run them quite wide, go for sort of 30 of them, run them 12 wide and have her on one corner. So when you, even if you do match up against another horde, she can stay out of combat. Yeah. And they're, okay. and they're K-Knight, which means you can't put the Master in instead. Nope. Which means that... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if you could, then that would almost be a little more survivable yeah. because you could give them some decent armor, but yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's cover these last two, the Cold One Knights and the Cold One Chariot, because then we've still got some magic items to go through, and we've got a couple of questions people have been sending in for Ben, so... So, Ben, Cold One Knights, uh, Hydra Banner? Every time? <laughs> it is nice. I don't think you need it. The, joy, the, <laughs> the joys of a mate are without the 27 points. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is nice. You had a Ricky Gervais sort of sound to him right there for a moment. <laughs> it comes down to, and it sounds crazy that I'm going to say this, but it, you don't need the extra five attacks from five Cold One Knights. If you're going for the Death Star build when everything's, all your eggs in one basket, yeah, chuck it in to top it off. But for the most part, once you say, I want a level one or two wizard, and then I want a cauldron of blood, you're looking right there at like nearly 400 points. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your, your cold your one hero with the Hydra banner, if you've got him as a BSB, is 216 points, I think he comes in at. Right. And he's good, don't get me wrong. I just don't know if he's good enough. You, you, could, have two, you could have a second cauldron of blood. You know, it's <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. Um, would that be better? Two cauldrons of blood every turn. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's you reliable. You can't stack them on the same unit. It's one hundred percent reliable. That's what you are, yeah, that's why I don't know that my eyes can roll that far back in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think they're going to go that far. Well, then, cold ones on their own, then by their own merit. In seventh edition, I actually rarely took them. As much as I like the model, it was the initial reason I bought Dark Elves were these new plastic Cold One models, which I fell in love with. But the moment I saw stupidity and realized that I was going to be failing on anything on 10 or higher, I didn't take them. In 8th edition, with the BSB, you can actually get them to be reliable, and they hit very hard. But there's a reason to not take them sometimes. I mean, how often do you actually take them in your list these days? Hardly ever. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've took a a list themed around bringing the pain with the knights um, and they're in there for that role I think they're, they're useful what what you find from a lot of Warhammer armies in general and Dark Elves are no different, once you get sort of 1800 points in your list you, you've you got the, the bulk of the army you've got your character choices you've got your core choices, you've got a bit of shooting you've got your combat blocks, you've got four or five hundred points left to bring in what you like so a unit of Cold on Knights or two units of Cold on Knights you could easily put it in, and it wouldn't be a detriment to the list massively. It'd still work. It'd still be competitive. Um, so it's just a personal choice. I'd, I'd, I'm i not a huge fan. Um, I'd rather go for the infantry, I think. 
Well, part of it, I think, has to do with the stupidity. If you can't rely on these guys to do their job in any one particular role, if you... Well, it's a one in six chance they'll fail it, and with the re-roll, that becomes like a one in 36 chance they'll fail it if you're near your BS, if you're near your BSB. Right, that forces you to have them deployed in the correct place, meaning near the center, you can't put them on the flanks where they would do the most good. That's true. So, and now you've got a couple of small units of cold ones that are potentially competing mm-hmm. with your infantry. The other thing is, because they've got stupid special rule, it makes them immune to psychology, and that means they can't flee. Yep. Oh, that's true. So someone could, if someone manages to pick a pick a battle, you don't, you're not going to be happy with. Yeah, you you're can't, stuck. You can't run from it. Well, then screw them cold ones. And the thing is, um, I don't care if they're beautiful models. They're, they're kind of expensive considering what they do. Twenty-seven points. I'm looking at it. It's kind of hefty for. Now, granted, they you have could, that thick skin, so they get the five up instead well, of the six up bonus. For compare the, them to like a Bretonian. Yeah, Bretonian doesn't have a weapon skill quite as high. Leadership's not as high. Initiative's not as high. Granted, strength isn't even as high. So these guys are better. You know the the but uh, these are these are coming from the special choices. They're twenty seven points a model, and they're stupid. So a nice way to run them is um, run just ten of them, ten knights with. Probably armor piercing, I think, um, and you can use them as just like a, an, another combat block, like you'd use your infantry, infantry block. You don't need to put any characters in there to support it. They can. You, you're not looking to run forward and charge stuff and run them over. You can do if you need to, and you can throw the cauldron on there to give them the extra attacks. But for the most part, you'll sit, you'll take the charges between your armor saves and your your masses of strength four with armor piercing attacks. Um, and the five at ward on them, you're doing some damage. Um, and then if the opportunity does come to to get the charge, you know, seven wide, two attacks each, with a, a couple of supporting attacks thrown in, and your cauldron cauldron giving them two attacks, they're they're a great unit. So I don't know. There's options for them. Don't get me wrong. It, they're not absolutely a, a no choice. But I think it's again with the executioners when you're comparing them to looking at taking Blackguard, which Elf, Shades, two Hydras, um, it's, it's tough. Well, I guess that means that really the cold ones are going to end up being situational to the kind of list you're building. And I, I see them being taken primarily, as you sort of described earlier, which was that very large sort of Death Star. Or I suppose you can take them in smaller amounts just to protect you. But I, I don't know. I think that... I think that these guys, if you don't take the Death Star, you almost don't find a place for them. Yeah. So how about that Cold One Chariot, then? <laughs> chariot? I have not seen it. I don't I don't think I've ever seen anyone I've played with take a Cold One Chariot. Part of the reason why is because the model doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they stopped making it in 6th edition. It's actually a sharp chariot. It's it's the, how did you describe it, the big fat-assed uh, Cold One, the big one? The, the yeah, the pot belly big pot belly. <laughs> I actually like the, the model, and I actually like what they do. For 100 points, it's kind of a steal. Uh, strength five, um, our three plus armor save. They're going to be hitting at strength six, I think, on the charge. Oh no, they're to strength four. So strength five, strength five on the charge. I think they're pretty good for hundred points. They I are actually, good. It's the bargains. Yeah, it's you kind of a to a cast warrior chariot. Yeah. And look what you get. It's um, actually a very good chariot, um, but it is sort of a chaff unit. Yeah, they're they're stupid as well. Can't flee. So you could you could end up with a cauldron chariot which goes stupid in front of an army and gets charged and overrun a nice overrun, or you get a chariot which you you can't get out of the way 
It only can move seven inches, so it can't march and get out of the way of something. Yeah. And it can't flee to to safety through the army. Um, it's, again, I don't know. I don't see the... I, I can see it lacks, if, uh, if you had one in your list, it wouldn't be... What is nice is in the monster list, because it just adds a lot, a lot of toughness to the list. You've got the dragons, the hydras, the chariots. You can't shoot them all. So, I don't know. It's not a bad choice. It's not... Not a top choice. Yeah, my issue... Again, in another army, you throw a couple of these in the uh, in the Empire list and people are bringing them every game. Um, again, in another another book, you might take them, but in the Dark Elf book, I don't think it fits the list. Well, with the strength that they have, you'd want to put them in the flank, kind of deal with fast cavalry and like threaten them from the sides, but because of the stupidity, you want to make sure that they're near enough to a BSB so you don't actually lose them. Yeah. Or you have to keep them in the center, and they just sit there and waiting for a countercharge opportunity. So yeah, it's it's a nice little way to deal with something. It's a nice little bombshell that you can throw at and kill something. But true, I guess that's why you don't see very many of them, Dave. Uh, well, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we that's should, that's it for the characters, for the units, for the most part. We should probably take a little break and then come back and talk about the gifts of Cain and the magic items. Now, normally. What we've been doing, and normally what we've always done is gone, I mean, like I said, we go soup to nuts, item to item to item to item. But this is a 7th edition book. And there's a lot of them. And in the interest of Ben Curry's time being actually more valuable than those of us sitting in this room. Yeah, Ben, if you don't mind, maybe we could just touch on the ones that you think are the most useful. Yeah, we can roll okay. through them and, we can do. and hit well, on those. We can those. go through them all. We'll give it a nod to them all, I think, but... Just go into deeply the ones that yeah, actually... Yeah, um, yeah, if there's ones okay. you think are just not really useful, we can at least just mention them and move along. But we'll take a quick break, folks. Be back. We'll do the magic. And then, Ben, um, it, I, I want to... Actually, I kind of want to go through this one quickly because I'd like to talk a little bit... Uh, we've talked a lot of tactics, but I would just like to hit a couple of other points. And then we've got about a dozen Twitter questions coming up for you. Uh, you spilled the beans in the beginning of the show. I saw it pop up on Twitter, and I said, well, might as well ask if they got questions now. And they've been flying. Had, had it not been announced? No, no. We we never announce <laughs> when we have celebrities on the show because we like it to be that big surprise. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. My bad. But let's go. Quick break and then back. All right. So I guess we'll use this old army book as a hill and uh, we'll use this soda can as the Dark Tower of Darkness, okay? Take your game to the next level with Weird World's Terrain. Our products are handcrafted and cast in lightweight, durable plastic resin that's sure to stand up to the rigors of battle. We're adding new products all the time, so if you're tired of the same boring hills and forests on your table, make Weird World's Terrain your destination for tabletop wargaming terrain. WeirdWorldsTerrain.com. What's your world? Check this out. And we're back. All right, Gifts of Cain, folks, in case you're just joining us, you you managed to hit the spot exactly that I haven't been able to. Good job. All right, so... So for the listeners who are less familiar with the Dark Elves, Gifts of Cain are those items very much like big names or Gifts of Chaos that are utilized by Cainite characters, for example, Assassins and Death Hags. And now can more... These can be... More than one can have these, right? Correct. You can double up. You can take the same gift of Cain for more than one character, but you can't double up in the same character. Okay. With and there's like there's two exceptions. So any of these that really right. stand out for you? Now you you'd mentioned rending stars and the assassin. It's an assassin. Yeah. Only so one. there's a few a few nice ones. Um, rending stars and manbane on the assassin is pretty good because um, it makes your rending stars 
go up to strength seven. Um, the the Dance of Doom, I don't really see a place for. It gives a five award for 30 points to a toughness three character with no armor save. Um, <laughs> wasted time. The, <laughs> the Touch of Death is great because it's the killing blow. Um, and it means you don't have to put the... Don't have to put the cauldron on the unit to get the killing blow. Um, so thirty points that that can work nicely on the assassin. Um, I, maybe on the death hag as well. I don't know. I think you only get fifty points worth on a death hag. So um, let me just double check before I'm getting that wrong. Um, it's been a while since I've actually put any gifts on one. But yeah, you only get fifty points on the death hag. So um, to have a thirty point killing blow on her, um, it means you can't get the extra attacks or the witch brew or things like that. So. Not sure that one's all that much cop. Um, Rune of Cain. Rune of Cain. That's the that's the one, isn't it? Really, that's the, the D3 one. attacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extra attacks. You want to take that one? Yeah, if you're going to combat build, if you're not going for the shooting, what I've seen in the past is um, an assassin with rending stars and Rune of Cain. Um, so it's like a utility piece. So he's getting he's getting D3. So he's got four attacks anyway. Three plus an extra hand weapon plus D three, uh, strength four, uh, and then he's got the rending stars as well for a bit of shooting. So he does a bit of both. He's a comp. I love random fire. Then uh, the witch brew. It's quite nice on the hag unit. Um, there's nothing worse than losing by a flank or something and losing your frenzy, um, losing combat by a flank, losing the frenzy. So that gets rid of that sort of thing. Um, out, obviously, outnumbering is a, a relic of, of days gone by. Um, but flank, rear, and high ground, high ground. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's it's not not amazing. Not it's not bad. You know, you could take it or leave it. It's like an um, anti-war banner almost in the situation. It's cut. It's cutting away a point of combat res for your opponent. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so I mean, hand of Cain and cry of war, both of them, I think, are just too situational. There's not really much use for them. Uh, I mean, ten points. You, you could stick the cry war one there, but I don't. I don't see much need. Um, Manbane again. It's good with the rending stars. It's good in combat. It's just a good all round one. That is Manbane on, on your either your hag or your assassin. Um, now Black Lotus is nice. Um, rerolling ones. That combinations nicely with the um, killing blows. So if you roll a, roll a one to wound, you get to re-roll, so it's another chance of getting a six. Yeah, it's an excellent um, combination of gifts. And then Dark Venom, doubling up your, your wounds in a challenge. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's as effective now as it used to be. Way too situational, combat, yeah. Combat res tends to not matter so much because you're either steadfast or you're not. It, uh, it's not often you lose by one and it makes a big difference. Don't get me wrong, it, occasionally it does, but... I think for the most part, you either you're sticking someone in place because you're steadfast, or you're getting smashed pieces. So why invest the points into something that's only going to come up once in six or more games? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. And then you've got the Venom Sword and the Cloak of Twilight. Um, Venom Sword, I have used it before in seventh edition. It's not really that good. It's a bit of fun. Um, the Cloak of Twilight's a, a great choice. Um, it's only available on the Assassin though, so it makes it a tough one to to put in but it does mean your assassin can move five and shoot 12 and if you get the fly move off it gives you another 10 on that so you know you can you can be shooting you get an extra 10 inch on your range while you're shooting um also if you're keeping back sort of in range of the cauldron of blood you can cast it on the cauldron of blood because it's now a single model because it's a war machine um you can use steel shadows on the cauldron 
Very good stuff. Well, why don't we jump right into the magic items, of which there are four pages worth. This is an old 7th edition book, so plenty to choose from. I, it's one of the things I think that's going to severely affect the Dark Elves when a new book does come out, is losing access to this plethora of good, 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 good stuff. Where do you want to start? Just enchanted items? Do we lose them again? No, I think he's there. I'm still here. I'm oh. still here. Okay. Yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's start with enchanted items. They're the first page of the book, so... 50 points to cause terror. I think that's the best one in the book right there, Death Mask. That's the one I'm taking. <laughs> it's a good star, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the Hydra's teeth are quite nice. Uh, you don't see them used. Actually, um, I like this one. I mean, it's just something that people don't expect. Yeah, and it's great for taking out a war machine. Yeah. Um, it used to be particularly good when um, you used to be able to fly 20 inches and then fire it, and I don't think you can now. Well, you can um, fly 10. <laughs> No, oh, no, it's a thrown weapon. No, no, you. Yeah, well, the you, thing you is, can't. when you when you fly you twenty fly these 10. days, you're considered marching, so you wouldn't be able to shoot. Yeah, I was just looking to see if it was. Um, it had an FAQ to see if it was got quick to fire or anything like that. Or oh, I don't know. No, it's a skirmish skirmish ability, isn't it? Which gives the high hydra's teeth that. So no, so it's it's okay, but it's a bit expensive at forty points. Um, Crystal of midnight, I don't think I've ever used. Um, but the black dragon egg, I do use quite a bit. Um, it's nice on a Dreadlord, um, particularly with the Pendant and Toughness 6. It's any, just a machine. Yeah, anytime you can give an Elf Toughness 6, that's uh, that's worth something. <laughs> and for only 30 points, yeah. that's a steal. Yeah. And when when the comp systems stop the the Dreadlord from having Stubborn and the Pendant, um, you can go Stubborn and Black Dragon Egg mm-hmm. or Pendant and Black Dragon Egg because the, the Black Dragon Egg sort of keeps you in for a round. If you can charge something... Um, you get your charge bonus plus a few wounds and your leadership ten. You should you should hold, and then the second round you use your breath weapon. That's um, it. That's the nice thing about the dragon egg is that in uh, in seventh edition you are going to get kind of one or the other, either the toughness or the breath, because before you couldn't breathe in combat, and now you can actually enjoy both at the same time. You can use it defensively to protect yourself and still breathe into combat because you're in combat. So and it it kind of doubles the usefulness of the ability. Yeah, and it's good with Shadow Magic again because you can position him to breathe fire um, on a unit after you've withered it and um, oh. splatter, splatter him. Well, I suppose you move him up, eat your Black Dragon Egg, move up, breathe fire, and if you do get the withering off, it's um, a massive, massive bonus. Jeez. Um, nice. Next up, Potion of Strength, um, pretty good. Yeah. It's just hard to fit it in and be useful, really. Um, a little bit pricey. Yeah, and there's one in the main rule book as well now, mm-hmm. so you can get the, the double potion. Um, I think the other one's um, a talisman. I'm, I might be wrong on that. Um, I was under the impression you could get... No, I think it's just two in the list, isn't it? They're both both enchanted, are they? Right. Um, but yeah, it's a bit pricey. Um, Gemma Nightmares, I don't know. It's not really much use, is it? One use only, cause fear for a turn. There's so many different ways for your army to cause fear and terror anyway that I don't know if paying for extra is all that useful. No, definitely not. Um, and then the Guiding Eye. Well, then again, the Gemma Nightmares might be useful if you're... No, scratch that. You can't take a character in an execution unit anyway. I was going to say, could make them cause fear. So Unless it's a Death Hag, right. right. Yeah, and you can't take the magic items on the Death Hag. Nope. So, Guiding Eye, re-roll, missed shooting hit rolls. You know, I've taken, quite nice. I've taken this. Yeah, you build the army around it, but it's fun to use. <clears throat> Yeah, it's nice on a wizard, because normally you, on like a level 2 or something, you get a dispel scroll and you've got you got points left for the extra. 
I'm just noticing there's seven enchanted items, and but five of them are one use only. Mm-hmm. A lot of single use <laughs> things on this list. So what about yeah. weapons, though? Well, the big um, one is the Executioner's Axe, 80 points. Um, two hand strikes last. Counts as having strength double that of their toughness. So usually you're going to hit at strength like anywhere between 8 to 10. Yeah. Now what I used to love was getting the Lord with this and then three level twos on Shadow, all going to Steel of Shadows and charging them into things. But obviously 8th edition came and changed that. So it's not quite so good now. You need him in a unit with always track first. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a good... A good dreadlord is, but he's very vulnerable. Be great against ogres. <laughs> yeah, oh. sort of ruin is nice these days if you expect to see a lot of Mornfang. Should be able to mm. plow right through them, but it's a lot of yeah. points. It's fifty points, and uh, I don't know. I mean, Eight. it's it's good for the meta game. It's not necessarily good in general. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? I, I'm not sure. I'm convinced for fifty points. No, I, I mean magic from the magic weapons section. The executions app. I wouldn't go for Sword of Ruin with no armor saves I wouldn't go for no. Web of Shadows it hits one model wouldn't go for that um, used to be nice used to run it on a, on a Manticore Beastmaster on a Manticore that was a nice combo um, Chill Blade wouldn't bother Heartseeker I don't know Rerolling Wounds for 35 points and all close combat hits maybe probably wouldn't bother Hydra Blade plus D3 attacks um, I don't know 35 points for D plus D3 or 40 points for plus 2 out of the rule book. That's just it. That's what you that's what you'd go for. Um at the you know maybe I'd go for the additional attack since you're going to get the reroll and then maybe I'd spend points on the on the strength potion from the book if I need to hit harder. Well, the strength potion in the book actually is uh, is cheaper than this one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's, is that plus two strength versus no, plus it's three. plus three. Is it really? Yeah. Well, then there's just no reason to take. And it. it's 20 points. Yeah. So what else? Uh, Kalidor's Bane, three yeah. plus three strength on the charge. So it's it's a lance that hits at plus three strength instead of plus two. And you can't That's use quite your nice. models cannot take scaly skin saves against it. Oh, it's basically against dragons. But ah. I guess I guess so lizard men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're it's great against um, it's great against scar veterans because they normally have a one-up save. And in the old edition, they used to have like a zero or a, a minus one save. And the, the Kalidor's Bane used to just blow straight through that. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's hitting its strength. You're on the charge. You got the... So you're hitting its strength six. So minus three to an armor save and then minus two more to that because they lost their five-up scaly. Ugh, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, what do we got? Dagger of Hotek here. Additional hand weapon. Gives you always strikes first. So you, yeah, it's not bad. Well, always ASF and an additional attack. Not too bad. Yeah. For 30 points. Yeah, there's there's better ways to get always strikes first. And is there not a sword in the rule book that's cheaper than that? You don't get the extra attack, but you still get the always strikes first. Well, we um, for 8th edition, what you're paying for is the ability. Likely it's on a character with an initiative of 7 or higher, so that means that you're also getting the ability to re-roll every round of combat. Yeah. Well, and if you if you really got a if you really got a thing for the always strikes first, you could take this one for uh, thirty points, and they give that character the extra attack with always strike first. Then take the st- sort of swift slang from the main book for, like you said, for twenty five, no extra attack. But now they're both got always strikes first. Well, you can't take both. They're this is a magic weapon. Oh, I'm just talking on different characters. Oh, okay. You have multiple ways to get. I mean, some people really like putting always strikes first on their characters. I like to do it with my vampire guy, but whatever. So. Life, life taker, I think, is uh, 
doesn't need to be defended. Works great. Yeah, life takes <laughs> fantastic. I do like it. Um, a nice combo is level four with life taker, a scroll, and the dagger. Yep. Um, and it's like some is that. 330 points. Is, uh, and, I've, I've heard the expression quite a lot in the English podcast. does exactly what it says in the tin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, Life Taker, that's, that's another one that looks almost like a one-up. I, whenever I'm playing, somebody, some character pulls out a crossbow, and I'm like, oh, my God, here comes Life Taker hitting me on twos. Yeah, it's just so useful. Yeah, the three dice, you're probably going to hit with all of them. Strength four, works great. Lovely. And it counts as a magic item now. It actually counts as a magic attack in 8th edition. Yeah, so it's magic shots. Yeah. Oh, so it can actually deal with hex wraiths and spirit hey, about those guys. Don't tell them. No. <laughs> uh, Crimson Death. I uh, love this one. Uh, the fact that no modifiers can affect you, the fact that you're strength 6. That sounds negative, but it's actually great. Because even if you're hit by something that withers you down, you're still hitting at strength 6. Call me Mind Razor. Huh? Can't, you can't get Mind Razor. Yeah, that's true. You can't but, I mean, go up, but yeah. You can't go up, but you can't go down either. Yeah, because I know I've got a couple of things, that magic items that I've seen lately, and I know in a couple of books. Um, I know the Wood Elves have one, too, where uh, no bonuses from weapons. Uh, you know, the, the no strength bonuses from weapons. So, actually, well, if those two would conflict, if it says no strength bonuses from weapons, and you have some, so whosever turn it was, they would get the precedence, I suppose. Yeah, I think based so. Based on the rules, but um, still... The Crimson Death is a really nice item. However, the issue I see is normally you want your characters to be like um, like the, the traditional tank, so he, he um, sort of takes in the damage and sticks around for a while. And using the Crimson Death means you don't get the one-up armor save when you're on a horse. Oh, so, true, yeah, true. It, it, can be, it can be quite a... You know, the Dreadlord with a two-up and... Um, pendant, all of a sudden strength 4 attacks on him. If you get a lot of strength 4, it can be quite bad for him. Or even strength 5 when he, you start putting out a lot of damage on him. Yeah. I'd rather go for the, the Sword of Might. It's a bit cheaper. Um, he's only one point of strength less, but he's got a one up armor save. See, I often put this guy into uh, the Crimson Death onto, and I know you didn't do it yourself, but for the Black Guard, you're allowed to take 25 points on the champion, and that's usually where I put the champion. I gave him this. That way, at least I have an answer for something higher toughness but, again, I'm not sure that that's the most strategic choice. It's just something I tried. But Yeah, again, it's 39 points for three strength, six attacks, mm. which probably will die after the first time you use it and someone finds out it's there. Right. Um, well, that's why I'm not a fan. But I can see the use of it because, again, if, if someone chucks, um, says, right, well, these six models are, are going to hit your champion, that's six could be six blackguard dead instead it's just the champion so my thought it, it was just it a nice a... a nice surprise you couldn't do it every single game like in a tournament ultimately the last player is going to know it's there and he's going to deal with it but that first player wouldn't anticipate it and you can you can catch somebody not prepared for it but again i don't yeah, sure. i don't i don't think it's a long term choice uh should we move on death piercer i don't think that this one is very good it's a lance with killing blow for 25 points the problem with eighth edition is you can only use the lance on your charge oh that sucks i know i found that out the hard way so you're paying for 25 points for something that doesn't work after your charge turn one that you have to charge and you're not charging every turn so if you if you get off two charges a game with that same character you're doing good so this gives you always you know you always get the killing blow are you sure yeah, it's been in an FAQ. Ah, I didn't know that. Good to know. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's been in the game. Mm, saying that, it might not have been in the Games Workshop FAQ, actually. It might have been in the ETC one. Oh, because um, I don't remember seeing it that. It might, might have been, actually, now I'm saying that. 
I'm under the impression that you you ha- you get to use it every time. You, if you've got a lance, you have to use a lance. So well, there's it's, only the Bretonians that get the choice to choose I'm between the now, two. Now the lance. Lance gives you plus two on the charge, right. but it doesn't say... It's like a hand weapon, it, or an extra hand weapon gives you one extra attack, and the lance gives you plus two strength on the charge. It doesn't say you don't use the lance when not charging. In the main rule book, it does. It says you only get to use it on the charge, and then you drop it and go to your hand oh, weapon. Oh, right, okay. And it is, we had this come up yeah. with, in the old vampire book, because you used to have that the lance, the dread lance on the vampire lord. And you charge in and get all those extra bonuses, and it's like, well, no. And I can say that it is not addressed whatsoever in the Dark Elf FAQ. So likely, my interpretation is likely correct, which is you don't get Killing Blow after your charge. Because you're dropping. Okay, and we'll go with that then. Yeah, here we go. Lance, mounted models only. Uh, strength plus two star. A lance is only used in a turn in which the wielder charged into combat. In subsequent turns, or if he did not charge, the model uses its hand weapon. So it, oh, okay. it specifically enough. says it, yeah. So it, it kind of that's why any of these any of these weapon the bonus lance weapons. It's I mean not only if 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 all it's giving you is killing blow, it becomes that one in six chance, and then on top of it, it's only when you charge. Personally, Ben, I like your interpretation better. I wish they would do it that <laughs> way. I, I, I don't know. It kind of it makes sense that you wouldn't be just holding that one lance charging through everything. You'd you know you always see them. In the movies and stuff, at least they drop the lance after the charge, and they go to that close what? quarters fighting with a sword because the lance is prohibitively heavy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. The, it, it makes the sense ETC it. FAQ um, section six uh, magic items question seven: Does a character with a lance always use the lance? Uh, sorry, does a character with a magical lance always use the lance? And then it says yes, unless told otherwise by a special rule. You only get the plus two strength on the charging round, though. Ah, I like that ruling better. I, I, basically, going back to what the seventh ed rules were, basically. Well, it makes sense. That way you actually want to spend the points on a lance. Right. No, exactly. Because, yeah, all these magic lances, just I, 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 just, I just skip them when I'm looking at stuff because it's only good for that one yeah. point. How do you think I feel when I play Bretonians? It's like, <laughs> skip it, skip it. <laughs> skip it, skip it, skip it. Oh, God. Okay, Whip of Agony, Beastmaster Scourge, strength five. I like these things. I think they're cool. What do you think, Ben? I think it's a, a decent item. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's up against the Sword of Might, which is 10 points cheaper, so it depends on how you rate the armor-piercing compared to um, compared to the, the 10 points. So, yeah, because Beastmaster Scourge is armor-piercing, you see. So um, it's strength 5 armor-piercing. It's what, quite nice. What's the FAQ say on the Beastmaster Scourge? It used to be an additional hand weapon, but now I think it just grants an additional attack. Is that right? Oh, I'm not entirely sure on that one. Let me go back to it. Oh, scourges are armor-piercing. I didn't realize that. I they're, was just reading the special. They're armor-piercing, so. and let me get to the Dark Elf section here. Awesome. I should have just kept the page open. Five. Huh? Beautiful. All right, so where are they? <laughs> oh, look, we're all learning something today. <laughs> we're going to edit <laughs> this out. <laughs> so while hurry you up, we're getting close to our 18 minutes. is coming up close. We may drop us any second. Oh, okay. Yeah, while you're looking that up, let's talk quick about... Uh, then the, all that's left on the weapons is Soul Render. Armor-piercing, great weapon. I think it's quite a good, solid choice. Again, it comes back to you've got the um, you've got the issue with whether you want your shield or not in combat. But strength six arm piercing, it's it's good. A bit cheaper than the Crimson Death, so again, it depends on what combo you've got. But a hero with soul render and the pendant is a nice choice. Yeah. Just to jump back to the Whip of Agony, so I did find Beastmaster Scourge. It the new rules now are it counts as an extra attack and it's armor piercing. 
So that would be strength five, additional attack, armor piercing, and that's pretty good. I would I would pay twenty five points for that. So the dreadlord gets five attacks, strength five, armor piercing. Yeah, it's not mm, bad. Quite nice not that bad. is. Mm-hmm. Tasty. Yeah. All right, let's take a look. Magic armor, armor of living death. Uh, heavy armor plus one toughness plus one wound. But so they- living death and is trash really? I think. Um, but the rest are all are all actually quite good. Well, it gives you an additional toughness and additional wound. But <laughs> if you're playing in uh, five five or six tournaments over the course of a weekend, one of those you're going to be stupid the, in the entire game. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. And so, sixty then, points just seems kind of heavy. I mean, that's more than the heavy armor with a four up ward save. Yeah, that's and it. I'd rather and have a four up ward save than plus one. Toughness and you're paying out the nose for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So now it's gonna, nice to be tough. We'll leave but, that armor on the little display model in the in the in the web in the armory. We'll leave that one aside. Eternal servitude's the next one. Thirty-five points, heavy armor, and regen. Uh, and that would yeah, be that is great. Regen four, I guess. In that, this yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad actually. I mean, regen can be stopped more easily. It's not as good as the ward save, but for thirty-five points, dude, that's yeah. I mean, you can give it to a hero, and suddenly you've effectively got another ward save. It's just a nice way to be. Right, you well, know, survivable. I mean, well, and isn't it uh, the not the armor of destiny, but the one less, the heavy armor with the five upward save? That's thirty-five points, and this is a regen four. So mm-hmm. yeah, so you give him the the regen and the dragonbane gem, and you've got he's he's obviously got regen, and then anything that's flaming, he gets the two upward against. So all he's got to worry about really is killing blow. <laughs> oh, that's a nice, I didn't even think about that. That's a sharp a, combo. Yeah, you you see that combo a lot in TK lists. Yeah, uh, Tomb King lists. So. Just because they have to worry about being flammable, so. Hmm. Okay. So the Cloak of Hagrief was talked about earlier. That's a great choice. Oh, uh, yeah. You're um, going to see that in a lot of lists. Armor of Darkness, um, a great choice for anything on foot. 25 points for one-up save. That's really good. Um, Shield of Grand, minus one strength. That's quite useful. Um, but I think it's just too tough to get it in when you look at the other choices you've got and things like ward saves. I agree. I, I really think it. it's just another way of making you guys survivable with toughness three, but it's still, it's a lot of points for what it is. Yeah, and then blood armor, I think you spoke about earlier. It's quite nice, tw- uh, 15 points. Uh, you can soon get your get your armor save up, especially if he's in a unit with always tracks first because um, it will be guaranteed then to go first. But that's the advantage um, of it is that... Um, you're probably going to go first as a dark elf unless you're playing against. Yeah, prob- you know. yeah probably. Um, more, more often than not, you will be because you're high, high initiative. Mm-hmm. But the, the always tracks first just tops it off. Make sure. And so that means that you know by the time you're done with your combat, you're probably pretty close to that one plus save anyway. Yeah, but and this yeah. is a guy. Remember, we were talking about that uh, that other. We were talking earlier about carrying some other weapon, and if you carry that weapon, you can't have the so you can't have the one up armor save. Oh, this yeah, is one, this gets it in. This gets it in because then it doesn't even matter. No matter what you're short, it'll just keep adding up until it gets to a one up with all your other bonuses. Yeah, and the other thing is on a dreadlord, if you've got um, a sea dragon cloak at six points, heavy armor at six, and shield at three, that's the same as blood armor anyway. So your blood armor is quite cheap. Yeah, you just you're just gambling for that first round of combat. If you swift for any reason, you might be in trouble. But assuming you do average numbers. You should be pretty close to uh, a survivable armor save. Yeah, and, and it's points. one of those things that aren't banned in a lot of your comps uh, in England, I believe. I don't think uh, there's no pendant and no this, no pendant and that. I don't think you see no pendant and no blood armor. So no, I think it's more or less allowed. Yeah. All right, let's jump to talismans real quick. 
70-point black, ta- black amulet. 4-plus ward save. If they pass their ward save, the model that attacked them gets one wound instead. With no armor save. A lot of points, but damned good. Ben, do you take this? Um, I, I spoke earlier about having it on a level 4. Yeah. And it's quite a nice combo, but I think it is very situational. Um, the FAQ does say it's a ward save all the time, so it's not just from close combat, I do believe. Um so, yeah, it's not a bad one, but 70 points. I think you have to sort of design your build around it. So, yeah, level four with that's dark why, magic so you can get some more wounds. Yeah, that's why I hesitate. Anytime you have a magic item that costs you more than some of your chaff units, you have to think carefully about where you're spending your points. Well, you pay 45 for the four board anyway, so the extra 25 points is to bounce all those saved wounds back on the opponent without an armor save. But it's incentive because now people are suddenly... Su- they're thinking twice about attacking you at all. You because, think? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's... It, I mean, could you see if this guy gets in a challenge holding one of this? You got a lord in a challenge against my lord in a challenge? Mm-hmm. So then I'm now, I'll probably have some sort of award save myself, but I do all these hits, you get a bunch of good saves, and suddenly, no, oh, crap, I got to save all those on top of your attacks? Yeah, well, any, any, yeah, any ward save I make, you are already wounded, and now you have to deal with it. Yeah. So very powerful stuff. But, yeah, you're paying for it. Uh, Ring of Darkness is 40 points. This is all close combat attacks directed against the model or half weapon skill. Shooting is a half ballistic skill, round fractions up. I don't know what I think of this one. It's cool sounding, but I think it's kind of pricey for the value. It's kind of expensive to force them into a 4-plus to hit, and hopefully, if you got you put this on a guy with a high enough weapon skill, 40 points to make it 5s to hit really is... Uh, yeah, but you can get the glittering scales on him. So on your Dreadlord, so it's minus one to hit from that. Hmm. So they want sixes to hit him. Oh, that's true. And that's what I've been using recently, and it's quite a nice combo. So you are using the survivable. Ring of Darkness. You are using this one, then. Ring of Darkness, Glittering Scales, Stubborn on one of my Dreadlords. Hmm. And that's with the two Dreadlords in the big Cold of Night unit. Crimey. That's pretty cool. Uh, but it's situational. It's a nice little trick. Um I don't know if it fits in every army, but it, it's useful. Um, I don't think we need to talk about the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Pendant of Kaleth, done. That's yeah, thirty-five yeah, that's just, of the best. That points should be in the, the special rules, special rules sections. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying it's a talisman, it's saying one character in your army has this item. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pick a character, give it to him. You know you want it. Yeah. Your army is now thirty-five points less than the other person's, but you get this. There, go. Uh, let's see, the Seal of Grand. So it's oh, a plus one dispel die. Pretty useful. I think that not every army will have it, but if you can afford to spend the 30 points, uh, there's no argument against it. It's very useful. Uh, let's see, Immune to Psych. Is that the Pearl of Infinite Bleakness? Yep. I don't think you need it. It used to be in every single one of my lists back in 7th. Yes, um, but I don't think fear. it's so needed now. Well, a lot of these items, I mean, that item you could drop, you could drop your death mask to cause terror, you could drop this to cause fear, that to cause fear. I mean, before, I mean, God, you, you, you look back on, I remember just almost two years ago, 8th edition came out, oh, fear's gotten such a nerf, it sucks now, it sucks. And now you look back at 7th and go, holy crap, fear was so over the top, stupid. <laughs> it's like, fear helped yeah. to define 7th edition. It really did. I mean, it was the one argument I had every time when I would play Brad. I'm like, wait a minute, my thirty, my thirty, uh, my thirty dwarf warriors ran away from your thirty-one zombies. Really, really, that's how that broke down. Because, yeah, well, you shouldn't have lost combat. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the. It was just. 
it was insane. All of these things were worth it. You know, when you when when you were, I mean, hell, when I was writing up uh, Warriors of Chaos lists back in seventh, everybody had got the damn uh, because I had so many fear playing, uh, fear fear causing armies I was playing against. I had entire practically entire Slaneshi armies, and now it's like why? You don't need to worry about it. But there's my digression. Sorry. <laughs> okay, last two in there. We've got the Ring of Hotek, which is great, but situational. It is, and the Null Talisman, which is very in the powerful. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Null Talisman's great. You can stack them up. Ring of Hotek. I like this one a lot, just because if people aren't expecting it, you can start to control the magic phase a little bit. Yeah. Or at least uh, put the fear of God into them. Yeah, and Magic Resistance Five is just amazing to unleash on someone. That, <laughs> quick question: Is that they get magic resistance, so does that is that for the unit or just the character? It's on the character, and but, he gives it to a unit if he joins a unit. Right. Magic resistance is one of those items mm-hmm. that spills to the unit, uh, even if the character is carrying it. Right. So you could actually, and it, it says it stacks, mm-hmm. and so even if you couldn't afford to put it all, you could put a couple of these on different characters, and then if you get them no. all... No? No, it only ca- it only stacks if it's on the same character. Okay. If it's on different characters, it uses the highest. Oh, okay. You, what what confuses people about magic resistance is that it stacks with a, an inherent ward safe. Okay. So that's where they stack. Sorry, but my confusion. It, no worries. In this particular case, it's unusual in that you're allowed, the single character is allowed to carry as many as he can afford, and that's where it would stack up. Oh, okay. They're 15 points each, so uh, a hero could take, for example, three, and he'd have MR3. Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, arcane items, magic items, then break, and then tactics, and then we can wrap this up and let Ben go. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm never coming back on again. I've enjoyed it. It's just bad bad timing. I've got the parents coming over tonight. Uh, so. I know. I'm sorry. We've been trying to do this for like two months, and it's like your tournament weekends mixed up with our tournament weekends and then yeah, family sure. weekends. What are you going to do? It's fine. It's worked out. Well, I'm enjoying myself. Again, I'm, thank you so yeah, much no, for, no kidding. for joining us. Time. All right. Black Staff, uh, 55 points for uh, Power of Darkness. Absolutely useless in eighth. Yeah, overpointed. You don't need it. Remember, in seventh, you could cast. It was automatically cast. Right. Which means that you've automatically put your opponent on the defensive and it costs you nothing. Now in this it's you have to commit dice anyway. And it doesn't get and you don't get your wizard level, which I understand, but it's yeah. like you'd, you'd think you'd push a little power so, into so it, but whatever. 50, Fifty-five points for half chances Useless. of it working. And you and it costs you a die. No, we already talked about the focus familiar. Great. Uh I don't think it needs to be defended to anyone. One of the nicest things to do is to put this thing into a building and it gets you even more distance. And three sixty oh, right. you know, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, the Dark Star Cloak. Um, 25 points and you get additional power dice. Depends on the kind it's of... It's useful. Yeah. I mean, if you have the Sacrificial Dagger, maybe this is overkill. If you don't have the Sack Dagger, this is pretty good. Or, yeah, a couple of couple of, couple of characters if you want to give out, you know, one's got the Sack Dagger, one's got this. It's just one more way that the Dark Elves show off their hand, which is we're going to do well in the Magic Phase. We have ways of making the Magic Phase work, even if we roll Snake Eyes. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's it's frightening, uh, and then Tome of Fury and the extra spell. So, yep, Sack Dagger. We don't have to defend Tome of Fury and uh, one additional spell, which is tremendously useful. It increases the chance of getting that one spell you need. Yep. All right, uh, now the magic for, standards. Woo! The for banner of hundred twenty-five points plus uh, one combat res to all friendly units within twelve inches. And the unit's unbreakable. I think these days you're paying for unbreakable more than anything else. It's way overcosted in Eighth Edition. Yeah, I mean, because hell, I got, th- I had the Regen banner was 125, and I would think it was more useful than this. 
Well, the, only, the only good thing about it is um, big, big units of men work well now. So if you go like 50 or 60 warriors, unbreakable, it could be quite useful. But for the most part, ah, no, but you're But you're paying almost the cost of a unit. Yeah, you can <laughs> you know, get to, 20 of those, uh, 20 dark elf warriors and just stick them next to them. <laughs> or, you know, for that you same... Can, yeah, 100, a, a dreadlord's 140 points. So right. yeah. you can have a, a dreadlord with stubborn and some toys for the same price as a BSB with the banner of Nagrite. Yeah, 125 points is literally, I think, a level one with a dispel. Yeah, it's, that's <laughs> kind of nutty. It's so, kind of nutty. You get what you pay for. Hydra uh, banner, I'm crazy about. I love it. But yeah, I do like points. this. I think it's always useful, but it is it is a lot of points. So plus one attack in the first run of combat. Uh, but with you guys, that's plus one attack, and that's with the rerolls and everything else again. So it it really is kind of it, it's totally worth yeah. it. And it includes mounts, which is why you often oh, see great. it with cold ones because yeah. the cold ones have strength four, so they may actually do some damage. Uh, Dread Banner, 40 points to cause fear once again. little overpowered. Bear in mind that beforehand you could have a whole bunch of Dark Elf Warriors in 7th edition for uh-huh. 6 points. You could take 50 of them. They have fear. Maybe you'll win. And they run away. Exactly. You know, but in 8th edition... No, not so much. Yeah, whatever. Standard of Slaughter. <clears throat> plus D3 to combat res for 35 points. Well, it's 10 points more than a War Banner, and you got a good chance of getting more than just the one point. You know what? You know what killed War Banner? Go ahead, go ahead. If you're going to use this, you use this and the war banner, and you go BSB with this war banner on the unit. But the, so that's plus plus four minimum, um, plus three ranks and a charge. You know, you're on eight combat res at least, maybe ten. Yeah, you'll win, uh, but they may be steadfast. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at using it in a big spearman unit with a lot of ranks to break steadfast. Yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to go for the numbers if you want something like that to work. So I guess there's an army to build around it to yeah. take this and. Uh, for the most part, it's not much use. No. Let's see. Uh, standard of Hagrave, uh ASF for 35 points for your whole unit. Uh, tremendously good. You just have to find the right home for it. Yeah. 35 points, though. The problem with this is that unless you put it into the Black Guard, you have to take it on the BSB because everything else can only take up to 25 points worth of banners. Oh, so okay. you can get it on. You can get it on the Cold One Nights. Oh, can you now? Oh, that's right. Yes. They're 50s also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would you, though? I guess, yes. I guess, I guess, I guess. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it gives the, what it is, against Ogres, the cold ones will re-roll. Mm. Um, against anything in the initiative, the re-roll. What is the initiative of the knights? Is it five? The, the riders are six, the okay. cold ones are two. Okay. But still, they get a re-roll against, because it's just got to be equal to. So Equal to, yeah. So against they're getting it against all the dwarves. Re-roll every Damn. turn. But it, <laughs> dwarves, Ogres, Orcs, um... I'm sh- and then if you've got shadow magic with a miasma, oh for God's sake, we lost him, didn't we? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, he's just sitting there laughing. <laughs> as I was saying, if you've got shadow magic and miasma as well, it's quite it's quite a nice banner on the cold ones. Oh God. Yeah, you convinced me. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, sea serpent standard corsairs only gives them frenzy. Uh, yes, you're going to see it. I'd say nine times out of ten with the cold with the with the. Corsairs. Yeah, I hear it all the time when I'm playing again. Okay, there's my Corsairs Serpent Banner. I'll put it to you this way. I have experimented with not taking it. And then I go back to the regular, which is have it in every other time. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's a one plus. Pretty much. Definitely. I mean, unless you have a specific list, like what you were describing, Ben, by putting other things in the unit, kind of forcing them to take the handbows because you have nothing else to do with them. Yeah, but I- you still go for Frenzy because then you've got... Fre- if 
I, I would always take the flensy, even if you go for hambos, because then you're like multi-use. You've got your shooting and you've got two attacks per model. Hmm. Well, here's a question for you. You've got a unit with Frenzy, but the, only the, the Corsairs can take it. But you were putting Pegasi in the unit. They're in the unit now. Do they get Frenzy as well, even though it's... A... Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, Banner of Murder, Armor Piercing, 25 points. I have taken it's it. It's good. Yeah. For 25 points, it's I think good it's worth it. It's cheap. <laughs> and, yeah. and just about any unit that can take a Magic Banner in your army can afford this. Um, it's affordable. So then you got the Cold Blood Banner... Uh, 15 points, uh, announce it at the start of any player's turn, and for the rest of the turn, they take their leadership like they're cold-blooded. I think it's a little less useful in 8th edition just because you've got Steadfast. It does exist. It's a lot easier just to be reliable, but it, I, I think it's nice. It's nice on units that are going to be away from the general, so like a cold or night unit mm. for the turn that you need your stupidity to pass, or a spearman unit that are going to have to be Steadfast away from the general or away yes. from the BSB for a turn. Exactly. That way you can actually put it on the flank and rely on it for that one turn to do its job without running away or sitting still. Or Yeah. Okay. And that's it. That's Whew. that's the main book. So uh, do we want to take a quick break and then get into the questions really fast? Yes, let's do that fast. Oh, yeah, that sounds questions. great. Okay. All right, cool. Taking a break. All right, guys, do, hmm? do you want to drop Skype out and start it again? Because yeah, let's do Just that. in case. <laughs> Yeah, and now All we're right. going to go nip to the loo as well. I'm going right. to do the exact we'll same thing. We'll do the exact same thing. I'll call you back in about three minutes. All right. All right, take it easy. You've heard him on the show. You've seen his work on our website. He's Brian Steele, owner of Urza's Den. That's right, folks, Urza'sDen.com. Custom modeling, sculpting, and painting. you got a model you don't want to paint? Send it to Brian. you got an army you don't want to paint? Send it to Brian. You can't come up with an idea for a conversion? Give his ideas a try. Heck, you got an army list with models they don't even make? Brian's the man. Give him a call. Check him out at UrzasDen.com. You won't be sorry. So I have this thought that might be dumb. Ben? Yes, it is dumb. Oh, I can't believe I, I can't believe the amount of grief I was getting for saying I'm taking a goddamn throne. It's not that bad. It's not bad. It's just... <laughs> it's fun, it's fun to tease because Helen said only idiots. So you respond with, "I'm that idiot. I'm gonna do it." I am predicting that this year you will not see one person taking it because it's too expensive of a choice. No way. I have a question. Hello, Hi guys. <laughs> What's going on? We were just discussing be before we called back. Uh, we were, I'm like, I can't believe I was getting all that grief about the coven throne. And he's like, it's just because Helan said you'd be an idiot to take it. I'm like, I don't think his exact words were you'd be an idiot. At least the episode I was listening to, he just said, I predict that nobody <laughs> would take one. I think the implication is you'd have to be an idiot. idiot. I think I was just added by me. <laughs> Was it numbskull, perhaps? <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember the exact uh, word. Let that be a warning to ninny hammers. Okay. So, real quick, is, is there any particular army, Ben, that... Now, uh, okay, but let me back up a minute. I'm listening to, to one of the last Helen Hammers, uh, it was his live stuff from the South Coast GT. He was talking to Chris Tomlin, and they were talking about how certain people... You, just, you don't play your opponent, you play against their army. You know what their army does, you don't worry about your opponent... And they'd actually said, you are one of the people who do this, I guess you'd say, the best. 
Um, they, in fact, the way they word it was, you have no regard for your opponents, but they didn't mean that in a bad way. They meant it as this guy, he looks at what's across the table. He doesn't care what your strategy is or how you're playing. He knows what that army does, and he knows what his army does, and this is how he's going to take it apart. Would you would you say that's correct is in your play style? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the quote was Ben Curry has no respect for his opponents. <laughs> yeah, <And> yeah. <laughs> out of context, it sounds awful, but he, he is on the money, and it's took me a long time to sort of develop that. Um, when I first started playing tournaments, I against top players, you you just get nervous. Um, and you, you you change how you played because of the things you'd heard about the top players, and that'd be detrimental to your game, and you'd lose games because of it. And over the years, and I've been doing tournaments, I think six or seven years now. Um, I'm at the stage now where I don't I, I don't mind who I play. I, I always think as long as I stick to my plan and I know what I want to do. Could I use an um, analogy? I'll Would be that fine. be like? Like saying you don't care who the opponent is, but the chess pieces on the board are all that matters. Is that kind of what? Yeah. Oh, with that that's means? right. Okay. That's okay. right. Yeah. And um, this is obviously just in gaming terms. Obviously, the, the, it's a social game as well, and you do have yeah. to you do interact with your players. But taking that out the window and thinking of it just like a game of chess for a while. Yeah. Um, well, there are sports scores. Yeah. At some point, you're going to have to compliment his hairdo or something. <laughs> and uh, now I play nice. I play friendly. Oh, it's just when you losing weight, when it, dude. This is the first time I've <laughs> met you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. That's what you do. Do get them sports scores in the bag. It's an easy one. And. Uh, it's the psychology of Warhammer, I suppose, of getting it in your head that some people lose the game before they even start, and I've seen it recently more than ever. Um, and I, me and Ben Johnson, I suppose, come from the same school of thought with that. We've playing together for so many years and tuning our armies together, coming out with talking tactics between each other and um, developing at the same time as players. And I've seen Ben do it a number of times where he, he plays a guy and this guy's got no chance before the start because they, they know they've played Ben in the past, um, and the head you, you just see it in the faces. They, they know they're going to lose, um, and then you look at Ben, and, and Ben thinks he's going to win. And even if he's in a bad matchup, he, you, he always looks for the ways to win, and um, that's what people say when they watch me play as well. So obviously, it's difficult to see yourself doing it because, as far as I'm concerned, I just I stick to my plan and I go for my plan, and I don't alter my plan depending on who that person is. Yep. Um, and that's that's what you if you are trying to go from sort of the maybe the middle tier of player to, up to the top level of play. That's one of the things you do need to try and get past. Don't don't ever think anyone's better than you before you start. I'm going to add that in my book. And it, as soon as I see the light of middle tier coming close, once I get there, I'll start implementing this one. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but here, let's go through. Are there any armies? In particular, in particular races that you're just like, oh crap! From the per- from the them. perspective of a dark elf player, perhaps yeah. as a dark elf player, I'm just talking matchups. Is there is there an army that dark elves are just you'd, you'd rather not have the dark elves go up against? So um, traditionally, with sort of the mixed arms infantry list, which has been the power of the dark elves over the last year or so, and you see everyone playing at tournaments. That's that style of list. Um, is sort of the the bread and butter of the dark house. So I suppose I'll talk about things from that perspective because it makes it a bit easier. Because the joy with dark house is they do have a wide variety of powerful lists they can take. So in some matches you can you can turn things around. So what might be bad for one army for one style of build is now good for that style of build. Okay. And, um, so for, for the from the point of view of the sort of mixed arms standard dark elf list. The dwarfs are a bad one, I suppose, because they're tough. 
that you're very reliant <laughs> on the magic. Those um, damn hobby killing dwarves. You can't see me nodding, but that's what I had to play. Yeah, he against. just looked right at me and smiled and pointed at me because that's all we played for almost a year was dwarves on dark elves. We didn't know yeah, any other so, players in the area, so that was my only opponent was dwarves. So, <laughs> it yeah, made, and it's bad if the dwarves go get if the dwarves get first turn, drop some stone throwers on you and take out. <laughs> it's He's just rolling you know, his eyes and nodding. You got. I wish you don't want to know. Um, and then when you do get there. You're stuck having to get through the spell breakers and spell eaters, um, and if the, you know the, the anvil slows your troops down, it's it's a pretty bad matchup. However, saying that, I have a quite a good quite a good record against the dwarfs. Um, I think when it's come to it, it's just it's just worked, and that's the thing. If you do get there and it does work, if the war machines miss for a couple of rounds, you get into them. Your magic does get through. You just you can just roll them over. That's um, the problem, though, is that step one of your plan is hope they miss. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the issue is, um, the thing is, you, it, you you could move to the middle of the board and then turn two, all of a sudden, it could go either way. You Dark Elf player could go, right, pit, the anvil's gone, or yeah. pit, 25 out of 40 hammers have gone. Yeah, um, it, <laughs> and it's a different game. Or you could go, Hit, destroy, it's gone. And then it's like, right, what what now? Um, so, <laughs> and then the organ guns crack, roll a two, <laughs> re-roll, get a ten, like they do all the time. Um, <laughs> so they're also a bad one. <laughs> so who else? You know, I wish I wish I played the dwarves like these. Like, it rolls ten all the time. I love these comments. I'm like, damn, I, I must be playing mine wrong. Cause my but, stuff yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the stone throwers are the ones, because oh, the yeah. stone throwers don't miss. When you're... When you re-roll in the dice, they're, they're very accurate. So out of two shots with re-rolls, you, you're going to get one hit. Uh, yeah. You know, you should you should be doing, I think. Oh, it's brutal, uh, yeah. And against or, Dark or Elves, or it's going to maximize scatter. the damage because they, yeah. you know, a, a strength, strength three is actually frightful for, a, exactly. for an elf. Uh, mm. Anybody no. else? See, ogres are becoming a problem. Hell um, yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, you know what? We've got a couple of questions about that. So, you know what? Let me just jump from this. If we're going to talk, oh, you, do you want to shelve ogres and cover anyone else, or do you want to talk? Because we got some questions came in about ogres. So I can throw um, the questions Well, let's out do, the, do the rest first, and we can okay. get to the ogres then. The other one's a high elf shooting build. Um, mm. the, the dark elves tend to do everything the high elves do, but better. So it's normally a, a good match for the Dark Elves. However, the high elf shooty list with probably a big unit of White Lions as sort of your your blocking unit, um, the bolt throws at the back to shoot um, shoot the Dark Elf combat units, um, with the Book of Hoth for, the, again, Shadow Magic, doing what the Dark Elves do. Um, and then four bolt throwers just hammering the combat units is really bad. That can be a really bad matchup for the Dark Elves. Hmm. Huh. I've struggled with them before. I've I've lost games to high elves. So. I struggle with every army, yeah. so <laughs> they're all tough <laughs> matchups for me. Uh, anyone else? Warriors of Chaos. Now, you guys, the Warriors of Chaos doesn't seem to have a huge like player base by you. I, I think that the Warriors have kind of seen their heyday come and gone in the United States. I think that some of the new lists are replacing the Warriors around here there's, right now. You know what? There's other tough lists that are more fun to play, I think, now. The Warrior list has become so flat. It's a bit like the the seventh edition VC. Yes, they're tough, but people know what to do. Exactly. So, but, not warriors. Uh, how about beastmen, Ben? Um, I've, I don't know. The thing is with beastmen is um, the corsairs do a number on them, and the black guard do as well without yeah. magic. Um, 
you you do lose the gore unit will will take the corsairs off yeah. but it won't be the corsairs and then a blackguard unit um so you end up with the beastmen having two main combat blocks from what i'd normally see um i mean correct me if you're wrong if people are playing more big combat units on beasts but i normally see a big block of gore and a big block of beast gore and then yep. stuff, you know, I mean, chaffing the army. Um, so they're fighting their two frontline units against your Dark Elves 3 or maybe 4. Um, and even if they do get a third combat unit in, they're fighting, they're fighting one-on-one with the units and then the, they've got the Hydra to worry about or the Dreadlord blocking one unit while the Dark Elves double-team another unit. Um, I think the Dark Elves can deal with the Beastmen, no problem. Um, they, they deal with uh, Demons fairly handily. They beat... Um, see, Bretonians can be a tricky one, but for the most part, the Bretonians charge in, kill some, get stuck, and then Blackguard, killing blow, loads of attacks. It's There you go. The number. Uh, that's, um, that's just they're getting buried by a sheer numbers at that point. Well, a Bretonian player needs to hold off the charge until they feel they can actually win on the charge. And if you don't, you're probably screwed, depending yeah. on the magic lore you take. The magic lore might help, but... Yeah, yeah. get a thousand you've, shots. You've got to try and win it on the charge or you're dead. Cool. Is there anybody that you just rub your hands together and lick your lips when you see them across the table? Is there any army that you just consistent? I mean, and just you personally that you just consistently come up against and you do really well against? I don't want to jinx you or anything. I'm just curious. <laughs> um, so Demons is quite a, a good match for the Dark Elves. I remember even back in the last edition when Demons were really running riot, I used to really like playing the Demons because it... It was sort of, you knew what they were going to do. They didn't really have you, any surprises. Yeah, you almost the outnumber them, and you can mm. actually hit them from across the table. Yeah. You hit them first, you hit them hard. They're low toughness in the demon army, generally. You've got deals, you can deal with the bloodthirster, all the great demons. So you do everything they do, but a bit better. Um, so demons is a, a good one. I do like playing them. Um, okay. I like playing all the dark elves. Um, I do like mirror matches, because... It takes out someone moaning about your army book for a start. <laughs> um, I never thought of it that way before. If they've got a similar list as well, list as well they can't moan about your list neither. So then all of a sudden they can't moan about the book, they can't moan about the list. All of a sudden it means you've beat them, and people don't like that. They just um, moan about their dice then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, I could have had you, but the dice. But I think it was back in 7th edition, I played a guy at a tournament, and he... He'd seen my list on the internet and copied it, and then I played him in the last game and got a twenty nil win in like four <laughs> turns. And he was he was in the in the bar afterwards talking to one of his mates, and uh, he I, I don't know if Ben he might have been talking to Ben Johnson actually, or if Ben Johnson overheard him. But he came and said to me, he says uh, the guy you just played has just been saying, yeah, I played Ben Curry, but he's played with that list for 18 months more than me, and it showed. <laughs> and, uh, that's <laughs> there you go. Well, that's a fair attitude to take, yep. as long as he can admit yeah. it. Oh, boy. Well, here, I know you're on a time limit, Ben, so, and, and Skype will drop us in about six minutes. So here, let's run through. We got uh, uh, some questions here from, I posted, does anyone have questions? Of course, I posted, does anyone have questions? And the first question came from the Cranky Lawyer. Ben, when you found out that Topher played Dark Elves, was it really hard not to quit? Or just <laughs> really hard. <laughs> so, I don't really know how to answer that. Yeah, you can you can see why we don't actually so, like to engage in dialogue with this character. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's kind of a simpleton from Maine. We try to ignore him as most. Okay, as this much one's as we coming can. from, and I know Ben. You know how half of these people are because they're all on Twitter too. But from Rafaza, 
He's asking, what about UK comp has seen the fall from grace of the Power Army, or is it just the Ogre bandwagon? Uh, they weren't the Power Army. They were just one of the Power Armies, right? Well, I mean, um, you know. Dark, the thing with the Dark Elves were uh, they were doing well at a lot of tournaments, and they were beating a lot of people. Um, and people don't like their best unit getting mind raised by 10 spearmen and destroyed. Um, so it, it was upsetting people. But there, was, there wasn't many people winning tournaments in the UK with the Dark Elves. So, but they, don't get me wrong, they were, they were the top, top, top dogs. And they're still good. It's just, I think, um, recent books, Dark Elves have lost their edge a little bit. And then the comp in the UK has hammered them. So you can't take your stubborn Dreadlord yep. with the Pendant. Um, you can't take a cauldron and a pendant and some other toys in the army. Limits on the number of toys. Um, is that why you were saying that you feel like they've kind of crested their their height of their power? Is it because of the comp in the UK? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. So obviously if we was, don't we don't see that here in the states. Then if they're not winning as often, though, if I mean if they're if they're obviously not winning as much and they're not getting up to the podium, I mean, is, do you do you see maybe the comp being scaled back a bit? It might be the case, but. To be honest, I'm not bothered. I've, I've had my fun with them. You know, I've played, I've played them when they've been at the filthiest for the last few years. And if if the, it's someone else's turn to be playing with the power builds, then so be it. I, I played Dark Elves when they were really poor. I've played them when they're at the top, so I'm still going to play Dark Elves. Well, you're a dedicated Dark Elf player. Yeah, you, you admitted that you were playing them from the start. You've been through all three editions of their books, so I don't yeah, think anyone's yeah, you're accusing. the one who said when the new book came out, you bought it and started playing them and never stopped. So you've been with them since the beginning. Oh, what else we got here? Um, as oh, as go for the ogre matchup, which I think he mentioned as well, um, it's tough for the dark elves, and the reason being is the the mournfangs um, beat your combat units unless you get the magic on. Even the cauldron, normally it's enough for your your combat unit to just have the cauldron on them, and you can go toe to toe with things. But that's not the case with the mournfangs, and, um, and they can dictate the charge, which means you can't get yeah. the mind razor off when you need it to. And the other thing is the they get the combat buffs from the great law of the great moor, and the fireballs from the firebelly. Um, fireballs are horrible against dark elves. Three d six strength <laughs> four against elves. Yeah. Not good. Oh no. Um, the the breath weapons. You, a scouting money to unit with the dragon hide banner would just uh, it just causes massive masses of issues. Um, so yeah, the the thing is they can engage you across three or four different combats at the same time, and all them combats will be in the Ogre player's favour. Unless you can do one of them to um, get your magic on and bring it back, it's, it's, you're up against it. And the way I try and play it is try and shoot one Mournfang unit, um, use the Dreadlord to pin a second Mournfang unit, and then the, the Death Star still beats the Blackguard. Um, so it is, it is tricky. It's not... I, I've played them and I've... I've beat ogres more times than I've lost to him, but um, it, it's it's not as high a rate as I'd like. Um, it's it's tougher than I'd like. Do you, do you, you know, struggle you, with you, them enough where you would consider taking the lore of death instead? No, well I didn't. I, I went down the other route of going for the Death Star and putting all the building the night unit, fourteen knights with all the characters in to be able to run into the middle of an ogre army and let it all fight me and beat it. And that was the route I went down and. It it's kind of works, except unless when people get really lucky, like Ben Diesel did at the Quarter War event, and one unit of Mournfangs killed all 14 knights in one round of combat. Uh, and then when oh. I did take when I did take them off, and my characters ended up fighting the Death Star, 
I failed a stubborn leadership 10 test and ran away and then didn't rally and ran off the table. So, you know, it when happens. you need... Yeah, it happens. Um, but over the weekend, I, I played Ogres four times. I got um, a 20, a 70, a 20 and 18 and a 16, and then I got one point off Diesel. So um, it, I think the plan was good. Uh, I think played the Ben Diesel game again. I'd win it nine times out of ten. He just he got the look when he needed it and got the win. So fair play to him. He, he went for it, he gambled, and it Ben? Hello? Yep. Oh, it fixed itself. God damn. Nope, there it went. Hello. Hello. Ben. Okay, excellent. All right. <laughs> Let's run through these then and wrap this up so that way this doesn't right, happen. I've got, got probably, go. I've probably got half an hour um, well, starting to push it a bit fine, but yeah, I've got 30 minutes. So all right. Well, we'll try we to wrap this them. up in 10. I promise you we'll try to get through this quick. Uh, yeah, okay. no worries. All right, so you've uh, your ogre matchup uh, that actually answers Mark Borland's question, which is how do you see the dark elf versus ogre matchup in a typical battle line? You just answered it. Yeah, I mean, I've had I have been having some more thoughts about that, and I think in no comp it comes a bit different because you, the, your dark elf tools you do get your tools back, um, and the ogre lists tend to be I don't know uh, more min maxed in no comp. The fact that they get they get two Iron Blasters and they will put the second Iron Blaster in, means it's oh, sure. 170 less points into combat units, which isn't really that bad. So I don't, I don't think it's... I think I just need more play against it as well. Um, See, I, at it, the moment, I'd say it's a pretty bad match. In the United um, States, but, we're really not seeing very much comp at all, and I, I can't say that it seems broken to us. It seems like it's actually working. Uh, would the UK ever consider trying a no-comp tournament? See... It, the fact that you've said that then, as if you assume the UK is all 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 comped, I, d- I don't actually know. But there's I not only know information out there in the first place because yeah. the the UK has a wide variety of tournaments, and we use the ETC quite a bit. Hmm. The Heel and Hammer, um, the South Coast GT, used yeah. for the South Coast. That's relatively light comp, and playing under that, I'd be happy taking my Dark Elves against pretty much anything. Um, because you can still six dice the magic phase, you still get most of your toys. You can't have the stubborn pendant dreadlord, but you can still get other toys on him. I'd happily face that against ogres. Um, it's just when you start taking it down a little bit more, and say only four dice on shadow magic's a bit much, or five dice on shadow. It means you can't get the, the combat support against the ogres, and they're there chucking two dice at all their combat spells, dead easy. Um, yeah. That's that's the difference. So. I don't know. I think I need more play in that one, but it is it is a tough match for the Dark Elves. Okay. Uh, John Walters, Crouching Otter, wants to know, what do you fear most about playing lizard men? <laughs> oh, poor John. So he he's an aspiring lizard man player. He's been playing him for a while, and he, he's been doing rubbish, to be frank. I don't know if you've heard on our show saying we've got a project of um, make Ed Morris better at Warhammer. Well, Ed and John are like good friends and they go to a tournament <laughs> together. Okay. And we've concentrated on Ed and he started winning and he started doing all right. Uh, but John, John's been left behind and he did what you, you did at Adepticon with not winning all weekend or winning one game in six and doing yeah, rubbish. that was pretty well. Uh, and he's a, bit, he's a bit down on the Lizards. So against Lizards with Dark Elves, it is a bad match. Um, lizards have got, have got a lot of tools that can deal with the Dark Elves. 
However, I, I went through a phase last year of playing Lizards more than anything else. So my tactics against Lizards are play it tight, don't let them like isolate any parts of your army and pick bits off, uh, and use your sort of three combat blocks to sort of bully segments of his army at one time. Um, that's that's the key. Keep it tight. If he charges at anything, make sure you've got a counter charge coming straight away. Don't let him sort of stick and grind something down over a few time, turns. Um, as a Lizardman player trying to beat the Dark Elves, I think it's the opposite of what I've just said. Try and, try and pick off bits at a time around the edges. Aim for the Shades, the Harpies, because they're the easy points. Um, and try and concentrate on hitting one unit. Hit the Blackguard. This, you know, there's only 20 of them. Um so yeah, it, it is a good match in the lizards' favor. But what about um, a pack of salamanders just breathe fire and everything? Wouldn't that just take care of problems as uh, as they come? Yeah, but it, it's, you can't breathe fire on everything. You see, you you have to get in the position to breathe on one unit. And I've got a dreadlord on a horse, which is going to sort of follow them salamanders. Like you know, as soon as they shoot, they're going to be charged. Um, hmm. So yeah, you'll you'll do some damage, but then you'll be taking a charge and you'll be fleeing away or. Uh, and I'll be fireballing them. They're the prime target. 3d6 fireball every turn. True. Yeah. Um, so it is a tough match for the Dark Elves. But the Salamanders, I, I wouldn't waste the Salamanders early. Um, I'd keep them back and try and save them till later in the game because um, they're going to come in handy once once they can get around the sides and where turning to face the Salamander to chase it off means you, you're taking other things inside of the unit. Um, whereas early on, you, you can sort of adjust later on once you get right around the sides. It's an issue. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, a couple of these questions have already been answered, I think. Uh, Chris Walker, uh, for, uh, he's part of the Illinois Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. He said he wants to, A, say hi to everyone who's going to Midwest Rampage today, which is a tournament around here. And then he's asking if assassins are worth it and what's the best kit for them. But I think we already talked about that. Uh, can you make executioners work in a competitive list from Mark Green? We already talked about that. How does Ben fe- does Ben feel that his new Cold One bus list is the answer to ogres after his four wins at Call to War? That's from R.J. Payne. Um, so, well, I do I do quite like him. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it was three it was three wins three wins and a loss. But yeah, they, I think it is the answer to the ogres. However, I don't know how much fun it's going to be using a one one unit army. Um, for a while we'll, we'll see how we go but it, it does beat ogres the key is you can let them charge you and, and fight them off let, let the mournfangs charge kill them in one round do a reform and then charge normally charge the death star and then you're going to win alright that's actually really thank you that's a nice bit of tactics uh, Jude Cole Regis wants to know as a high elf player what weakness can he capitalize on what is um the shooting, as I said earlier, the, sh- the high elf shooting oh, against the right. dark elves is good. What the dark elves tend to need to do to beat the big high elf units is double team them. So hit them with one unit to weaken it, hit them with the second unit to take them out. If you can make sure that that second unit can't get in, or if the first unit's already been weakened enough, they don't do enough damage, that's um, that's one tactic. Uh, the... The Eagles, I'll tell you what is good, the Star Dragon's good. It might sound crazy because people don't use it anymore. But um, flying around, breath weapon, you know, getting it in combat and thunder stomping and lots of attacks, it, that can be good. Cool. Yeah, actually, with, if people aren't taking the bolt throwers, you know, it's yeah, it's a good answer. Let's get down to the last couple of questions. Um, 
Let's see. Mark Green says, if you could change one thing about the Army book, what would you change? Um, I'd make Blackguard cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. Uh, let's see. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. In all honesty, I don't think there's much you need to change. It's a good. It's a good book. It's, yeah. I'd like some more more variety. It's been sort of. They've not had any new units. You know, three editions of the book, and it's been the same all the way down. So in fact, you know, they've had even... Beast, Beastmaster in all out, right? Um, and a little bits have changed here and there, but you need more not, rare choices too. You know, like the ogres have just come, and they've had a, a Thunder Tusk, um, a Mornfang unit. It it's new things that come in. So yeah, some some more stuff. Monsters. It was nice to use. In the old days, you could just use a monster army. That that'd be quite nice again. Okay, down to the last two. Uh, Ryan Taylor says, uh, for a player just starting Dark Elves, what's his number one purchase? Um, the plastics, the spearmen, you know, the, the spearmen and crossbowmen. Okay, and final question. Sounds boring, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's just a solid answer. You need them. Yeah. All right, Josh Young asks, all he, all he says is, just make sure to add a dash of mind razor. So... Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't actually a question. It was more of a, hey, we listen to Ben's commercials. So, okay, that's that's everything we've got. That's all the questions. That's all the tactics. Ben, thank you so much for coming on and being a part of this and putting up with the 20 or 30 dozen Skype drops that we've had to endure. Yeah, the Skype was a bit of a nightmare, but no, we got there in the end. I've had a good time. Hopefully, I've, I've imparted some of my knowledge. Um over the years, I've whenever because I've been involved with the ETC for five years, um, I've sort of had five versions of my Dark Elf blog in playing games. And Dan Healan's always said, once I stop playing Dark Elf, I should compile all my blogs into one place and put it out and make it public. And I think that was kind of what's gone on here. It's my my experience with the elves over the years. So it's, it's good to give it all out there because I don't really do it on on my own show too much because. As much as you sit and talk all the time, it's yeah. it's a bit weird to talk about your own army so much. Well, no, it was great. That's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because we don't hear you talking all that much about the you know the minutia, and so it's kind of cool to be able to just sit and pick your brain for four or five hours on a on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon for you. But listen, we know you've got family coming over, so we're. Want to say thank you very much. So, for our listeners out there, in case you uh, just came out of the uh, cave that you were born in, go listen to Bad Dice Podcast. Uh, ben Ben Curry's baby child. His uh, oh yeah, and he's been around for a lot longer than we have. And be sure to check out. By the time this uh, this episode comes out, you've already started. You've got a new project, which is Daily Bad Dice. Is that correct? Yeah. So the the thinking behind the Bad Dice Daily Show is. I'm going to do 15 minutes a day, around about maybe 5, 10 some days or 20 or 30 the next, I don't know. Roughly 15 minutes a day, um, short, either up-to-date news if a release, a news release comes out or a rumor comes up or a quick report after a tournament. Or when there's no, nothing in the news, quiet news day, we'll have a, a regular theme for the week. So first week is already recorded. It's going out on Monday the 21st. We've got... Uh, miniature Monday, so talking about what the guys who use the Miniature Monday hashtag are posting on Twitter. Um, I've got Top 5 Tuesday, talking about top fives of whatever, something different every week. Whimsical Wednesday is going to be a bit of off-topic, middle of the week, a bit of randomness. This week we've got Russ Veal talking about the Diablo 3 release. Oh, yeah. I think he had a... 
I think he had an 18-hour session on release day. Um, played it for 18 hours straight and um, made a mess of his hand where he'd got blisters and that on his on his mouse hand. So uh, he's going to be coming in to talk about that. Um, Thursdays, we're going to do... Um, we're going to, uh, this is an idea I've started trialling, so rule of the week. I'm not sure on the legs on that, I don't know. But a rule you should know and a rule that you probably won't know. <laughs> it should have uh, legs. There's a lot of damn rules in that book. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it, I don't know if it's too boring, you see. And then Friday's just sort of open season, oh. and this it, you do whatever you want. And this Friday, it's going to be uh, giving my views on what makes a top player a top player. And I think oh. I've talked a bit about it with the whole psychology of Warhammer thing today, but more views on that. So yeah, check it out. It's just go to baddice.co.uk, um, or you can go to the daily section of the website, which is just forward slash daily. Get us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash baddice. And, of course, the best place is probably Twitter, and it's at baddice underscore podcast on Twitter. So I think that about plugs everything I need to plug. Well, we'll be, <laughs> we'll be listening. A, if you need a rules thing you should know but probably forgot, you could always use that Lance rule because we just did that one today. Yeah, there definitely, you go. <laughs> sure. That's not a bad one. And, of course, the, the main Bad Dice show, two hours every fortnight. Um, not going anywhere. Still going to be the same as myself and Mark and Gareth hosting that. So it's all good. Well, you've always put on a top-quality podcast, so thanks for everything you do, because you're certainly an inspiration for us. Absolutely. Hey, man, thanks for coming on, and you guys have a good week, folks. We'll be back uh, around June 10th with episode 50. We'll see you then. See you then. See you, guys. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, we ask that you leave us a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to get more Garage Hammer, you can find us on Facebook at Garage Hammer Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, both at Garage Hammer and at Topher Sinister. And, of course, we invite you to join our forums at garagehammer.net. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at garagehammer at live.com. You can reach David at david at garagehammer.net. And you can reach Christopher at Topher at garagehammer.net. Oh yeah, well Heather's family's from Heather's mom's side of the family is from England, so uh, you know, she and she just she loves going there. You know, there's so much to see, and Harrison just I mean, Harrison is one of those like little boy geniuses, so he just wanted to walk around and go to museums and see all this stuff. And then I told him he was going to get to play a game with Bobo, and suddenly his focus completely shifted from all this cool historical stuff in England to going to Warhammer World. And then he gets back from England. It's like, how was your trip? Dad, I had so much fun at Warhammer World. You have no idea how much grief I got from that, from my wife, from turning. I love studying history. And if I went to the UK, the first thing I'd want to do is go to Warhammer World. <laughs> so she's, Yeah, 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 Shakespeare. Let's go. <laughs> That's kind of what happened. And it was... Uh, I don't know, Warhammer World. It's only, it's only, what, 25 minutes up the road. Regular gaming, gaming night at Warhammer World. <laughs> You know, what, what bothers me is that here in the United States, we go to, like, a games workshop. It's the size of a fairly large shoe closet. There in the U.K., it's a museum with a pub. Exactly. Where's the justice in that? Yeah, I mean, there are. there's literally, there's a mall not far, well, kind of far from our house, but in the Chicagoland area where, and it's it's a really high-end, expensive mall, and they've got a GW in there, and I kid you not, Ben, 
the width of the counter is about eight feet, and the one is against the like the part of the back wall where you go in for their inventory, and the other one's like right up at the edge of the storefront, and they've got all their inventory right there, and they have one demo table and one gaming table in the back, and if you happen to fall into that gamer category of morbidly obese, you can't play you at the table. Fit. You just cannot fit in the store. I mean, some of our <laughs> some of the stores are that tiny. Yeah, we're complaining about space to play. You're complaining about what what's on tap. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't complaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! 